You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ah, got him. That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime and coordinates for the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to another episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news, rumors, and updates on uh, Andor, Mando, Season 3, Ahsoka, all the cool and exciting projects coming up in the Star Wars universe. But today... We've got Obi-Wan Kenobi and only Obi-Wan Kenobi that we're talking about on the show, talking about the whole second half of the season now that the finale's aired and uh, we've got so much cool stuff to talk about, so much to to react to and give our thoughts on and uh, it's just going to be a, a long, I'm sure, and, and fun and exciting episode. So as always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Tim and Paul. How's it going, guys? Boy, have I been looking forward to this one. <laughs> Not just since the finale aired but really since the series was announced and we knew vader was coming back Caden was coming back just how excited we were for the series and just the potential of some special star wars stuff we we're gonna get and in my opinion i don't think it disappointed in that regard so even since way back it was announced we couldn't wait to talk about this series it's finally here and with all episodes and yeah this is gonna be really some really great stuff that we're gonna dive into in this one i am super excited I am, I'm just kind of just crazy. It's just crazy. We've gotten this finally, to mm-hmm. be honest. I mean, it, we, we finally come to the point where we are, we have o- the Obi-Wan movies, if you will, um, yeah. that we always wanted, I feel. And that we never thought we, we, we thought we'd get maybe a, a possibly, but there was always doubt. We just didn't know yada, yada, yada. But with this series, it really, I, I think it really kind of does, it, it does a lot for Star Wars in so many different ways. And I have a lot of, of opinions and not like, you know, like bad opinions, but I think, I think of directions for the future of Star Wars, I feel, I think this informs on a, almost a different level in some ways, um, a number of different things, which we can get into later, but um, overall, yeah, this was a long, this was something, you know, the culmination finally of, of something that we've been wanting for a long time. Um, you know, it's obviously with Star Wars, it's never, it's one thing ever since the prequels, it's never going to shy away from controversy, whether you love certain things, dislike certain things, or are in the middle about certain things. Like I am a lot of times, uh, even on, you know, things like, like the last Jedi, I think the one thing I think that we can all kind of you know, talk about is like, you know, at least that, you know, it seems, it seems like something like this can always kind of bring people together, even though it, there's always controversies and whatever, I feel that Obi-Wan was a good kind of shows you the strength of Star Wars overall and what you can do with it, 
even on limited a more limited budget and what what the medium it is as far as the you know tv or film and again there's so i think there's a lot of really cool things to break down i think outside of the the world of star wars as far as like you know what it means for releasing and things like that but also i think for the mythology of star wars and the storytelling there's a lot of rich stuff in here that was just great to see and honestly let's be real to see an actor like ewan mcgregor just showcase how amazing he is is just is just awesome and it it, and that's something i'm just going to say before we get started i just want to say that you know what you can have and i think the prequels are a great example of this i only it's it's be honest and i'm curious what you guys think about this but let's be real if you have a, a star with charisma they can transcend any bad dialogue bad bad story i mean like people can argue this all they want you know Look at the prequels are a great example. People are did not like the prequels, but what do they all say? Oh, they all liked Ewan McGregor. They all liked Ewan McGregor. And, you know, he became the focal point. And I think the more he became a focal point in the films throughout the next three of, you know, the, of the prequel films, obviously Revenge of the Sith. Revenge of the Sith was always one of the better ones because he was the main character, you know, with Anakin. Like, they're co-leads, in my opinion. And I feel that, like, with Star Wars, you need to rely heavily on, like, acting and charismatic characters or actors because I think I look of a new hope, right? We talked about new hope before the movie, um, for, for our uh, recording here. And that's a great example of great acting, transcending average dialogue. You know what I mean? Like, and I always said that people always said, George Lewis is a terrible writer. And I'm like, eh, he's the same guy who wrote new hope, <laughs> you know, he had some things punched up. Sure. But the dialogue's pretty consistent, you know, as far as for the most part between the prequel trilogy, I think, and that, you know, within some reason, but what's the difference? I think that you have charismatic actors portraying a lot of that stuff out and that everyone does a great job of it in the prequels, whereas in the, pre- in the original trilogy, you have class A actors doing it. And I think that's the thing right now. And again, it's easy to say, you know, get an actor, you know, whatever. And it's hard to find actors who are even who are, are good, you know. But I, the thing for me is if you find a charismatic actor, it transcends and makes up for so much. And I feel that this Kenobi series, and it's a long-winded way of saying this Kenobi series has issues and problems that we can nitpick and you know dive dive into. But either, but regardless, I think this this has been a huge success for Disney Plus because of Ewan McGregor. And Ewan McGregor is a big actor, but he's not like a mega mega star. It just shows you how good an actor is and how that one person can carry everything and transcend and make up for all these different small, maybe even some major, not major, but semi-major issues for the project because they're so good. And to me, Ewan McGregor is that. And Kenobi obviously lives and dies on Ewan McGregor and Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he just destroys everything beyond my expectations in the series. Yeah, I mean, he's... He's a great actor in his own right, but also just specifically within Star Wars, like he just embodies that character of Obi-Wan so, so well. Um, and, you know, obviously was a highlight of the prequels, is a highlight of this series. And you're right. I mean, I almost feel like this show is, I think will probably be similarly received to the prequels in some ways. Although I think despite some of the the controversy and, and I get like, I have my own nitpicks with the show as well, but some of it, let's be honest, has just been, you know, downright negativity and, and, you know, the toxic part of the fandom, you know, saying that, oh, you're not a real Star Wars fan if you like this show, because this isn't what George would have wanted or whatever. Um, but, you know, there, there's a lot of, you know, there's a degree of negativity around it, just like the prequels had. But I think 20 years from now, there will still be people who absolutely love this show 
And there will also be some people that maybe don't love it as much, but I don't think, you know, I, I think maybe the, the, either the opinion of it will improve over time or just like the, that's sort of where the conversation will stay. Like the, the people with the strong positive opinions are going to keep those strong positive opinions and the people with the strong negative opinions are just going to kind of fade out into like, eh, I don't care. It wasn't for me. And like not make as big of a deal out of it, I hope. Because I know there's still people out there that don't like the prequels, but, like, you don't hear prequel hate nowadays like you did back when the movies first came out. Now the conversation around the prequels is primarily dominated by people who loved those movies at the time and still love them now. So I hope that's the case with Obi-Wan going forward. Um, so, so uh, you know, we're... We're going to start just going episode by episode, and obviously we'll talk about uh, episode four first, which in my opinion was the weakest episode of the series, um, and one that, you know, I I had a few issues with. But then, especially with episodes five and six, like, that was some phenomenal Star Wars storytelling. Um, And yeah, something where, you know, even if certain maybe plot holes or... Uh, technical aspects of the show or, or certain little details here and there didn't, you know, work for you all that well. I think just, you know, the the strength of the story and the characters really carries it through. And especially, I mean, as we'll talk about this, obviously the finale, I think, is one of the best pieces of Star Wars te- storytelling that we've gotten over the last several years. And that, to me, is the mark of a good show where, like, if it's good enough all the way through, if it's if it's got enough good story to keep you hooked and enough cool, you know, action and visuals and whatever to keep you entertained, even if it has flaws, as long as it's good enough to keep you invested and along for the ride and then really stick the landing, you know, if, and I'm not saying this is the case with Obi-Wan, but if every episode of the show is like a seven out of 10 and then the finale or the last couple episodes are like nine out of 10, 10 out of 10 quality, where it's like everything that they've been building towards delivers a strong payoff and was worth the ride. Then that to me is a good show. So um, before we get started, I want to ask you, because you kind of alluded to something that I don't know if I, I don't know if you meant it or if I'd agree with it, but either way, but do you compare the response to Owen Kenobi as the same as the prequels as far as when they released? Because I don't think, think that at all. I think it's been majority of the people out there have been saying positive things. I think I feel it's been mostly positive, you know, uh, viewings. I mean, yeah, there's people nitpicking things here, you know, or there, but for the most part, I would say this has been a, a pretty huge success, you know, for Disney plus. Am I, am I wrong on this? No, I think yeah, it's definitely not the same. Like it, like I said, it's still more overall positive reaction um, to to Obi Wan than there was to the prequels. I think at least from critics. I mean, it's kind of hard to tell because, like, obviously, I was a kid when the prequels came out, and everybody that I knew loved those movies um, until you know it was like the older I got, the more voices I heard saying that those movies weren't very good, and then seeing you know all the critic reviews and stuff like that. Um, and even the like the critic reviews, I feel like have for the most part been pretty kind to Obi Wan. I guess I guess that would be the biggest difference is like with the prequels, like a lot of the a lot of the film critics agreed with you know the fans that didn't like it. Whereas in this case, I mean, I've seen some critic reviews that have been critical of it, but you know, I guess if you look at the scores on like Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb or whatever, um, you know, there's it's more positive than negative. But still, it's just hard to ignore that 
sort of loud negative part of the fandom and in some parts of the the critics in the media too. Um, And look, I mean, people have their right to be critical of it. I'm not saying everybody has to love it. I'm just saying that I think, I'm, I'm not saying it's the same response as the prequels. I'm just saying it's similar in the sense that like it has elements and characters and story that make it really strong, but also has some weaker elements too. And it's like some people focus on one or the other and there's, um, that, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, well, without further ado, let's just go ahead and jump into it. Um, like I said, we'll start with episode four. We'll probably go through this one pretty quick because uh, compared to the other two, I don't have a ton of, uh, you know, huge talking points in here that I want to talk about. But um, of course, I say that for us, you know, we're still probably going to talk about this for at least 30, 40 minutes or whatever. But um, yeah, so this one. Uh, story-wise, we're picking up from the end of episode three, where Obi-Wan had his first confrontation with Vader and kind of got his butt kicked and managed to escape with the help of uh, Tala and Ned B. And uh, so they take him to Jabim, which we did, in fact, see. I remember on our last episode debating, you know, are, are we actually going to get to go to Jabim or are they going to divert to, you know, go help Leia? Jabim! But, yeah, because um, I remember I rewatched that again after we... I watched that episode tons of times, <laughs> chapter three, but I, she did specifically say, we got to get him to Jabim. Like, okay, yeah, we're mm-hmm. definitely going there. <laughs> we're going to see it. Yeah. Um, no, and I, I remembered that too from the first time we watched it. It was just, you know, they also, I think at that point, didn't realize that Leia had been taken. And so it was like, are they going to go to Jabim or are they going to go after her? So, um, but yeah, they go to Jabim. We see, uh, there, it starts with that cool kind of, I don't know if you'd call it a montage of like Obi-Wan and Vader both in their back to tanks and kind of comparing their injuries. You know, we're seeing Obi-Wan as he's been burned from the fire by Vader. And then we're seeing Vader's just, you know, scarred skin and his missing limbs and stuff like that with like some very similar shots. So that was a cool way to start it off and kind of parallel the two. Um, And then Obi-Wan, you know, kind of wakes up, jumps out of the back to tank and is like, oh, we got to go rescue Leia. Um, and so, uh, you know, he's there with Tala and we meet, uh, Roken for the first time, um, who's, you know, kind of the leader of this movement, um, the path, I guess. I don't know if he's like the leader of the whole organization, but at least this kind of this group that they're with there on Jabim. Um, and he was a cool character. We're seeing him for the first time in this episode played by, uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr. Who we didn't know what role he was going to play in this. Um, but cool to see another, like early rebel leader type character, you know, one that you can definitely see this becoming maybe one of the, the separate uh, cells or organizations that maybe eventually becomes part of the rebel Alliance. Um, But yeah, cool new character there with him. And uh, you know, he, we get a little bit hit his own backstory where he's been at this for a while, you know, just kind of helping smuggle refugees and force sensitive kids and um, surviving Jedi. And, and it's kind of this, it's this cool, like, almost like underground railroad type thing that they've got going on. Um, That was kind of the first thing that stuck out to me. It's like the underground railroad for Jedi, where they've got these groups of people throughout different planets that are um, helping smuggle them along trade routes to eventually get to, you know, safe havens or planets that are outside of the Empire's jurisdiction or things like that. So I really like that story parallel there. Um, And then, uh, you know, Roken talks about how like he's, he's at first is reluctant to help Obi-Wan because he's got all these other people that he tries to care about. Um, And then, you know, you find out that like his wife was a Jedi and he tried to hide her and the empire and the inquisitors came for her anyway. And so, uh, you know, this is obviously taking a toll on him personally, but he eventually agrees to help Obi-Wan and um, 
So yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll let you guys talk if you have any thoughts on just that beginning part before we get into the uh, the mission to infiltrate the fortress Inquisitorius. Yeah. So for me, I remember saying how after chapter three, where I think we're gonna kind of get a palate cleanser type episode, where it's going to be dealing a lot with Obi Wan healing and dealing with his not only just his battle, but his the emotional and mental aspect of seeing. Anakin for the first time again as Vader and the episode started off right off the bat how I thought that's what it was going to be just seeing him in the back of the tank and I agree it was just so cool going back and forth seeing him in the back of the tank and Anakin in the back of the tank reliving that moment of them seeing each other for the first time since Mustafar and that was great and I kind of thought the episode was going to be that was going to be the whole episode where it's like them in the back, back of the tank and Obi-Wan's going to go on this not only physical healing but uh, mental healing and like healing through the force too. And this was going to be the moment where he starts to reconnect with the force more. And he kind of does over the course of the episode that we see later on, but it definitely went in a di different direction pretty quickly. So um, I kind of agree with you, or I shouldn't say kind, I do agree with you, Kyle, where this is um, my least favorite uh, episode out of the six. And I'll get you guys more, are both crazy. I'll get into reasons why as we go through the episode, but it started off kind of how crazy. I was hoping for, but um, it definitely it went in a different direction and not necessarily something that I thought was the best way to utilize one of the six episodes, but we'll get into it. But, the, but I will say I could kind of understand where maybe they didn't want to do that because it would have been a little similar to Book of Boba Fett, where we're spending a lot of time with a character in a back to tank going through flashbacks or having a vision or something to that effect. So I think they could have done it differently enough. So it wouldn't feel like a retread, but at the same time, I can understand what maybe they didn't want to kind of repeat that same type of storytelling. But um, yeah, so it was definitely started off in a direction that I thought was really cool, but then kind of went something down a different path that felt pretty familiar. So I'll just leave it at that for right now, but you guys are crazy. Seriously. <laughs> like I, I, I remember after the huge the episode three, which again, episode three of this series, which whom I love a lot. You know, oh, it's amazing. Whatever. <laughs> it's a great episode, but there's, it's not perfect. You know, it's got some, it's got some cheap stuff on it. And, you know, and there's some cheap stuff on all this whole, se on this whole season. I'm going to say right off the bat right now, I think the weakest episodes by far are still, the, I think the first episode. And I think a lot of it just seems, it's very, it just feels like in the first episode they're they're kind of uh, getting a feel for things still, and they haven't really figured out how things are. You know, characters. It just you can just tell. And I have no idea if they shot it in order, or I have no idea. Either way, the first episode just, just I think on an execution level is probably the weakest out of all of them. Now I would say this is probably the next one the weakest of this of the series, but I think for for me people rag on this. I'll never forget that third episode, you know, after that, you know, premiered and everyone was on a high, this episode came out and I, because I'm smart and want to enjoy my star Wars and now at, you know, 2am in the morning and I want to enjoy it and like refresh and relax <laughs> and just, you know, and now worried about like having to get sleep in the next day, you know, but unlike, unlike you two young whippersnappers. Uh, Tim, do anyway. you know anybody that was watching this at two in the morning? I don't. I, yeah, anyway, like, 
not even one o'clock we were finished with it. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. why even anyway, I I, I just because you can't hang the with the young kids, don't get mad at us. I know, dude. Today I just noticed my bald spot more and more today, and it really <laughs> bummed me out. I just want you to all know that. It was it was like I was like, I had a bald spot. My wife goes, Yeah. I'm like, damn. So <laughs> I wish uh, I was a lot younger, Paul, but I'm only a year younger than you. So yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. I, I, the only thing I will say is my wife goes, well, at least you're not Baldine. I'm like, that's fair. So anyway, um, I, sorry, sorry, everyone. I am old and it, it was just more, more prevalent than ever the last weekend for me in many, in many different ways, but that's okay. I don't mind. But babe, what I was trying to say was with this fourth, fourth episode, I, I watch it, you know, and I avoid social media, but every once in a while I wouldn't see things here or there before. And I, you know, on Twitter, cause I, I try to stay off it for the most part, but every once in a while, you know, might catch something as I'm look checking in my DMs or whatever, because you know all those people be sliding in them. Um, anyway, uh, so and I saw people say a lot of like just kind of like, oh, this wasn't a very good episode, and this is a filler episode, and blah 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 blah. I'm like, well, that's a bummer. You know, I'm just like, well, that's kind of stinky. You know, it's kind of after the high of, of episode three. I watched it. I'm like, I loved it. What, what's wrong with these people? Like, I don't get it. Like, I just don't get it. I mean. They're again, like the whole series, the same issues of I think production and things like that come into play. But a lot of people were harping on things where I'm like, I I don't get it. You know, is it a, is it a little bit of a side quest? Sure, but I I think I'd I'd watch this over the first episode by any any in any day because I think this episode is short, it's compact. I like I actually like the editing. It feels like every all their, everyone's characters are pretty like set in motion and feels comfortable whereas the first episode you don't really have that it takes a while it's the only exception is Ewan McGregor he already because he's already played the character of three freaking movies so I just feel this, this episode in my opinion is not the weakest it's one of the weakest but it's not the weakest in my opinion um that's so that's still the first one which I still like again I like the first episode but it's just it definitely when I rewatched it last week when I did, did a rewatch of all of them in a row I definitely felt that and it only cemented my feelings. I'm like, yeah, this first episode is, is not terrible, but it's just not super great. And I think that's where a lot, if people didn't like the series, I think the, I think the main reason is because that first episode is a little rough. It's a little rough in places. So, but anyway, I say all that because when I, when they start off with the, um, you know, with the back to tank scene, you know, obviously, I, I, I thought, oh, maybe this is why people didn't like it. Cause they're going to be some, you know, maybe some flashbacks, you know, and, because you know we all the rumors about that and book of both yada yada yada. Well, but like you said, Tim, I immediately was like, okay, I'm into this because you had the you have the comparison of Darth Vader and Obi Wan, these two brothers, you know, that are linked together. They're both in the same thing in different aspects, right? You have Vader who's trying to heal in his, you know, you know he's all limbed up, and then you have Obi Wan trying to heal himself. I just love, I think the. Um, the analogy of, of healing, uh, emotional healing and how one has more than the other. And, and you know what I mean? Like, I just like that. They're both trying both yeah. to physically and emotionally heal and they're and having them both together struggling with that. It's just, Oh, it was awesome. And I yep. think that to me is where I, it maybe won me over immediately because it's not just playing it straight. Like, Let's just kind of put him in a heel, and then he's like, "Oh my God, I have these visions of Vader's fight. It's really scary." And I woke up, and then Tala had to be like, "What do I go back into heel?" I mean, like, it's not, that's the typical boring way to do it. But the, again, there's a more artistic way of doing things, which I gotta give this series a lot of credit for. 
I think, even though I think it does fail in some of the artistic um, boundaries that, that I think Deborah Chow and and the showrunner um, have kind of pushed it. I mean, they they both win and lose in certain areas. I think they've won more than they lose, but some of the artistic things of doing doing that, like like this, I thought were fantastic, and it only enhanced, I think, the um, my anticipation for their their eventual rematch that we're going to get, you know, in a few episodes. So. That to me, I thought was it won me over immediately. I think I think it was a great creative decision, and it just an emo- and it really added the emotional weight of these two characters. Yeah, definitely. And I think I mean, obviously, one thing that was surprising, like I think we got more Vader in this series than I was expecting. Um, I was expecting one thousand percent. Yeah, I was expecting a lot of him just in the last couple episodes. Obviously, we didn't see him right off the yeah. bat. You know, we get our first brief glimpse of him in episode two, but then. Um, you know, he's prominent in episode three and then here in episode four, it kind of starts and ends with him. You know, he's not in the episode a lot, but we see again, this parallel between him and Obi-Wan at the beginning. And then he shows up with the Inquisitors at the end. Um, so again, kind of keeping that through line, um, that, you know, they're, they're reminding you that the whole time Vader's there, he's, he's on the hunt for Obi-Wan. He's involved in this story. And then, um, of course in the last two episodes, you know, it gets involved in a big way, um, but yeah, I mean, it it makes me glad that like they brought back Hayden Christensen and then put him to good use. And, you know, we didn't just get like one scene with him as Anakin or one scene with, uh, you know, seeing his face under the Vader helmet. Like he got to do a lot of stuff with this. So, um, yeah, that was really cool. And even in an episode, again, where he doesn't prominently feature, you know, we still get some some glimpses of him that really made an impact on it. Um, but yeah, so then... Uh, you know, like I said, all this stuff with we get our introduction to Roken on Jabim and all that. And then uh, they map out this plan to go rescue Leia from the Fortress Inquisitorius. Uh, you know, they've got their their schematics of it that they managed to somehow steal from the Empire. And um, I see Obi-Wan and Tala go in there. She's still we get a little bit more of her backstory, too, where, you know, she is an Imperial. Um, you know, she said she joined up with the Empire thinking that, you know, they were good and that they stood for something. And then by the time she realized who they actually were, it was too late. And she inadvertently helped get a family, um, uh, or I guess it was a whole group of people. Cause she said there were like 14 people on, on, uh, I forget, maybe Garel. I think that was the planet she said, cause it was one that we'd heard of from rebels before. Um, yeah, I was like Garel. Isn't that where, um, they go to on the little like, second episode. Yeah. Like, now Italy, yeah, I think they All maybe go there a couple times in Rebels, <laughs> but yeah, pretty early on in the first season, they go there. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, you know, I, I, really quickly, I just want to say about Tala, and we're and this is this is obviously she she to me just just jumps at the screen immediately, and I talked about that in the third episode where she's only in it for like a quick minute, but holy crap, like this episode I, again, I know. Everyone complains will complain about some of the action scenes with her and some of the scenes with her. But regardless, it kind of this echoes exactly what I referred to earlier, guys, is, is that when you have a great actor, actress, whatever, playing a part, they transcend all that crap. You know what I mean? Like, you know, for the dialogue, maybe it won't be the greatest or the setting is not the greatest or, the, or like, you know, again, like the action scenes aren't necessarily what they have her do or them do whatever. Right. The great thing is about good actors is that they transcend that stuff. And to me, I, I need to get her name. I, I'm so terrible at names. But the at, lady playing talent from Game of Thrones, she is so good. So, so good. I mean, she just jumps at the screen. And every time she's on, 
I'm just like glued to it. It's just weird because like you know O'Shea Jackson, solid, not not blowing my mind. Um, uh, I've always forget the guy from Eternals. You know the comedian guy. I love I love that guy. But I I can always forget his name too. I'm so terrible with names. Um, but you know he's solid. But she just jumps at the screen, man. And I just I'm glued to it. And, and yeah, she's beautiful. But again, like her character, her portrayal, of the character, it just she to me her and Obi or Obi Wan, you know slash. Ewan McGregor, they carry this episode 1,000% the whole way, and I believe it. And I think, to me, why I like it so much is because of those two actors just killing it. And I think if you have a, a lesser actor playing Tala, it maybe is the worst episode of the series, potentially, because of that. I feel, despite the slap, which we'll probably get to in a little bit, or you know, having Tala talk out loud what they're doing to like people right next door to her, Despite that, I think she is she, her portrayal and her and her, her character in this episode alone just makes it, it helps carry this whole thing. It makes me really root for her and root for Obi Wan even more, you know, for these, you know, for everything. And it just, I don't know, I, I really like Tala. I, I was really impressed with the character. And I, I really hope we get to see more of her on screen in some ways, um, you know, maybe in Andor, maybe. Who knows, right? But I would love to see her kind of like something like maybe even a one shot, um, you know, maybe a one time movie with her helping um, to see her eventual turn from, you know, Imperial to on Garel. And maybe, who knows, maybe Quinlan Voss is involved in that. Maybe that's a good way to kind of spin off Quinlan Voss in his own series and everything. So, which I still think is a very, very, very solid possibility at this point. Oh, well, I'll I'll so, get to where I want to see Quinlan Voss next. Um, right. But but but, um, but yeah, but Tala dude is a, she's she's phenomenal. Like that that character like should have been the pretty average. That actor blew that thing up and made her like a really gave her a lot of substance in just how she performed. I thought. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and and first of all, just because I think this is the weakest episode of the series, and actually, I mean, to be honest, so I just did a marathon of these uh, yesterday. I watched the whole series again in order, um, and after rewatching them all, I think episode two might actually be my least favorite. Um, I like episode. I, can see that. I, can I like see that. episode one more than you give it credit for, and again, it's it's because of the performance and just the character arc of Obi Wan in that first episode. I think is really great. Um, two and four, I think are probably the weakest ones, but that doesn't mean I don't like the episodes. And especially with this one, like, is it my favorite? No, but I also wouldn't say it's bad. And certainly, uh, you know, if, if there's issues with it, those issues don't have anything to do with the performances and the, uh, just the strength of the characters in this episode, because you're right, like Obi-Wan and Tala both have, uh, just sort of fantastic showings in this episode. Um, and like I was saying, yeah, we get more of her backstory fleshed out. We found out she was on Garel accident. You know, it sort of inadvertently helped the Inquisitors round up this family of Force-sensitive people and killed them all. And she didn't realize that that was what was going on. Um, and so from that point forward, she vowed to, you know, help people avoid that situation. And so, um, you know, and she still works within the Empire as a spy. And uh, I like the way they use that kind of to, to cool effect later with Reva, where she kind of pretends she can use that within the empire to say like, Oh yeah, I'm a double agent. Like I infiltrated these people. Um, but really, you know, she's working to help the people get free. We see her, she shows Obi-Wan her holster where she's got like a notch on there for every person that she helps, uh, escape to, you know, to freedom or safety. Um, awesome. Yeah, awesome. that was, that was really cool. Um, 
And so we see the two of them go in together. You know, again, she's still got Imperial officer clearance, so she just flies her shuttle right there into the uh, into the fortress. Um, and and like you were saying, it was a little goofy where like Obi Wan is kind of sneaking through, and she's sitting there in the Imperial comm station, you know, with her comm link like guiding him through. And there's people like six feet away from her, and I'm like, none of you guys can hear this. Like, I know she's whispering, but um, especially when they Star had a scene. Star Wars is goofy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sure, there's a certain amount of like suspending your disbelief. Um, and I feel that way with, with a lot of the show. There were some, I feel like several times throughout the show, there were like little things that you could consider plot holes or inconsistencies that like didn't break the story. It wasn't a huge deal. And it's like, if you want to be negative and focus on it, you could get real nitpicky about it. Um, and this was one for me that, again, didn't make it a bad episode. It was just a little goofy. And I'm like, they could have found a way to maybe stage this differently or had them. I mean, don't they have texting in Star Wars? Like, you know, you you could have done something a little different, especially when Obi-Wan's going through the hallway and she calls to him over the communicator and like a couple of stormtroopers that are walking by hear it. And like they were farther away and have helmets over their heads as opposed to like the Imperial security officers that were sitting like six feet away from her. And I'm like, these guys... I don't know, maybe they had their AirPods in, you know, listening to music while they're working or something. I don't know. Um, again, they have si- internal AirPods. Yeah, a little That's, silly, yeah, but not it was it was a little silly, but not, not, you know, not not episode breaking. Um, but even before she gets in there and is, is talking with Obi-Wan, you have that again, what was a great character moment for her where she's, uh, you know, she's trying to get through the security and the officer demands her clearance and, um, you know, or like demands her identification and she doesn't have it on her. And she's able to just talk him down being like, look, I'm a higher rank than you. I'm a commanding officer. I've got, uh, you know, secret intel that I need to get in here and analyze or transmit or whatever. And, uh, you know, gives him this cover story, but is like very forceful and persuasive about persuasive about it. And, uh, you know, not taking his crap and basically just intimidates this guy into letting her through. And then after she gets through, you can see, like, how how nervous she was about it. You know, you kind of have this little moment of vulnerability, but she certainly didn't show that when she was dealing with the uh, the security officer. So, um, yeah, that was a really cool moment. Um, again, you know, just kind of getting to see kind of different sides of her character, see her her sort of reckon with her past and uh, then be able to still slip into that role of like a forceful commanding Imperial officer um, and pull that out when she needs to, when she's really, you know, kind of more good and, and soft hearted. So um, yeah, I like seeing that a lot. Yeah. All that stuff moving into or, or them getting into the fortress and the fortress looked great too. Just seeing it in live act. We got a little bit of a glimpse of it of the trailer, um, but just seeing it, throughout the course of this episode and of course first seeing it in jedi fallen order it looked great seeing the live action just even while they're inside you're looking through the window to see it underneath the the ocean and just seeing the aquatic life just kind of swim around there all of it looked great but um see my whole thing with this episode as far as why it's not my favorite it just really felt like just the main plot of it just really felt like a retread of the second episode of the series. I know I've seen complaints. Oh, they're just kind of redoing a new hope again of Obi-Wan trying to rescue Princess Leia who's held captive in like an Imperial, an Imperial base. But I felt it was a little more familiar within the series. Cause we already had the episode of Obi-Wan needing to rescue Leia in the second episode. And yet 
we're doing pretty much the exact same thing again in this one. And when you only have six episodes in the course of the series, it just seems like you wouldn't want to do the same thing twice when you have that limited amount of episodes uh, to play to play with to tell the story that they want with Obi-Wan. And there are, I know the purpose it serves in the grand scheme of things, because this is, they wouldn't be, the Empire, <laughs> Reva and Vader wouldn't be able to track um, Obi-Wan and everyone involved with the path to Jabim. And that was pretty much the main purpose of this episode when you look at it over the course of all six. But I don't know, it just felt like the time could have been spent doing something a little more different than what we got here with another story of trying to rescue Princess Leia, even though the setting's different, what goes down is different than episode two. Um, it just felt really similar, similar to me as I was watching it um, as far as the basic plot of the story of the episode. So that's kind of where my main criticism criticism of it comes from and why it is my least favorite, just because it's kind of, we've already went through this before over the course of the series. And it just seemed like to have Leia be kind of be captured twice and be rescued twice over this short amount of episodes to do. I just kind of wish they would have spent since we already got that. And, and I really loved episode two because just the dynamic that we got between Obi-Wan and Leia was just fantastic in that episode. And that was the episode to do it with was him rescuing Leia. So in this one, we didn't get too much of that, of their interaction in this one. Um, but again, it's, we do, like I said, we do get to different things. This is also where we get to see Obi-Wan kind of, get back into shape a little bit with using his lightsaber, getting some good practice with some more incompetent stormtroopers, um, and just kind of give him a better feel with swinging his lightsaber. Um, so that stuff was cool to see. But again, it just, I kind of wish we would have, and I don't want to sound like, oh, because I hate the type of thing of wishing for things we didn't get. I hate to look back and be that type of <laughs> looking that way at the series. But I think a time would have been maybe spent a little better if it was mainly dealing with Obi-Wan and his dealing with the outcome of him seeing Anakin again. It just because it was such a traumatic experience for him that we saw in that third episode. And it kind of seemed, or I couldn't say it kind of, it did seem like he just kind of got over it pretty quickly. And it was because, for good reason, knowing that he had to rescue Leia, and that comes first and foremost. But if she wasn't captured in the first place again, I thought maybe it could have been, that episode really could have delved into Obi-Wan's mindset and just kind of dealing and coming to terms with seeing Anakin that way again and just having the entire episode focus of that and have him kind of get back into shape as a Jedi more as he did in this episode, but just in a different way amongst the setting of trying to rescue Leia again. So that's kind of just how I feel about the episode overall as far as it not being my favorite. Again, though, I'm not going to say it's bad because I still did enjoy a heck of a lot in this one because we did get some cool moments over the course of the episode with Obi-Wan and with other characters that um, are in this one too. But I just felt for a limited series with only six episodes, it did seem like already traveling some familiar ground with the entire premise of them trying to rescue Leia again, which we just saw uh, two episodes prior. You're, you're right. I think, I think you're right though, Tim, because a little bit in the sense of, yes, I understand why the criticism of, of going back to get Leia again I, I love seeing the Inquisitorious planet. That was great. And I thought it looked, looked fantastic. People yeah. complained about the, I thought, like the CGI backgrounds of that. Really? I thought, like, like uh, people, yeah, really good. People said, yeah, yeah I, thought, I, thought, I thought so too. I'm like, you guys are crazy, yo. You know? Yeah, so, I, I feel like really, in general, the some of the CGI and the, the settings and things of this show were uh, 
you know, not the certainly not the best stuff we've seen. Yeah, from, they're inconsistent. From, they're yeah, inconsistent. yeah. But I would, I mean, for me, this was one of my favorite ones. Just visually, like yeah. I love the look Agreed, of the fortress yeah. and everything. There were some other places that I had some issues with. Not that there was anything that looked bad. There were just some places that didn't look great. Or that looked just kind of bland or a little bit, yeah, a little, yeah, bit yeah. a little bit muddy, for lack of a better term. But to me, this was not one of them. And and, and really quickly, I, I just want to say too that with I, I feel like yes, you could say it's a retread. I but I think you, you have to end episode three. You end episode three in such a, in such a dramatic way with Riva capturing Leia. I also think it because you need Riva to kind of expand Riva a little bit and give her more. Like the fact that she's more on thin ice than than what we have, and I think that's kind of one reason why you go back to the Inquisitoris headquarters, is I think you need to show that Riva is kind of you know she needs to connect to Leia, show that she's ready to like destroy Leia. I, I feel this is definitely this is definitely more of a vehicle to kind of bring Riva out a little bit um, and, and kind of explain more. And I think also just to have a little fun romp, which I'm always down with. And that's just me. But I think it, oh, it was definitely mainly, fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think. But here's the other thing I'm going to say. I think it was I definitely feel this is where I think the people could say, like, a big Reva, a big character, blah, blah, blah. this is one where I would say this was not I, which I don't think is accurate. But I would say that which I, I like. I like Reva as a character. Don't get me wrong. But I definitely feel like this was more of her episode as far as like her developing her. But you know, at the same time, you needed you you kind of needed this to kind of do a lot of different things to set up the next episode because obviously the tracker and everything. Um, but that all being said, I do feel that there the, besides that kind of stuff, which I think in Riva getting you know having more reason to set that up, it, and again the fun romp, I love it. But one thing I think that we I think is important is the epi- the part where Obi Wan sees the Jedi. Right, like that whole part is so important because I think oh, it sets yeah, up. That, yeah. Well, right, it, it was cool. And don't get me wrong. I know we'll dive more into it. I didn't want to steal a thunder, and I, I only bring it up now, Kyle, because I do think that was setting up something. I don't. We can speculate on what it is later, but I do feel this fourth episode was also trying to set things up. I think for Riva, and I think a little bit of kind of. With, with, with um uh oh my gosh uh I forgot his name o- O'Shea's character o- O'Shea Jackson's character um oh yeah Roken uh Roken yeah Roken you know he explains his wife and when he and they and he goes and sees all the Jedi it, to me that wasn't that wasn't a uh, that wasn't an accident and I feel that this whole revelation when he goes and sees the Jedi down down there and, and what that could mean there's a lot there's a lot of different speculation things but I don't think it's an accident. I, I definitely don't believe in that. So that's yeah. So I, I mean, do, I don't. I do. I do think that this episode was meant to kind of push some kind of narrative overall and mythology forward for something else coming or eventually potentially coming. See, I don't think it was necessarily a setup, but I think it's. I mean, for one thing, it's just adding to the the mythology of the Inquisitors. Um, you know, now we know like what it's, they do. What they up, now I, we know I, what they I, do I with their what, now now we know what they do with the Jedi that they kill. Um, but also I think it's, yeah, it's, it's, I think that, and I think this show planted several seeds of things that are not necessarily Lucasfilm going, okay, this is what's next, but they're thinking we could do more with this. Um, you could do more with the path. You could do more with Quinlan Voss. You could do more with the Inquisitors and more of what they're doing with these Jedi that they keep, you know, 
Mm -hmm. I was going to say captive, but, you know, keeping these bodies down there. I mean, we saw them do something very similar with Luminara in Rebels, where she was in like a coffin, essentially. But the background of it looked a lot like the chambers that they were keeping these dead Jedi in. So, I mean, and I think... If anything, I, I think it really was kind of meant to just be more intimidating and and just sort of. No, I agree. Um, yeah, it, it's like a, a like a trophy room where they're, you know, they're displaying all the Jedi that they've killed. But um, the one but in, in classic com- in, in, in the comic books and in, in, in the Star Wars, but in, in comic book mainstream like Marvel and DC and, and Tim will back me up on this. This is a great example. And I feel like the serialized kind of idea in planting these things is is not just like like you said it's not like saying like we're gonna set this up and it's gonna be a new series called jedi and amber like nothing like nothing like that you know <laughs> i'm not saying what i'm what I'm, and i don't think you're saying that you're, you're saying that, you're saying i'm saying that either but what i'm trying to say is that in the comic books in marvel especially in the, in the early 60s one of the reasons why i think they were so successful is they planted so many different things and that different writers would pick up on those things they planted or they just kind of like, you know, different the throwaway things they brought in and a writer would go, hey, I have an idea for that. What if we went blah, 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 blam, And all of a sudden you get like a whole different thing and it's just insane. I mean, Marvel Comics, you know, from the 60s and 70s are just enriched with that. After Stan Lee started giving the writers, a, 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 you know, Thomas, Conway, Ween, and, um, you know, Wolfman, all these writers that they were, you know, that were there, they are huge fans of this material, like genuine fans. And they took all these different seeds that you're talking about and they'd start making their own ideas and also entwining them together. And all of a sudden it enriches everything that much more. And I think that's what they're doing. I think with, you know, with Roken, I think with the, with the Amber, you know, all that stuff, that's only them planting ideas for things that could, you know, the Quinlan Voss reference. These aren't things they have to touch on later. But these are giving them the opportunity to bring up later if they want to. They're not necessarily vital, but they're just parts they can always go back to and, and expand upon in TV shows, books, and movies. And, and the thing is, that's the beauty of having an ongoing continuity. People say that, you know, when you have this big inter, you know, continuity, it's always, you know, it's too much and it's hard to keep track of. And there's truth there too. But even though that all being said, if the comic writers can do like 60 books a month, almost, I mean, I'm saying, you know, back in the seventies or it's like 20, 30 books a month, they can keep track of some novels and some shows and movies together for the most part and, and, and whatever. And I say all that to say that this is, these are things that you do when you're doing this ongoing continuity, you know, you don't have to explain everything. You can plant different seeds and different ideas. Now, well, yeah. Have, and I mean, look, Star Wars has done that forever too. Right. I mean, heck even think well, about like, yeah, I mean, nah, think of well, prime example. That's the way I'm saying. Prime example, and the first thing that comes to mind for me is a New Hope. The when when Obi Luke says you fought in the Clone Wars, and like the Clone Wars has nothing to do with the story in Episode Four, but that ends up being a huge thing later. Um, and well, there's a lot of right, there's, right, there's things already I'll existing in the continuity that they could you know pick up and that we haven't had full stories about yet or whatever. But obviously, but, this is certainly just these, adding to that. These are things. And, Exactly. It, yeah. It, no, I'm just saying. Like, it, it, I'm just saying that it's not something new. Like, it's not. It's not revolutionary. But like, we have well, a lot of things like this in Star Wars already, and this was just adding more to it. Well, I, I, but I think with Disney Star Wars specifically, they haven't because there is an ongoing narrative. It's all connected more instead of just through films and whatnot. I do think that they're. Because George put that stuff in, George had a different intention at the time. He always wanted to go back and tell those movies, so there was always that idea. But this is a little bit different in a sense to where 
you're 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 putting this information in and you think oh maybe we could always do something this with this later or someone else can add to it later on and you know and just leave it there and i i feel that's what they're doing instead of having again people always want you know excel spreadsheets of exact or you know a, a powerpoint presentation of how things all work in things you know red skywalker people always complain about that i don't want to bring the, you know bring up a you know, dead horse here but these ideas of like you know sometimes it's just cool to get you know again star wars is a is a is a you know episodic thing and i feel that whole idea of the comic book continuity from Marvel in the 60s and 70s that they really made popular of all these really interconnected things and expanding on them later on and different writers is this is, is becoming more and more prevalent through the Disney Plus series. And that's what I'm trying to say is that now they're like, oh, we don't just have the movies and the comics to kind of, you know, the books to like all intertwine to each other. Now we can do all kinds of different things and, and pick up on different ideas and different and not just the movies, but oh, we can pick up on this plot thread in a comic book or later on, you know, and instead of, or if you don't like the comic book idea, in, in a TV show. I think the fact that the TV aspect has been so huge for Star Wars, which again, I, I brought up earlier in the show, it only adds to the repertoire of, of, of what they can do storytelling-wise as far as an ongoing narrative and different plot points and different things by planning these different things like this. So I think these are, like the Clinton Voss reference, all that is huge. I'll get to that later on, but I, I love, I love this whole throne room or the trophy room scene. Yeah. And I mean, obviously like, I think it's, I, w I don't know if I'd say it's better, but like, I like them doing stuff with this in the TV shows because I think the difference between this and the movies is like, especially with, well, you, the, you know, with the most recent Disney films, you had stuff in there that people expected to be important. Like for example, the Knights of Ren. You know, you throw them in real briefly in The Force Awakens and we all start speculating exactly. and expect them to be hugely important and then they end up not being. And then, you know, now they've become more important in the comics and stuff, but you thought they were going to be essential to that trilogy and they weren't. Whereas with this, you can add in some stuff, you know, again, like like when, when they name drop Quinlan Voss in episode three, I was hoping he would show up in this series, but by the end of it, he doesn't, but that didn't take away from it. And it didn't like really get my hopes up. I wasn't disappointed. Like they don't spend a lot of time lingering on him or make him seem like, seem like he's going to be super important. But now we know that canonically he's alive and they can bring that character in if they want to. So um, I think maybe they did a better job of planting some of those seeds and, and setting them aside and not getting you super invested or getting your hopes up uh like some other things have done um but then of course yeah so with this with this uh you know all these jedi that they've got we get uh Terra Sanube from clone wars is like the first one that obi-wan sees and i was like <laughs> man you guys didn't have to do us like that um right <laughs> you know not that i expected Terra Sanube to uh survive order 66 i mean i in fact i Probably don't think I ever really gave much thought to whether he survived or not, but I, I assumed he was dead because we assume most of the Jedi are dead. Um, but yeah, just, you know, seeing him like just sort of hauntingly suspended in, in Amber was like, oh man, that was rough. Yeah, I definitely wasn't expecting that. But right when you saw him, you're like, oh no, not Terrence Anube. <laughs> it was like, you kind of imagine where he, he went down protecting younglings from the yeah. inquisitors at least that's how i like to think as we see him do in clone wars just mentoring the young jedi in such a great way uh it's it sucks to know that this was his outcome but it's sad to say that's the fate of most of the jedi that we knew ha happened after order 66 and, but yeah seeing Terra sanube there besides you know it wasn't the best light to see him in obviously but still kind of cool to see 
his, his character in live action portrayed <laughs> as we knew him from Clone Wars in there. And it just made me wonder, oh man, who else are we going to see um, in this trophy room? But he was definitely the probably the only standout notable character out of the ones that Obi-Wan was looking at. But still, yeah. that was a tough visual to see, <laughs> knowing just what a great Jedi mentor he was from what we got to see him in the Clone Wars. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there was one other one that looked like Coleman Codge, who's like a background, you know, he's on the Jedi Council in episode three, but we never really spent any time with that character. Um, but uh, yeah, the, you know, that, that Tara Sanube was a gut punch for sure. This was another thing where, um, just in general, the whole sequence of him infiltrating the, the fortress was cool. I love the look of it. But, you know, Tim, you talked about how a lot of people said like, oh, this episode was just kind of a retread of A New Hope. And it felt very similar with Obi-Wan, you know, being part of a rescue mission to break Leia out of an Imperial stronghold. But it also felt very similar to Jedi Fallen Order, where you have a lone Jedi going in, infiltrating the fortress through a secret underwater hatch, and then sneaking through the hallways and taking out stormtroopers. And then even at the very end when, um, you know, there's like a whole squad of stormtroopers coming at him in the hallway and like they shoot a window and the window breaks and he uses the force to hold the water back and then like floods the hallway. And I was like, I've seen all this before. I've done this in Fallen Order. Obi-Wan, you know, and it's like, Again, not that I'm complaining that this is a plot hole or whatever. It's just weird that the Empire would, like, let that happen twice. That, you know, you would think they'd maybe have reinforced the windows down in the underwater sections a little <laughs> bit. Um, especially the fact that, like, one stray blaster bolt was enough to, to crack it and let all this water in. So, and again, you know, I, I'm not getting all bent out of shape about it. But it also was just like, you know, they could have done this a little bit differently. Um, especially, and maybe it's I will a, say a, that was a, that was brutal. Yeah, and, and maybe it's just a weird coincidence that, like, this was also the second time in the series that we had a moment that was straight out of Jedi Fallen Order, because also in the second episode when he rescues Leia using the Force for the first time was, like, almost the exact same way of uh, how Cal rescued his friend uh, at the beginning of Jedi Fallen Order when he's using the first the Force for the first time in several years, and I'm like... That's just an echo. That's just, that's just like poetry. It's rhyming. I know, I know, I know, but it's, like, the, <laughs> but it's staged the same way. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It was but at the it, same time, you could see where it's like, obviously they know a lot more people are watching the series and who played the game. So a lot of people are kind of experiencing this for the first time. Yeah. Seeing the yeah. stuff, which was probably cool for them, but it, you know, for us diehards, it, it's you just, do get those moments of deja vu. <laughs> yeah. It's just funny. Cause like as a, a diehard Jedi fallen order fan, I mean, you guys, if you've listened to the show before, you know how much I freaking love that game. Um, and it was like cool to see those moments and be like, oh, I recognize this from the game or, oh, we've seen this before. But then also be like, oh, like, no, I've, I've seen this beat for beat before. Like, you guys don't have to do it the exact same way. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, it by was, the way, it, I want to really quickly, I, I really quickly, I just want to talk about Terrence and Nube for me real quick. Uh, that was a that was a gut punch. But you know what? He looks pretty awesome, like in live action. So I'm yeah. like, you know, I, let, let's uh. Let's do let's do a uh, Terrence Nube. Maybe maybe that if it is Amber, maybe he's alive and they unthaw him and he comes out after Rise of Skywalker. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I have to believe at least my uh, I know he's dead. maybe, maybe dude, I'll find he looks out. sweet though. He looks amazing. Yeah, no, he does look good in live action. I'm assuming all these Jedi are dead and that we're seeing them just again suspended. You know, it's almost like uh, you know, it's like Jedi taxidermy. Um as opposed to them just being also, in like some some kind of stasis that they could come out of later. Yeah. Well, and also too, how about the deep cut of Terrence Nube? Just just to that fact, 
That's a, yeah. That's a that's I as a Star Wars fan as as we're all diehards here. I can tell you that I appreciated that kind of level of Easter egg. Like that. Oh yeah. That to me is what that's what that's Star Wars fans or you know or, excuse me Star Wars creators doing doing good and doing right, not shoehorning something in, but doing something, but in a, in putting an Easter egg like that in. Chef's kiss, man. Oh yeah, I mean, and there were several of those throughout the series. I mean, Terra Sanube, Jabim, Quinlan Voss. Uh, you know, I, I loved all the. You know, there were several deep cut references in here that I thought were really great. Um, but also, I will say it was cool seeing Obi Wan just like going through the hallways with his lightsaber. You know, cutting down stormtroopers and stuff. The scene where he goes in to rescue Leia, and uh, you know, he shuts all the lights out, and then you see like the only lighting in the room. You have this very dim, like red lighting, and then his lightsaber coming on, cutting down the stormtroopers, and then yeah. turning back <laughs> off. That was really cool. Um, also, kind of reminiscent of uh, one of the cinematic trailers for the Force Unleashed Two, where Star Killer kind of does the same thing, but. Um, that was more of a thing where it was like, oh, we've seen the same kind of style of thing before, but he wasn't doing like the same moves or anything like that. But you could definitely tell, like, I, again, there were some some fans, whether it was the writer or or Deborah Chow or just people at Lucasfilm that were working on this. Um, you know, there were there were some some fans working on the show that wanted to throw in some deep cut references that was cool to see. But I really like, like one of the things I like about the show overall is just Obi-Wan's character arc and his progression. And not only his sort of emotional and and spiritual journey but the way that that's reflected in kind of his his physicality and his skill and his um i don't know coming back into like using the force and his lightsaber and stuff and the way that we kind of see a progression of that every episode you know episode one he digs his lightsabers out of the sand for the first time episode two he uses the force for the first time episode three he uses his lightsaber for the first time and gets his butt kicked and then episode four you know, this is where we kind of start to see Obi-Wan getting his mojo back. Like he's, he's cutting people yep. down. He's deflecting blaster bolts. He's becoming more proficient with his lightsaber and with the force. Episode five, we see him leading people, defending people. We see him sort of returning to form as like General Kenobi from the Clone Wars. And then of course, episode six, he reaches the point where he's able to go toe to toe with Vader again. And, uh, and especially by the end of that episode, obviously we'll, we'll get to that when we get there, but you know, seeing him, kind of cleaned up with a new outfit and a new look on life and uh, sort of having embraced the, you know, the path of the Jedi again um, is just a really cool, uh, you know, again, it's just such a great journey that he goes on, but the way that that's reflected in his, his fighting styles, his outfits, um, the way that we kind of slowly see him get more, more Jedi attire, you know, back on throughout the show. Um, I think they really just, you know, they, they really uh, just nailed his his characterization and his character arc and gave him a great journey to go on. And as much as this was not my favorite episode, like it was kind of an essential part of that. And it was cool just seeing him, you know, just seeing that lightsaber go and seeing him deflecting blaster bolts and taking down stormtroopers and stuff was uh, just a cool sight. Yeah, it was. And we're talking a lot of comparisons to video games, but uh, you couldn't help but think how these in live action, we really haven't seen too much of lightsabers taking down Imperial stormtroopers. Really. Yeah. 
and just to see Obi-Wan kind of do that, it just felt like going through a level in a, because that's pretty much all you do in a lot of the video games where you're a Jedi with a lightsaber, is just mowing down Stormtroopers, especially Force Unleashed, Fallen Order, some of more of the recent ones. So it was kind of cool to see that in live action with Stormtroopers was being taken down by lightsabers in a Jedi that we've seen so many times in video games. And just having to be Obi-Wan, and just like how you said, just slowly getting his groove back and it's almost like he realizes too like yeah i still got this or i'm still capable of being the jedi as i was kind of during the clone wars in that era because uh you know that was well, Tim, obviously- you had a, you had a viral tweet man when you you brought that up <laughs> that was awesome yeah that was definitely surprising <laughs> i was not expecting a simple <laughs> um observation that i've had with a, an image it was just mainly a great image i just love seeing obi-wan take down a stormtrooper to do his classic twirl lightsaber twirl it was just great seeing him in that pose it was like yep obi-wan realizes he still got it <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah that blew up unexpectedly but <laughs> it was just such a great <laughs> moment seeing the character kind of go through that aspect of his growth and kind of return to form really as a jedi this was the first step towards that involving lightsaber combat yeah for sure um and yeah you're right i mean just seeing seeing those poses again seeing him taking down stormtroopers and you're right like this is kind of the first time that we've seen a jedi taking down a bunch of stormtroopers in live action with a lightsaber um and i was getting that same kind of feel too especially where there were some where he kind of had to like he, he it took him like a couple strikes with his lightsaber to take down a certain trooper and i was like you know, I was like, hmm, that seems, again, it seems kind of video game-ish. And I was like, wait, have we seen that before? And I was like, oh, no, I guess we haven't really seen this before. I mean, we saw him and Yoda, like, taking down clones in, um, yeah, in, in Revenge of the Sith. But, um, yeah, it was, it was cool. And that was one thing that was sort of fun and different to see that we haven't really seen before. It's also cool to see, uh, you know, again, even the whole thing where he, he floods the hallway, like, we had seen that before. But seeing the Purge Troopers from Jedi Fallen Order in live action, but with slightly yeah, different helmets. Great. Um, which I guess I've, I've seen referred to as phase two purge trooper helmets and that those are now what we're going to see them as in, uh, in Jedi survivor. Um, that was a pretty cool, pretty cool new trooper design too. But yeah, so, you know, we see him, he goes through the, he rescues Leia. He takes out the troopers. Uh, now there's a cool scene where, um, I kind of mentioned this earlier where, uh, Reva comes in and is interrogating Tala and, uh, you know, and before this, Tala had almost been found out like there was an Imperial officer who came in and tried to interrogate her and she knocked him out and, and came back and kept doing her thing. But then uh, Reva finds her and starts questioning her and, you know, realizes that like she was the commanding officer on, um can't remember the name of the planet, but the last planet they were on in episode three. And, uh, you know, again, like Tala tries to convince her that she's a double agent, that she had infiltrated the path and was working with them and was... Uh, you know, trying to gain their trust and and had to stay deep undercover. And so she couldn't tell anyone, but then she tries to convince Reva that Obi-Wan is on Florum and that the, uh, the path is operating out of the Surtar sector, which again, as a Clone Wars fan was a great (laughs) deep cut and callback. And again, just making me really hope that we get to see Hondo in live action in one of these shows one day. Cause again, that's his planet. Um, I'm hoping maybe it'll be in the Ahsoka series because like Ahsoka knows Hondo. They could go to Florum if they needed, you know, a pilot to smuggle them somewhere. Um, but that was really cool to see. And I, I kind of had a feeling I was like, I don't think we're going to actually go there. Uh, you know, we're probably not going to see, going to see Hondo in this, but it would be fun if we did. Um, 
but just the, the image not big enough for them to go to floor for this episode yeah no but the just you know the image of like an alternate timeline in which reva takes a star destroyer and goes to Florum and has to deal with hondo trying to explain to her why obi-wan's not there like that would be so much fun um absolutely but yeah i hope we get to see him at some point but i i appreciated that deep cut regardless um but then, of course, you know, then the alarms go off because Obi-Wan and Leia got spotted. And so, uh, you know, Tala, like, gets arrested, but she manages to break out of that pretty easily. Um, and so Obi-Wan and Leia escape. They reunite with her. They they get to the hangar where they're surrounded by stormtroopers. And a couple of Roken's uh, pilots come in with uh, T-47 airspeeders. I guess we can't call them snowspeeders because there's no snow on this planet. <laughs> um, but that classic design that we all know is snowspeeders. Uh, they come in, they shoot up the hangar, they, you know, Obi-Wan and, and Leia and Tala escape after Obi-Wan, you know, walks through the hangar, like hiding Tala, uh, hiding Leia under his trench coat, which I know was another thing that like was too goofy for some people. And some people had like a legitimate gripe with it. Me, I was just like, eh, is it goofy? Sure. But we've seen goofy stuff like this in Star Wars before. And like, we know how, how vigilant stormtroopers are. And if there's kind of chaos going on and they're all running around, you know, maybe they wouldn't wouldn't notice that out of the the side of their helmets because we know they can't see anything in those helmets anyway so um i could i could take it or leave it um but uh yeah i don't know what you guys think about this whole like hangar escape sequence yeah seeing obi-wan and leia just kind of trying to hide her in that big over (laughs) grown trench coat did feel a little silly not gonna lie but at the same time it's like obi-wan made his way through the death star with Imperial officers like walking feet, five feet behind him and they don't see him or do anything. <laughs> and so it's kind of one of those things, suspend your disbelief for a little bit here. And, and just kind of have to roll with it, even though it's maybe not, you know, the most realistic scenario of how to get out of there, but um, nothing to, not one of the things where I really had an issue that made me go, oh, this is where I really don't like the episode. It was just silly. But um, in regards to the, Hangar escape. I know this is something we were speculating on from scenes in the trailer where we saw Reva deflecting blaster bolts and uh, laser blasts. And it was kind of intercut with shots of stormtroopers and purge troopers kind of lifting their blasters up. And we're wondering, oh, is this where maybe she goes against uh, the Inquisitors and she kind of goes off on her own here? And what that wasn't the case. Um, she wasn't deflecting blasters from stormtroopers or purge troopers was something I was not expecting, which you said, Kyle, were the speeders. And that was a short, but still a cool sequence seeing those, the speeders kind of take down the hangar of the Inquisitor's base right there. And just seeing Reva deflect the blasters from a speeder that we knew from the Empire Strikes Back was just really cool to see visually. And just a a fun escape sequence where Obi-Wan Tala and Leia had to escape on the speeder, and yet Reva was still able to take one down um, with that uh, canister explosive that uh, hit the ship. So it was just a fun sequence that I wasn't expecting, just going off the trailers and kind of piecing together what that action sequence would entail. Um, it definitely played out differently than <laughs> expecting, but it was definitely a cool one and made for a fun escape sequence. So seeing something visually we haven't seen before with those speeders. Dude, anytime you see T-47s, in my opinion, is just give it to me every day. I love T-47s. And seeing that Easter egg, I would say, in this, I though do they always execute them looking amazing? Maybe not. But I love the fact they established in the canon, and maybe I've, I've missed this in previous films or 
Canyon or whatever. But uh, I always thought the T-47s were just a military kind of thing. They just the out, the, you know, they reformatted for the snow. Sounds like the T-47s are kind of like a, an all-purpose vehicle, it seems like, just in general. Like they said this, this episode, they haul sewage with it. Um, I thought it was really interesting. Um, I just love the fact that we get to see him in action and got to see him, you know, in a different way. And I love seeing him. I want to see him again. Um, you know, maybe we'll get more rebellion kind of uh, Disney Plus TV shows where we can we'll get more explanations of that. But yeah, I love indoor. this. And the way, of, yeah, you know, word. No, the, I think there's concept art out there of T-47s on Rogue One, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if you guys remember seeing that, but I, for a fact, I know that's there. I don't remember that. I know we've seen, there was some concept art of like a hangar full of T-47s for this show that we obviously never saw in, in the series. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I would like to see them do more with them. I didn't necessarily love the, the execution of them here. A, because, um... And, you know, these obviously could have been, you know, modified or slightly different models or whatever. But, like, in Empire Strikes Back, we clearly see, like, they're two-seater ships. And so when one of them lands and Obi-Wan and Tala and Leia apparently all pile into the back of it, I'm like, wait, how many seats does that thing have? Or they Were they all just crammed in the back seat? Like, we didn't really see it in a lot of detail. And that was kind of another... It's like TIE Fighters, right? You, you know, in Rebels, you fit like four people in at one point. So, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's one of those things, right? Maybe, but I also I also just didn't love the... Like, the, this was one of the, the aspects of the show that I just felt was kind of lacking, was like the CGI with the ships in general, with the exception of the Star Destroyer in the last episode, because that Star Destroyer looked fantastic. But just a lot of the, the ships and the speeders and stuff in the show just like, again, didn't look bad, but they looked like what you would expect from like a sci-fi show on a TV budget. But again, you compare it to... Um, the ships in the Mandalorian, for instance, the Razor Crest, even Mando's new, you know, his, his N1 starfighter that he gets in the book of Boba Fett, like they show off those ships. Like they want you to see how good it is and like how good they made the models at ILM and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, there's, there's like slow shots of the ship coming in for a landing and, you know, they, they focus on it, they linger on it and it looks fantastic. Whereas this, the snow speeder, you know, flies in for a clunky landing, kind of scrapes across the deck, and then you cut to them running in it, and then you cut to it taking off, and apparently they're all in it, and it's like, wait, where even are they? Like, how'd they all fit in there? And, um, I don't know, even seeing the one that was, like, hovering up, like, the, even the one that was, like, hovering up in the sky, like, shooting at Reva and stuff, like, again, and I've said this before, like, I'm sure maybe they had a, a somewhat limited budget for the show, and you can tell, like, this is... Star Wars on a TV budget, which is not a bad thing. Maybe we're all just spoiled by The Mandalorian because that show has such high production value. But um, yeah, to me, I don't know. the the Some of the visual effects of the backgrounds and especially some of the ships and things left a little bit to be desired in terms of just visual effects and execution. Well, I I, I want to get to the Leia thing and then we can move on to the next episode. See, I, I fear this, this episode in general, guys, because I knew like... We, give me a morsel. Give us a morsel. We'll take morsel into like four hours. So, oh my God. Um, yeah. Paul's in the car now, by the way, in case you couldn't tell. Yeah. Sorry, guys. It's, it's, a, it's a life is crazy. Really quickly. Uh, the reason why the uh, T40, I think to me, the, the, the stuff in Mandalorian looks so good is because one, they're using actual models for that. 
right? And two, for like the space scenes. And they're not doing a whole lot with them. Now, I know in Kenobi, they're not doing a lot of them either. But I think there's not just, uh, it's not just that, it's time. There's probably a lot more time uh, put towards doing it in that old school way that Favreau and all of them want to do. Whereas this, there's probably, there's probably more of a time crunch, I think, with this um, and, and more time sensitive. That's my, that's my take on it. Um, and really quickly, the Leia thing, people got really bent out of shape out of that. You always said it great best, but you know, again, Star Wars is goofy. Star Wars is meant for families. This is a kid's show. You know, let's not over get fixated on, I can't believe they hit a kid under a coat. Didn't like, just go with it. You know, it's not meant for, you know, 40 year old dudes like me, you know, waiting to criticize things for money on YouTube. You know, it's like, it's meant for people like my daughter to watch it and have fun with it and be like, oh my God, they, you know, they escaped, they was underneath the coat. Like, that's what it's meant for. It's not meant for, you know, that. So, yeah, yeah is it perfect? No. But it's it's not, I thought it was fine. I went with it. Yeah. And, and again, it's, it's also, you know, it doesn't break the story because there's easily other ways they could have done that. You know, they could have escaped out a side entrance. They could have snuck through the hangar and, and hid behind crates and moved when nobody was looking. Like, you know, it's not like, oh, they only had one way out and the only way they escaped was because Leia was hidden under that coat. It's just like, no, eh, that was just the way they chose to do it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so they, they escape. And then, you know, the other thing, too, is as they're flying away, Reva, you know, chucks a crate at one of the, the airspeeders um, and destroys it and sends it crashing into the water. And then it's weird because, like, we never really are introduced to those two characters, the the pilots of those speeders. I know the guy that died was Wade, and I don't remember the other woman's name. Um, but then when they get back, they, they, you know, they fly into the, like, Roken is waiting in a transport, like, just kind of up in the atmosphere, and they fly the speeder into dock with it, and then they take off. And there's, you know, this, like, somber moment when they get on the ship, and Roken's like, where's Wade? And then this lady just looks really you know like super broken up about it and it, it like on the one hand like I, I was kind of torn because on the one hand like it feels like this is maybe like a storytelling device that even though we didn't know these two characters that they're using this to tell us that I don't know, maybe they were married or something and you know we're seeing that these people are suffering losses to uh to help Obi-Wan um rescue Leia and, and evade Vader and all that and so like I felt it was effective in that way but at the same time felt like we as the audience were supposed to be sad along with her for this character that we'd never met before and so that fell a little flat for me like I didn't really feel the emotion of it but um I don't know it was like I said at the same time I I at least appreciated seeing um just kind of like the cost of the fight and and the toll that it takes on these guys um but uh yeah I mean so oh so yeah they they get on the transport they escape and then Vader shows up in the fortress and, uh, oh, and we, you know, the other thing we forgot to mention is the scene at the beginning of the episode where we see him in, uh, his fortress on Mustafar, um, which is, you know, was really cool to see again. As far as I'm concerned, any Star Wars where you get to see Vader's castle is good Star Wars. Uh, but he was talking to Reva saying like, hey, I've been watching you. I know what you want. And if you bring me Kenobi, I'll make you the Grand Inquisitor. And then we see some scenes throughout the, or at least that was early the third in episode though, wasn't it? No, I believe that was, um, oh, you're right. Maybe that was the third episode. Pretty sure it was the third one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. I think that is the third episode. I'm getting them confused. Um, but he shows up at the end of this one saying like, Hey, like I told you what would happen if you failed. 
And, uh, but Reva says, you know, I let them go and I put a tracker on them and I'm going to lead you straight to, uh, you know, wherever Kenobi goes next. And so Vader, you know, lets her go. Um, and I think it just kind of ends there. So we'll, we'll kind of wrap up with that before we get into episode five, but any, uh, any last thoughts on episode four before we move on? Yeah. One thing I want to say too, is what I also liked about this episode was just kind of showing Leia as she was held captured, being interrogated by Reva, and then going to go to that uh, torture device in, in that main room there. Just I liked how it showed this was her first experience doing that, and just kind of shows how she was so cool under pressure in A New Hope, where she dealt with this before at a very young age. And I just like it how it just helped set the stage for her character once we see her in A New Hope, and how she wouldn't budge and reveal the location of the rebel base even amongst the destruction of her home planet to reveal the actual location. So just, I just love how at that young, early age, Leia was already kind of dealing with that type of interrogation and torture, and it just helped her later on when she needed it most. So I really liked how that episode kind of showed that and just the experience she had with that at a young age. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, for sure. I just want to say really quick about Tala's slap that everyone rips on. And I, I, it sucks because that is a, a really kind of a lame part of the show. It's like, but like besides the slap, I liked how she took out the stormtroopers with the, with the one slap, you know, excluding the one slap. It's, it's so. typical stormtroopers being incompetent. Yeah. <laughs> like but could, does she does she slap true. one of them? Because like I didn't even really catch that. She like. Tim, what, how would you describe it? I, I looked at it as a slap to me. It was almost, yeah, it was pretty much a slap. It was just like, this made you roll your eyes again. Yep, typical Stormtroopers can't handle anything. <laughs> right, right. No, I, yeah, that, besides that, like, there's, a, there's definitely stuff in here that you can criticize. I just feel that I, I this episode, episode was much better than people gave it credit for. I really liked it, and yeah, we talked a lot about this. I did not first see us talk this long about it, but that's also because yeah. I can't shut up. So I didn't <laughs> think we would go this long either. It's and again, it's not. It's certainly not terrible. Like I enjoyed it. Um, it's just one of the weaker ones of the series for me. Just in a, in a six episode series, there were definitely a few that were a lot stronger, um, which we'll get to now. Starting with episode five. And, uh, you know, we're, we're coming off of this and, oh, and of course we see that, um, I think the last shot of the last episode is we see that Reva, uh, has like planted a tracker on Lola. Um, or we don't even see the tracker, but she, she tells Vader, I have a tracker. We're going to follow them. And then it cuts to Obi-Wan and Leia on, on Rogan's transport ship. And we see, uh, Lola kind of peeking out from under Leia's coat next to her. And we just see like the eye turn red and it's like all sinister looking. You're like, oh, that's how they're tracking them. You know, she did something to the droid. So then you get into episode five and I'm thinking, okay, are we starting off with, you know, with Obi-Wan, with Vader, with the Empire coming after him? What's going on here? And we start off on Coruscant. And I was like, oh, what's going on? Are we going back to uh, more of Reva? Because at this point, I still thought we were going to see some flashbacks that kind of connected Reva's backstory of just her becoming an Inquisitor. Um, and again, going into the show, like, especially with the flashbacks in the first episode, I thought, oh, we're going to see... Show. It's a, it's a future Disney Plus show, Kyle. Possibly. I'm just saying, like, I, I was I was thinking we were going to see some more story of, like, okay, how how do these Jedi go from being, you know, Jedi survivors to being Inquisitors? Because we've never really seen that aside from Reva and, like, Trilla and Jedi Fallen Order. But I still want, I want a separate story at some point with, like, the Grand Inquisitor of, like, just how how he was turned. Like, was was Palpatine already working Word. on was Palpatine working on some of these guys before Order 66? Were they all Jedi survivors that he somehow manipulated into becoming, you know, evil? Like I, I want to know more of that story. 
Um, you know, obviously I can buy into the story that they're, they're former Jedi that have all fallen for one reason or another, but I want to see like a full transition of that at some point. But regardless, so I'm thinking like, oh, okay, are we going back to that? Are we seeing more of Reva's backstory? And we just see, it start with this nice serene shot of Coruscant that pulls out. And who do we get coming into the frame but Anakin Skywalker? Padawan Anakin from episode two. And uh, he's in, you know, this training room in the Jedi Temple. Obi-Wan walks in and uh, they ignite their lightsabers for a sparring duel. And I was like, I was through the roof watching this. And I think this was one of those ones. I think I was watching this episode. I, I watched this one at midnight when it came out. And I was like, I don't care how tired you are. I don't care what time of night it is. There's never a bad time to watch Star Wars like this. Like, I was awake. I was excited. This was a huge unexpected surprise. Um, and it's funny because we had speculated about, you know, could we maybe see some flashbacks to, like, Revenge of the Sith or see some new material from like the Clone Wars time period, see like a live action Anakin and Obi-Wan maybe with Ahsoka. Um, but I was not expecting to see, you know, Obi-Wan and Anakin straight out of episode two. And this flashback was clearly from probably just before episode two because Anakin still had his, uh, he's got two flesh hands um, and still had his Padawan braid and everything. And uh you know, Obi-Wan's teaching him all these lessons throughout this duel, which we'll get into over the course of the episode, because I loved, 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 loved the way that they weaved this into the storytelling structure yes. and paralleled it with the story uh, that they were telling with Obi-Wan and Vader in, in the present day. Um, but just seeing them again, and this is another one of those things where, like, like yes, you could tell that it was, like, 40-year-old Hayden Christensen dressed up as Padawan Anakin. Did I care? No, because... <laughs> sure, you maybe could have done a little bit more makeup or some CGI or whatever to de-age him. And it looked like they maybe did de-age him a little bit, but, like, you could still tell that he's older than he was in Attack of the Clones. Um, but still, like, the just the execution of it, the, the way that it was used for the story, um, I think worked perfectly. And also, I loved it because for, you know, I mean, this has nothing to do with the actual story, but just as a fan, like, seeing an older Hayden Christensen playing a younger Anakin, it was almost fulfilling this fantasy of just seeing like an alternate timeline, like what Anakin could have looked like as a Jedi if he had never turned to the dark side. Ah. Like that was, that was just something that kind of stuck out to me. It was like, as much as it's, and, and again, it was close enough that it was like, you could suspend your disbelief. Like I, we all know that Hayden Christensen is 40 right now. So he's not, uh, you know, he's not going to look 19, but it still looked like Anakin. He still acted like Anakin. He still sounded like Anakin. And you have this added bonus of getting to see like what he could have looked like as a Jedi had he stayed a Jedi. So I loved it. And I it was just blown away to see these two together again. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll let you guys talk about it. But I can't wait to talk more about just how this interplays with what's going on throughout the episode. I have to say, in my opinion, this was... We all expected some kind of flashback, right? But the one thing with this specifically was throughout the entire episode, I was incredibly impressed how they used the flashback. And in my opinion, just kind of my, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about the flashback later on, but I think in general how they used it just shows you, I think, the difference of the mediums that you, Star Wars can be in. And I feel the one thing that people, you know, criticize Kenobi on um, for the whole season was that 
it should have been shorter. You know, you could make it a. Her biggest criticism was it could have been a movie, a, a great two-hour movie, right? Like whatever. And the thing is, is that to me that, that you could say that, but you have this is a great example of using the TV medium in the best way possible because if you do this kind of thing in a movie, it's jarring. It's just kind of like what? It's kind of out of nowhere. And the fact you have, and you have to, if you do something like this, you have to kind of do it throughout the whole movie and it has to be a big part of the narrative of going back and forth. Whereas in a TV show, it, it's just one episode where it kind of interconnects with the overall story. You know what I mean? So I love the fact they use the TV media to tell this kind of flashback story because you can only do it in this kind of thing. And it was beautifully done. Um, I have to say, too, that I think that... Uh, People criticize the DH Anakin Skywalker, which I get it. I think it's not a fair criticism, but I understand it. But I've been rewatching, or watching, I'm watching uh, Better Call Saul, which I'm not sure if you, any of you are familiar with that show or Breaking Bad, but which are both phenomenal shows. Breaking Bad was a prequel, or uh, Breaking Bad is a is the main series that the character that is in Better Call Saul. Well, Better Call Saul, he's playing like a 20 year young, almost a 10, 15 year younger version of himself. Well, they don't de-age him. He just plays himself younger and he looks older, right? They just go with it. And I think no one cares because the show is so good. And I think the scene is so good. No one's going to care. He looks de-aged. If you're like complaining, like he doesn't look de-aged enough, like then, you know, who cares? Because to me, <laughs> it's the, it, they, do they nail the essence of the characters? That's all that matters. And they do. It's a phenomenal fact. It's a great, it's a great, great scene throughout the whole episode. And it's phenomenal. Hayden kills it. Oh, you know, Ewan kills it. That's all people care about. And majority of the people who like, like it don't care. It looks the age. They all understand. Yeah, it doesn't look 20 years younger. Who cares? Because like Better Call Saul is a great example. You don't care about de-aging. You care about performance. It, that's all that matters. And Hayden kills it. Which, by the way, just saying right now, Hayden coming back both as Anakin and Vader and we'll talk about it, obviously, there in the next episode. Just kills it. And this shows you how much of a solid actor he is. And it's been he's been criminally killed for the prequels. And this, to me, is like almost like a, a, like a coming out party for him. In a sense, we're like, oh, oh, yeah, you forget that he actually is a good actor. And the reason they cast him was a great movie he was in called Life is a House. You know, and he was great in that movie. So, uh, yeah, like I, I think this was a great performance. And I love this flashback. It was really well done. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about just how seeing the back of someone's head could get you super pumped and excited <laughs> about mm -hmm. what's to come in this episode. But as soon as we got that shot of Anakin's back, I'm like, oh, man, we're getting it. We're getting the flashback. Because like you said, it was something we speculated on heavily. And nobody in the production and the lead up to it said there was going to be flashbacks. But at the same time, we cannot help but think there was going to be because of the fact that you're bringing back Hayden Christensen to play Darth Vader and you just make sense to think that they would also utilize him while he's there to do something as Anakin Skywalker as well and this was that moment and maybe it wasn't the type of scenario we were all expecting but boy did it deliver in a big way just setting up just seeing Obi-Wan and Anakin in a sparring training session is just cool in itself to see them in that element as master and apprentice. It was just something really, really awesome to see as fans of these characters for so many years. And the fact that it is Ewan and Hayden back in these roles, it just, they, it just fit like a glove for our words. Like they never stepped out of playing these parts. And yeah, I'll be honest. I was a little surprised that they didn't do the de-aging just because 
of the use that obviously was bringing Luke back in the Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett. And I was thinking how this would be a much easier way to do that because obviously Hayden isn't as older as Mark Hamill is now from when the time period they're bringing Luke into it. So I thought it maybe wouldn't be that much to do with the de-aging and it'd be something really easily for them to do. And maybe that's why they decided not to do it because um, it wasn't something that was so far off from how Hayden was 20 years ago. And we kept saying too, and a lot of people will say this, how great Ewan McGregor and both Hayden Christensen look just 20 years later and how maybe they don't need to do that. And I guess those at Lucasfilm and everyone involved with the series probably felt that way too, where they still look good for great for their age. And even though, yeah, you could tell they're older, it's not going to take away from what we're trying to show here in the sequence that's taking place um, pre-Clone Wars and just pre-Attack of the Clones. But so, yeah, it was just something that was just, you just got so immersed into the sequence right away when you saw Hayden and then Ewan walking in as both Anakin and Obi-Wan er, during this era of Star Wars. It was just something you would ask me just a year ago before we knew much about the Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan Kenobi series that we would get that and seeing Obi-Wan and Anakin training in live action played by Obi-Wan and I'm playing about you, McGregor and Hayden Christensen. Still, I was like, man, that would be awesome. Don't know if it'll happen, but that would be awesome to see. But it happened, and it was great. And it was great too because you knew even when they cut away from how the episode began in this flashback and it went to the present, you knew there was more to come. That this was going to be something that was going to play out over the course of the entire episode, and it oh, just yeah. made for such a beautiful narrative over the course of this episode for both Obi-Wan and Anakin. It was just such a brilliant way to kick it off and just an even more brilliant way to use this one moment in the history of Obi-Wan and Anakin for such a big moment in their lives now which, and what it leads to in the following uh, chapter. It was just so, so cool. Just right away, I knew, oh man, we're in for a good one tonight. <laughs> this is going to be a special one. And it just yeah. couldn't have started any better. Yeah, absolutely. And it just got better from there too. Um, so then we, you know, and you're right. Like you knew it was going to continue because like, uh, you know, Obi-Wan's like, okay, then let's begin. And then there's just a quick clash of their sabers and it cuts to Vader on the bridge of a Star Destroyer. So we don't really see any, even any of their duel yet. And you're like, okay, yeah, we're coming back to that. Um, but you see Vader, uh, on the bridge of a Star Destroyer there, you know, and, and like the Imperial officers or whatever are like, okay, you know, we've tracked the rebel ship to Jabim. Um, and so he brings Reva in and is like, okay, you know, you delivered on your promise. Uh, you're the Grand Inquisitor now, which I was like, okay, like that seems a little quick, like given that you haven't actually caught Obi-Wan yet. Um, but hey, you know, good for her. She she managed to track him like she said she would. And now Vader's rewarding her. Obviously, we find out there's a lot more to this later in the episode. Um but it was cool to see them, you know, just kind of start off with that. And then, you know, they send out some shuttles to go prepare for the ground assault. Uh, meanwhile, you know, Obi-Wan and Tala and Roken, they're all in there with, uh, you know, all the people that they're protecting. They're on their, they're, they're in their base. Um, and, you know, the they've got like a, a big blast shield over their base that closes up and locks. And they're like, oh, they've locked us in, which was... Um, Lola, you know, going in and, and slicing and, you know, hacking the door so they couldn't open it. Um, and so <laughs> Leia's whole whole storyline throughout this is she has to climb up in the vents because no one else can and kind of rewire the door. Um, and then she finds Lola and like removes the restraining bolt. But, you know, they're they're getting prepared to mount this big defense. And like I said, this is where we kind of see Obi-Wan come, come back into his role as General Kenobi as he's helping, yep. you know, just kind of organize and, and 
uh, doesn't not... Rogan even call him general? I think he does. Here. I think he yeah. does. Also, Rogan gets a bowcaster, which I freaking love. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, now, although now that I think about it, it would have been really cool to see a Wookiee as as part of this group. Um, first of all, it would have been cool to see like a force sensitive Wookiee. Like if we had gotten to see Gunji from uh, you know Clone Wars and the Bad Batch show up in this, that would have been awesome. But even just seeing a Wookiee as part of the group, because you kind of get the sense like they're protecting. Jedi refugees and force sensitive kids, but there was such a big group of people. I have to assume some of them were also just like refugees trying to flee the empire for various, sure, yeah. you know, for various reasons. And um, especially knowing that the empire is like enslaving Wookiees on Kashyyyk, it maybe would have been cool to see a couple Wookiees as part of the group. But seeing Roken with a Wookiee bowcaster was awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, they all, they they just get ready to uh, to mount this defense, defend their base. You see them, you know, sealing blast doors and, and getting everything in place. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think, well, if you guys have any thoughts on that, I'll let you talk before we, you know, kind of go into uh, once the actual assault starts when Reva shows up and all that, because there's a lot of meaty stuff to, to, to get into. People talked about, like, the, the bowcaster for Roken as, like, a... Is a little that was kind of a bummer because the whole point with bowcasters was that they were, uh, you know, meant for Wookiees and they're they have to be strong enough to, to lift one. The one thing I'm going to say this right now, it looked like a variation of a, of a bowcaster. And the one thing that I'll say is, one, it actually reminded me of for anyone who are as old as I am as a mega as the elder statesman of this podcast. Uh, if anyone had those old like uh, Shira like horde action figures, it looked it looked like that, like those toys, the little crossbow toys that came with like at weapons. If anyone knows what I'm talking about, you'll know exactly what I'm. You know, you'll you'll probably agree with me. It looked a lot like that, a little bit, a little bit without. Uh, there's like usually a head at the very end of the of the horde toy, but that without that, obviously, it was just a plain thing. It looked like a very ancient little bowcaster. I didn't. I didn't take it as like a straight ahead like this is a freaking Wookiee bowcaster that Roken just slugs around like he's a BA. Like I didn't take it like that. It looked like a variation of a bowcaster, which is still awesome, but wasn't a one for one, at least that I thought. But yeah, I, I like this whole part of just kind of establishing kind of what's going on, the way, and everyone kind of freaking out and Jabim as they're flying down, it looks cool, you know. It, it just it's a bummer. The one thing I would say is that the budget definitely shows in a lot of ways, and that seeing Jabim like this, just you could tell like here's our set, here's the volume. Like it's just kind of like yeah. uh, you know, yeah. This but again, it, these are these are nitpicks, nitpicks. Yeah, this episode for me, and that was that was probably my major nitpick with the episode because again, I like there was so much of this yeah. uh that I loved, but um like I feel like this episode more than any of the others you could tell that they filmed on the volume which is like not a bad thing but you could just kind of tell the limitations of it like the Mandalorian I know they filmed some stuff on the volume and some stuff on physical sets that they build and some stuff on green screen and like I can't tell the difference like they do such a good job of of you know blending out or like building out these environments that feel really fleshed out and and just kind of seamlessly blending the difference between the two aside from like the one episode you know the boba fett episode from season 2 that you can tell was all just filmed out in the desert um but like in contrast with that like this episode if you like obviously we know about the volume and stuff but like even if I didn't know all of about that technology and stuff if you told me this whole thing was filmed in like one room in front of a video wall I'd be like yeah I believe it because it kind of looks like that um just in the way that some of the shots are staged and the way that it feels kind of confined 
Um, which again, kind of worked because they're in this small kind of enclosed base, but also just the look of some of the things. Again, it wasn't bad, but just wasn't, it wasn't as like visually striking or just sort of well done as some of the other Star Wars stuff we've seen recently. Um, and also I, I, I think I had talked to you guys about this privately, but like there was, there's some, some like certain shots and scenes throughout this whole series that looked really grainy. Um, and I like, wasn't sure if it was just my TV settings or something, but I talked to other people and they had seen some things the same way. And I've even seen like screenshots and gifs and stuff from the show where it looks like that. And I get that you get that sometimes like shooting outdoors at night or whatever, but, um, yeah, just the, some of the, the grainy looking cinematography was, was, you know, not my favorite. So from a visual standpoint, not my favorite episode and just not my favorite show, but like the, again, story and character aspects, they absolutely nailed. Listen, I, I want to say to the grain, I really appreciated, uh, for the most part, um, I, I liked it. It kind of added a different character to the show. And that's one thing I think Deborah Chow with some of her like flares and, and lighting that she used and the grain. I thought she really added to the character of the entire uh, series. And for the most part was pretty good. Uh, it just kind of added to, I think the kind of the, the, the world that they're, they're in right now, the empire. So I, I was pretty into it, to be honest. Um, I think it definitely took away in some cases maybe, but for the most part, I really liked it, especially in that last episode. But for this episode, I, I dug the grain. It's kind of added the great, the dirtiness of the, and this is kind of like the rugged uh, aspect of that the empires draw it put these people into. I think it just kind of added the character to that, which I thought was a good, a good decision overall, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's fair because it's obviously a stylistic choice. Um, because you know, there's plenty of shows where they have dark scenes or nighttime scenes that are not grainy. Um, and so if that's just Deborah Chow's style or if that's just what her, her cinematographer wanted to do, um, you know, that's, I'm not saying that it was like a mistake to do it that way. I just tend to prefer it. Like, I don't prefer it as much. Um, and I can even kind of tell, like, I know obviously like older movies that are shot on film and stuff. Like sometimes you just have natural like film grain. Um, you get that kind of look to it, but like, I feel like I can kind of, maybe it's just me. Like I can kind of tell the difference between like film grain and like, a digital effect that's trying to mimic that. And I just felt like it was kind of used to the extreme on this series. Um, so just matter of personal preference, I didn't love that about it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That, that was, again, just, um, you know, one one minor nitpick about uh, what was otherwise a, a fantastic episode. Yeah, I mean, you brought up the grain uh, right in the, before this up episode and i didn't really notice it too much but i noticed it a lot in this one as you were saying and i'm not someone who i'm not a big fan of grainy <laughs> quality on movies yeah. tv shows or whatever i know it does have some its fans but i even for older movies i like it when they gets cleaned up and it's removed but it was pretty noticeable in this one and in the finale again doesn't ruin anything it's just something that is noticeable um more so than the others when i watch this one but i i do agree with you were saying about this episode in particular feeling the most where you could tell it's star Wars on TV in certain sequences. We'll get to one at the end of this episode, which is still a great sequence, but more so than all the other ones, this is the one where it felt like, yeah, this is the only scenario where I don't want to say it took me out, but it was noticeable where it's like, yeah, this is star Wars on a little less budget than what we're used to, even amongst some of the other TV shows like Mandalorian and book of Boba Fett. But again, this is just, 
technical nitpicks and i'd rather have technical nitpicks than story and character nitpicks <laughs> because this one yeah. did not disappoint on that so for if this is what we have to deal with as far as certain things that didn't work or a little bit of disappointments i'd rather it be on the technical side than the story side yeah same here i mean when you're especially when you're dealing with obi-wan and vader like i'd rather they get the characters right and have nitpicks with the technical production side of things um then you know then have it be looking absolutely pristine and have like bad writing or acting so exactly um yeah i was i was all right with it i do think um you know honestly this is probably my least favorite of the star wars series so far just from a visual standpoint but again it has some of the strongest you know just character arcs and, and performances and stuff like that i will say also because paul mentioned the uh the grain or not the grain like the some of the lens flares and the lighting and stuff like that that I actually did like, and I did notice that, you know, they used a little bit more lens flares than we usually see in Star Wars, um, but that I had no problem with. Um, and and one um, sort of, uh, you know, some some props that I'll give to them for uh, just the, the production value and the visual side of things. I think this show has the best looking and sounding lightsabers of any, oh, Disney, yes. <laughs> of any Disney Star Wars content so far. And again, when you're having Obi-Wan Kenobi dueling Darth Vader, like you got to get that right. And especially, you know, also having Inquisitors and stuff like that. So the lightsabers looked and sounded great. And even in some of these like dark grainy scenes where it's, you know, almost total darkness and then it's just lit up by a blue or red lightsaber blade just looked fantastic. Um, so I, I love that aspect of it. And I will certainly give them credit where credit is due on that. But it was more so just some of the, like the scenery, uh, the cinematography, especially the graininess, and then just some of the, the CGI with like the ships in the backgrounds and stuff was mainly where my criticisms lie with it. Yeah, same. <laughs> but again, stuff not really thinking about over the course while I'm watching it, just because of everything else that's going on. That stuff you kind of, think about and when you're discussing it after you're geeking out about all the amazing stuff we're getting in these episodes so those are the stuff you just kind of think about later on and yeah. as we're talking about it on a podcast so <laughs> but yeah, not while definitely. i was watching it for the first time yeah and i mean some of that stuff for me and maybe just because i you know i work with video production and i notice these technical aspect kind of things like some of it to me does stick out the first time watching it but still like that's not gonna like when i finish watching the episode that's not going to be first and foremost in my mind it's going to be the Anakin and Obi-Wan flashbacks and the Vader stuff and all that. Um, and so, yeah, you know, so so they're they're holed up in this base. The Empire starts coming after them. They land these shuttles. Reva and all these stormtroopers come out. And uh, Obi-Wan realizes, like, oh, we, you know, we're not going to be able to fight him off. We're not going to be able to get the door open in time. So I'm going to go stall for time. And he goes up to the door and, uh, you know, he, he tells the, the Imperials that he wants to talk with Reva. And so Reva comes up to the door. And Obi-Wan and Reva are just, you know, talking through this, this sealed blast door. And Obi-Wan is like, uh, or, you know, Reva's like, oh, you know, you, you can't win, Obi-Wan. You can't get these people, you know, you're not going to get these people out. Like, Vader's going to catch you. And he's like, you mean Anakin? Like, you know, the last time we talked and you told me about uh, him being alive, he's like, you said you knew he was Anakin. Like, how did you know that? And Obi-Wan is you know, working it through in his mind and and just kind of, you know, saying these things out loud. And he's like, you know, you're too young to have known him. Like Vader wouldn't tell anybody that he would have kept that to himself unless, and he realizes like, oh, you were a youngling in the temple on the night of order 66. And like, you saw him. That's how, you know, he's Vader. Um, 
which was, you know, that alone was cool to see because especially like some people had speculated on that, that maybe that's, you know, how we knew. And I was just waiting to see like, okay, but like, what's the connection going to be? Why is she so bent on Obi-Wan? Uh, you know, and yeah, how does, how does she know that about, um, about Vader? But then he, he goes further than that and goes, oh, like, you're not, you're not serving him. You're hunting him. Cause she, you know, she kind of confirms that and she's like, you know, he, he came in, like we saw him, we thought he was there to help us. And then he cut down my friends and I couldn't do anything about it. And, uh, you know, he, he stabbed Reva as a kid and she somehow managed to survive and she said, you know, she just played dead and, uh, you know, managed to escape. And, you know, she hid with the other dead bodies. And, um, you know, it's just relaying this, like, this grueling story. And we're seeing this perspective that we've never seen before of, like, what it would be like to be a youngling in the temple on the night of Order 66 who saw all this happen and experienced it and yet managed to survive. And then, yeah, Obi-Wan, again, is like, you know, hearing her say all this, he's like, oh, you're not serving him. You're hunting him. And we realize that like, yeah, Reva is like her whole, like to me, this is the moment where her whole character clicked into place. Um, Cause yeah. obviously there've been some people who didn't like her character. I thought she was fine. I didn't think she was like a great villain, but I, you know, as far as just an, an inquisitor and stuff, I was like, yeah, she's all right. Um, but now I'm like, oh, this makes so much more sense. Not only for, you know, her purpose of being an Inquisitor, but her purpose of being so uh, bent on catching Obi-Wan to try to gain Vader's, Vader's favor. It was because it was like, okay, sure, you know, she's ambitious. She wants to be the next Grand Inquisitor. She wants to be by Vader's side, whatever. But like, there's other ways she could do that by going after Obi-Wan or like all the Inquisitors are ambitious. So like, why are we focused on her? And again, what's the connection to Obi-Wan? And in this moment, we get the answer to all of that. Like, she's going after Obi-Wan because she knows how important he is to Vader and she, you know, she wants to be by Vader's side so she can get revenge on him for killing all her friends and leaving her for dead. And like, you know, it's, it's such a sort of tragic character arc. And I love the way that her character kind of parallels Obi-Wan's because you see how they've both been so deeply hurt by Anakin and they're both, you know, former Jedi who've had their lives upended by, Anakin's decisions and by Order 66 and by the Empire and all of that, but seeing how they choose to process it in very different ways, um, with Reva obviously going down the dark path of being an Inquisitor, but I don't think it's even so much, like, I, I think she is kind of corrupted by the dark side, um, just oh, by, yeah. you know, I, I'm sure as being an Inquisitor, you know, she's being, she's been trained by Vader and the Inquisitors, and, you know, she uses the dark side and everything, and we even see in the first episode, like, she's ready to cut down that other Jedi that they're hunting, so it's not like she's a Jedi who's pretending to be an Inquisitor. Um, but I also don't think she, you know, she's not fully committed to the cause of the Inquisitors and the Empire either. She's just doing what she has to, she's doing whatever she's got to do to climb that ladder and get close to Vader and be by his side just so she can betray him and strike him down and get her revenge. Um, and I think that's so much more compelling of a character arc than even anything I was imagining, you know, cause I was like, okay, you know, I, I figured we'd find out more about just like why she, or like how she became an inquisitor. And again, why she was after Obi-Wan and all this kind of stuff. Um, but you know, I, I didn't like, I, I thought she was, I thought she was sort of, you know, fully committed and I thought we might get a redemption arc too. But again, I thought it was just like, Former and Jedi becomes Inquisitor. Obi Wan talks some sense into her, maybe brings her back, shows her the wrong of her ways, whatever. Um, but having her and Obi Wan share this common link of 
you know, the the hurt and the betrayal that they've suffered at the hands of Anakin. I was so hooked with that immediately. Like, I, I love that twist. I love that bit of character development. And I immediately found her to be such a, a more compelling character after that than I had before. Yeah, this is such a great moment in this episode of just kind of getting the reveal of what Reva is really after and her motivation for everything that we've seen so far. And of course we speculated on what her end game was going to be in this. And I'm glad it is something that is much more compelling than just trying to rise above the ranks of the inquisitors and be Vader's like next in command and become the grand inquisitor. But the fact that is she's doing all this to get closer to Vader, to take him out because of her being a youngling and seeing him do what he did in the Jedi temple, it just makes so much for a better story um, for her character too. And I just like too how she's, I mean, it's not a bad plan. You knew it wasn't going to succeed, but I did like how she knew her probably one chance to get Vader when he's most vulnerable would be to have Obi-Wan. And that's why she, obviously she was so obsessed with, finding him more than any of the other inquisitors because she knew that like she can't take down vader but it has to be at a moment where he's most vulnerable and probably a little bit emotionally unstable of seeing his old master again and that would be her time to strike so it wasn't a bad plan even though it was doomed to fail and she got outsmarted outsmarted in the end by vader but um it wasn't a bad way to go about her revenge and this is what it's all about just revenge and what so many characters we've seen fall to the dark side it is because of that wanting for revenge and just that trap you can go down and just that dark hole you can fall into as someone is who goes through a tragic experience like she did and seeing all her friends and fellow younglings just get taken out by anakin or darth vader in that moment that's the other thing too where how she's able to know that anakin and darth vader are the same because we knew anakin was referred to as darth vader by that time, Palpatine gave him the title of Darth Vader before that, and I'm sure he was addressed to as Darth Vader by the clone troopers and even Palpatine in the video hologram that Obi-Wan saw in the Jedi Temple archives where he referred to him as Darth Vader. So she was easily condoled that Anakin is Darth Vader. And I also like the fact, too, how she kind of called out Obi-Wan in this moment, too. Like, where were you? Like, you were his master. He was your pattern. How come you didn't stop him? Or how come you didn't save us? I mean, just a typical thought someone in her situation as a young Padawan would have not only that moment, but would carry on with her as she grows older and just is a, comes obsessed with revenge and wanting to get um, Anakin. And she obviously would put blame on Obi-Wan as well and kind of Obi-Wan feeling that as well, because like obviously he was feeling that at the beginning of the series and even in revenge of the Sith, just feeling that he failed Anakin as his master. So I'm sure that's not what he wanted to hear, but again, he uses that opportunity to try to reach Reva saying, you know, we want the same thing here. And she's even calls him out there. Do you, do you really want Anakin dead Mm -hmm. at this moment? And we see that play out later on in the next episode, but just such great stuff here uh, for Reva and Obi-Wan as they're talking about this pivotal moment in Star Wars history and in the history of the Jedi, really, as far as experience Order 66 through the eyes of a youngling and having it be Obi-Wan's Padawan who is doing all that. Just have these two characters have this discussion, which is so engrossing, and I really loved it. But one thing I want to ask you, Kyle, and it is answered later on, but in the course, in this moment here, and even at the end of the episode where... Well, what happened to Reva in that moment, as far as her being stabbed by Anakin with a lightsaber. I wasn't sure if that actually happened or if it was kind of used as like 
metaphorically we're at the very end of this episode where Vader is about to stab her, but then we see the flashback of Anakin actually stabbing Reva, or is she just kind of seeing that in that moment with Vader where she's just kind of saying, oh, this is what it's like for the rest of the younglings and how it would have been for me being stabbed by Anakin if I hadn't um, gotten away. Because when she's talking to Obi-Wan, she mentions how she ran and she how she couldn't help her friends. She ran, she was scared, and she hid among the other dead bodies. But she, I don't remember actually saying she was stabbed or Anakin actually got her, but it was just kind of visually shown. And that's why I was questioning if that actually happened where it was just something she was like reliving in the moment and saying, oh, this is what it would have been for me as a youngling getting stabbed by Anakin, even though Darth Vader is doing it to me right now. But I think it makes it pretty clear in the uh, finale episode how, yeah, she was stabbed by Anakin in that moment. But um, were you pretty clear on that or were you kind of taking it the other way? Because I was taking it more of a metaphorical thing where she wasn't actually being she wasn't stabbed by Anakin at the Padawan in that moment. I I mean, I took it pretty literally. I think just the fact that she didn't mention it, but we're seeing it in the flashbacks, I think it was just an example of like show don't tell. Um, mm -hmm. I think they, you know, they didn't need her to say like, oh yeah, I was stabbed, but it missed my vital organs. And like, I was injured, but I managed to survive. Like we didn't need that explanation. Just like seeing that uh, he stabbed her, but obviously she lived because here she is in the present and her saying, you know, I, I played dead and I hid with the bodies. Because also like, I think if if she if she wasn't actually stabbed and if she really, you know, just managed to run away or whatever, like they maybe would have had to like show that or explain that or something. Um, I just kind of took it like amongst the chaos of Anakin striking down her other fellow young wings. Like she said, she's mentioned that she specifically she ran. So I, that's how I took it. She ran as amongst the chaos and then later on just hid amongst the other dead bodies to fool that oh this is just another dead battle one right here but yeah, yeah. she was still alive i mean i almost find because you, you're right like maybe somebody could slip away in all the chaos that was going on but i also find it easy to believe like out of the hundreds of jedi in the temple um that like anakin and the, like i i find it easy to believe that like anakin and the clones got all of them but like maybe didn't have time to check that every single one of them was dead you know as you're like yeah. stabbing people and slashing people like again maybe this one kid you stabbed her you missed her vital organs like she's wounded but she survived and you're not going to go back and check every single body uh you're kind of just assuming that you got them all and that you know if she played dead and then escaped later when nobody was around i'm like i find that plausible yeah but I guess it's a feather in Reva's cap to survive two deadly blows from Anakin <laughs> or Darth Vader yeah. in her lifetime. Yeah, I've seen. Well, I was going to say the, the Grand Inquisitor. Obviously, we find out survived his stabbing yeah. too. And I, I've seen memes where you know it's like this grumpy face of like Qui Gon seeing everybody else in Star Wars getting stabbed, <laughs> getting stabbed by lightsabers and surviving. Well, I mean, and that's the point of it too. I think, especially in these two episodes, they're really driving home the point of. I mean, this is what the Grand Inquisitor says, like revenge can does wonders for the will to survive. They're really yeah. driving that as far as being such a big thing for Sith and dark side users to cling on to. If your hate and your revenge is so strong, that's going to tap into that a natural side of the dark side that Palpatine talks about revenge of the Sith. If it's clinging to life and how your hatred and revenge and how the Sith and dark side users want nothing more than to cling on to life in the physical realm. That, uh, that's a, It's going to do it for him if your hate and revenge is that strong. Because obviously that's 
it was first brought out was Ball and how he survived in the Clone Wars. And it just kind of, they're really clinging on to that story aspect and that idea of revenge really fueling that will to survive for dark side users, even though it's not going to be a great survival. Your things are going to be different for you, but um, it, it will enable you to survive to some extent. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So that was, that was a great exchange. Great moment. Great, you know, again, big twist and sort of development for Reva's character um, and, you know, and that was such a great line too, that you brought up where, uh, you know, Obi-Wan's like, Hey, we're on the same side. We want the same thing. And she's like, do we though? Do we Obi-Wan? Like, do you really want Anakin dead? And you can see it on his face that he's like, Oh shoot. I don't know if I do <laughs> like as much as I'm trying to tell myself that, um, and you know, I think he realizes the galaxy would be better off without Darth Vader. Like he couldn't bring himself to kill Anakin the first time. And like, who's to say he'd be able to again, um, but then, you know, Obi-Wan's like, hey, you know, we got to work together. You need help. Like, you're not going to take him alone. And Reva's like, you have no idea what I can do alone. And then she cuts through the door. <clears throat> she cuts through the door. Uh, and, you know, as her and the stormtroopers are about to, you know, storm in, like, as soon as the doors open, Obi-Wan hits her with his massive force push, like, so knocks awesome. her back, <laughs> knocks a bunch of the troopers back. That was so cool. And then, you know, this battle begins between the stormtroopers trying to get in and, you know, Roken and then the you know, the refugees and everybody trying to fight them off. And I think at this point we cut to another, uh, another part of the flashback where Anakin and Obi-Wan are dueling and Anakin's kind of pressing the attack. And, uh, you know, Obi-Wan says, you know, he's like, Hey, be mindful, Anakin, like a, a Jedi's duty is to protect life, not oh, take it. Um, real quick, Kyle. Yeah. I just want to say before that flashback, it was a great lead into that where they were talking about, there's going to be like a siege and Obi-Wan goes and it, there won't be a siege, Anakin, or Vader has no patience for a siege, or something to that effect. I forget oh, that's line, a good point. Yeah, so that was that, that was so earlier, and I don't remember. I didn't remember how all these exactly intercut. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> yeah. There, so the, yeah, so this was before Reva even shows up. But yeah, he's talking to Roken, and he, they're like, um, you know, he's like Vader has no patience for a siege, and he's like, how do you know? And it, it cuts to this. Yeah, you're right. Um, and where Anakin's just pressing the attack and being aggressive and, and Obi-Wan's, you know, defending. And again, he says, uh, you know, it's like a Jedi's goal is to defend life, not take it. And Anakin's saying, uh, you know, mercy doesn't defeat the enemy master and that's why you're going to lose. And um, again, that was just such a great exchange. Really remind, like, I feel like they did a good job of embodying not only their characters from the prequels but kind of from the clone wars too like yeah you know, specifically that line and as even like as i'm hearing it as i was saying it again just now like you know mercy doesn't defeat the enemy master like that sounds like something anakin would say on the front lines you know of like obi-wan being like oh we need to retreat or whatever and anakin kind of pushing back and being like no we need to do whatever it takes to to get victory so um yeah just more great back and forth between the two of them. Um, you know, just perfect representations of their characters from that era. And also just some really cool choreography and visuals. With oh, that yeah. lightsaber <laughs> duel too. Um, it was just really I mean, great to see. I mean, they picked up right after their, their duel of episode three. It is, but at the same time, when you look at it in universe from the time period, it's a great prelude to their duel in episode three and just how it was taken up a notch in the episode three duel on Lucifer, because obviously they're really fighting each other. But in this one, it was toned down a little bit because it was a sparring match, but still some great choreography. And even the moves they were doing were just straight out of their duel from Revenge of the Sith. And I, someone online was had a, a comparison shots of the duel from Revenge of the Sith and their training duel here. It was almost like choreographed exactly the same. And it was, mm -hmm. I just really appreciate that attention to detail for the choreograph choreography of their fighting style that, 
they would obviously have here and then later on in their actual fight. It was just really, really cool. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, and again, that just, you know, it continues throughout the episode because then we get to, so, you know, Reva and the Stormtroopers push through their, you know, they're driving everybody back. They're, you know, fighting through this long hallway that goes back to the hangar bay. And, uh, you know, you see they're, they're doing all right for themselves at first. You know, Obi-Wan is deflecting blaster bolts. He's cutting down stormtroopers. Again, we're seeing like, okay, he's, he's getting in his return to form here as a Jedi and a, and a fighter and a, a general. Um, but you see even like the refugees managed to take down some stormtroopers. Roken's shooting people down with his bowcaster, but eventually they're starting to be overwhelmed, um, and, you know, they're they're getting driven back. And uh, unfortunately, like as Tala and Ned B are kind of covering everybody else and trying to get them to safety, um, you know, Tala gets hit. She goes down. Ned B, after having this awesome sequence where he like <laughs> lifts one stormtrooper, like straight up throws him into the ceiling and then punches another one and sends him flying like <laughs> 50 feet down the hallway. Then he starts taking some hits. And, uh, you know, he falls and he's like covering Tala and trying to protect her and and he gets shut down and Obi-Wan's watching all this and is trying to get to her in time to save her, but he can't get there because stormtroopers keep coming after him. And, uh, you know, Tala holds up a thermal detonator and she's, you know, she looks back at Obi-Wan and is telling him to go and says, may the force be with you. And she shoots the door control so it seals and cuts him off. And then, you know, she obviously blows up herself and a bunch of troopers in the hallway um and dang just what a way for her to go out like it sucks that we had to lose her because she was a great character um but you know it's always a, a gut punch when you see you know these these great heroic like rebel characters like this go out with some great heroic sacrifice and obviously her uh having you know joined the empire and realizing her mistakes and now dedicating her life to uh you know protecting these refugees and these force sensitive kids and everything and, and getting these people to safety she certainly helped do that in this case um, cause you know, she bought time for the rest of them to escape. Um, and that was just, you know, again, like there's part of me that w- wishes like she could have lived longer and we could have gotten to see more with that character. Um, but at the same time, I felt like it was definitely, uh, you know, it was a, an effective way for her to go out. And again, you got to see the losses of these people fighting and, you know, we were, it makes sense that we would have lost somebody along the way. Yeah, it was, it was a great moment and just, a nice end for the character making that ultimate sacrifice to protect Obi-Wan and the rest of the people in the path. But um, it just goes to show you too, just again, what a great job they did with developing the character to really like make you feel the loss of when she sacrificed herself and not even just her too, but the droid as well. And that was such a sad moment where he goes to cover her for a little bit to protect her from the blaster shots. And they kind of both yeah. look at each other before she sets off the de- detonator. Like, no, like, especially we're for not ready to say that- goodbye to you yet. Like, we've had some some emotional deaths of droids before, like, obviously with K2SO and Rogue One, but, like, especially for a droid that never talked, um, (laughs) you know, you still get so attached to... I mean, you know, I I like the design of Ned B and the look of him and everything, but also just there's something about that sort of silent protector type, you know, when he's... Exactly. you, You think he's just this dumb loader droid that can't even communicate, and yet they do an effective job of showing like no he you know he cares and he's part of this fight too and he's he's willing to protect these guys Mm -hmm. no totally and yeah just a great thing too where it's like i'm not saying this is you know inspired obi-wan to make the ultimate sacrifice in a new hope but just a good parallel and mirror to that as well just kind of obi-wan got to experience that on the other side 
of it as well for what he'll eventually do later on. So just kind of see early on that he was on the other end of a, a heroic sacrifice. So um, he could survive and live on for, you know, the greater course to train the future of these, not only the potential for these young force users, but of course, as we know, Luke and Leia uh, later on. She doesn't specifically know that. Well, Leia, well, she, knows, she doesn't know she's force sensitive, but just interesting, you know, to make sure Obi-Wan survives and the future of the Jedi survives with them, with this group. But of course, we know the main ones that Obi-Wan is going to be responsible for are is Luke and Leia down the line. But just a, a great kind of foreshadowing for that, too, for what he will do later on. And just look, it was just a fun skirmish, too. Just a tight uh, quartered uh, bl blaster battle with Obi-Wan in the middle of it, um, using his lightsabers and again to take down more stormtroopers and defend uh, this group here. But uh, it was a small scale battle, but still one that made for a fun action sequence, I thought too. Yeah, definitely. And like I said, just, you know, the variety of like, you know, blasters and heck, even seeing Ned B use like an old uh, Clone Wars battle droid blaster. Um, it was cool to see and even seeing the refugees using, you know, they just had like pieces of scrap metal that they were using as shields against the stormtroopers and seeing Obi-Wan take people out with his lightsaber. Um, yeah, you're right. Like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, a massive epic battle or anything, but still a, a cool action sequence and a cool skirmish there. Um, but like, yeah, they get driven back to the hangar. Uh, they still can't, you know, they're still not able to get the door open. And so they're kind of, you know, up against the ropes and we see, um, you know, another cut back to that flashback where Anakin's kind of got Obi-Wan pinned down. Um, you know, still on the attack, still being aggressive, and he kind of drives him to the, the side of the room, and Obi-Wan's, like, down on a knee, and Anakin's kind of hammering away at his defenses, and, uh, you know, he's like, you're beaten, Master, there's no way out. Um, and, you know, again, the, just the way that it parallels the story going on, where, you know, these guys are under siege, and, and Vader and the Empire have him kind of up against the ropes, it was just... I love the way that they continue to, you know, just cut back at perfect moments and, and kind of have this parallel going. Um, but then, uh, you know, again, while they're still buying time for Leia to keep, you know, hacking away at the, the wires and try to get the door open, Obi-Wan's like, okay, I'm going to go back to them to, you know, buy time and basically offer myself up as a sacrifice because, you know, they want me, they don't care about the rest of you guys. Um, which is not entirely true because obviously they've got like force sensitive kids and stuff that the empire would want to get their hands on. But obviously, especially with Vader, like his main motivation is Obi-Wan, um, but now here we see Obi-Wan as the negotiator, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, going back to, you know, he, he goes back to Riva and offers himself up to be captured. And she's like, uh, you know, she's like, OK, I'm going to bring you to Vader. And he's like, I'm not bringing you're not bringing me to Vader. I'm bringing Vader to you. Like, I'm going to give you the chance to get your revenge. And she's like, oh, what makes you think he would go for it? Um, and Obi-Wan's like you know, all, like, all he'll see is me, and unfortunately, like, it does feel like he's being, and not, like, in a bad way, necessarily, because obviously, he's got his own mission to accomplish, and his own people to watch out for, but he is kind of using Reva a little bit here, because, like, he knows she's not going to take out Vader, like, he knows how mm -hmm. powerful Anakin is, he's not doing this to give Reva her chance at revenge, he's doing it, you know, to, to get himself out of there, um, and, you know, he's just being crafty, and, like, he knows what he's doing, I did think it was a little bit odd. And again, if you want to talk about, you know, plot holes or whatever, like, so he convinces her to to summon Vader. And so then she has a couple of stormtroopers take him captive and like take him back inside the base. And I'm like, why would you not still like just hold him out there um, for Vader to, you know, come get him? But at the same time, I wonder if, you know, maybe she's 
even intentionally being a bit like merciful because Obi-Wan even, you know, he sort of appeals to her and says like, hey, like there's families back there, there's children. Like, are you really going to let Vader do that again? Um, you know, just like he did to you. And so he's he's kind of appealing to the good in her and, and trying to prevent Vader from doing that same kind of atrocity. Um, and so it's not just about getting her revenge. He's like, hey, help me help me save these kids and get your revenge in the process. And, um, you know, again, she kind of goes along with it. But still, the fact that she, like, lets him go back in the base with just a couple of stormtroopers who he easily escapes from, I was like, I don't know why you wouldn't just hold him out there with you and keep an eye on him until Vader shows up. And then, heck, the two of you could have taken Vader together. I mean, I know there's a bunch of stormtroopers there, too, but... Um, that's that's not what know. I was thinking. Maybe, maybe she wanted to have vader go after obi-wan just all by himself and then as she does later on where it's just her to get the sneak attack on him that maybe hoping obi-wan wouldn't escape just yet but while it's just vader and obi-wan shoot that would be your chance to take him out without having to worry about a bunch of stormtroopers to deal with afterwards and just kind of place it that obi-wan maybe killed vader or she was able to escape before they even noticed oh there's something to where it is made it more easier for her to deal with vader without worrying about taking out a bunch of these stormtroopers and other and purge troopers and all that that were there in that moment if she just had obi-wan remain there yeah i guess yeah that would that would kind of make sense too it was just again one of those moments where watching it for the first time i was kind of scratching my head a little bit but it also you know did not take away from my overall enjoyment of the episode um and i did like to just obi-wan's line before <laughs> or he tells broken about how there are different ways or there are other ways than fighting to do this. Yeah. Arcing back to his lines and what he told Han, there are alternatives to fighting before mm-hmm. they were getting sucked in the tractor beam by a new hope. It was just another good parallels for what, how we know Obi-Wan to be later on. Yeah. And real quick too, talking about going back to that flashback sequence that you just mentioned where Anakin has Obi-Wan pinned down. I just love that moves they're showing more frequently with Anakin and Vader, where, like you said, he's just hammering down on Obi-Wan with his lightsaber. Because we saw Vader do that to Obi-Wan in Chapter 3, uh, when Obi-Wan just couldn't stand a chance against Vader. Vader used that same move there. And it's one we've seen before in Star Wars, where Luke does that to Vader in Return of the Jedi. That's how he beats him. And then even yep. in Clone Wars, in, uh, I believe it was a Crisis on Naboo. Yep. It's, that it was, the end was of the honestly, that was the first one that came to mind for me when yeah. I was thinking, where have I seen, the, where, where have I seen Anakin do that before? Yeah, just doing that's a great point, Dooku. Tim. Great, yeah. So I just love that. That's like, a great... keeping that in line with his fighting style over the course of his years. Yeah, for sure. Sorry, I, I, everyone. I was uh, I was indisposed for a few moments here, but uh, um, you know, regarding like the flashbacks, and you know, I, I talked. You know, last time I, I spoke, uh, I talked about the flashbacks. I re- I really love the mirroring of this the the ideas of Anakin's personality compared. You know, to go that goes in line with this uh with these scenes and with this flashback specifically and it definitely felt very much in character in all kinds of different you know mediums whether it be film tv or whatever in characters like luke and everything so it was really really cool to see all that kind of all on display here and uh yeah i yeah i, I loved loved the flashback scenes and how they kind of showed the evolution of the characters and everything and or evolution but just kind of how they are still the same even though like they're it's you know years later and everything so that was really awesome to kind of see and you know kind of talk about reva kind of you know i'm assuming you guys already talked about reva entering in the building mm-hmm. and everything i'm assuming correctly yeah but right okay um you know i just want to say that i really liked 
Riva's character. And to me, I, I knew they were going to give give me something for her, right? They're they're eventually going to give me uh, a different, you know, or give me a reason for why she is who she is, you know, all that stuff. And I gotta say, it it really made me feel that it this all felt worthwhile. Like this all made sense to me, and I really liked seeing it played out here and her talking. You know, and and obviously we it, it was. We all knew she was going to eventually show up and, and give, you know, we we had an idea that maybe she did hate Vader and there was going to be a turn, you know, but I liked, I like this idea of Reva being shown as she's actually a, um, what do you want to call it? She's, she's not Jedi or Sith. She's kind of in the middle. And I think the, there's a lot of rich storytelling opportunities with Riva and other people like Riva. I think that like you know, and maybe not aren't necessarily like Kanan that are like we're, we're Jedi in hiding, but no, no, they're actually like Jedi who resent both parties basically. And I, yeah. there's a lot, there's so much rich storytelling with her. I think with other characters that you could tell. And you you talked a lot of bit on this, um, Kyle, earlier. You said about how you, you really wanted a, like an Inquisitor like kind of show. Like I kind of with you on that. Like there's a there's a lot of great stuff I, and ideas that you could talk about with that. Um, that kind of it goes in line with this. So I I really liked all of that with Reva, and this is where I to me I've always I I liked the character all right. I didn't love her in the first episodes, but I always knew like there had to be a payoff, and it was either that was was going to be the deciding factor if I liked the character or not. Was to kind of see where what's her motivations, what's going on, et cetera, et cetera. This to me all made sense. And I really liked it where, you know, I'm, I'm not sure exactly where we are, you know, in conjunction with the episode, but I really liked where we were for what she did and how we got to see her backstory a little bit and what's motivating her. It's her own selfish desires that's motivating her. And it's against both the ideas of the Sith and the Jedi. And I thought that was a really interesting take. And I thought, I think people aren't giving that enough credit, to be honest, um, who are criticizing the character online or whatever. I mean, you don't have to like the character, but I just think that people discount her as like this kind of this, this, this throwaway or this add-on or whatever, because there's really a rich storytelling being played here that I think people are overlooking, in my opinion. Yeah, and I've seen some people criticize that, like, oh, that was a, a predictable plot twist or, you know, it was you know, not that interesting or whatever. And like, I completely disagree. I think that was a great twist and a great development for the character. Um, we're at the point where, you know, Vader is marching into the base now and and going after, um, or, you know, he, he shows up, Reva tells him like, Obi-Wan's inside. And so Vader goes after him. Um, and I think around this time, we get another cut to the flashback where, you know, Anakin had Obi-Wan down on his knee uh, and, you know, kind of tells him like, give up your beaten. And Obi-Wan kind of manages to get out of that. Like he, he gets under and around him somehow and they keep fighting back across the room and uh but anakin gets him you know kind of down on the ropes again and knocks his lightsaber away and he's like there you have no weapon you're beaten um and we see vader show up he marches in there the rebels did manage to finally you know get the door open you know leia uh she plugged in the right breaker or whatever got the door open she rewired lola you know took the restraining bolt off um and uh, the, I guess the one thing we didn't talk about is in the middle of all this where Obi-Wan gets the transmission from Bale uh, saying that, um, you know, if you, uh, he's like, hey, you know, I know we said no communication, but I haven't heard from you in a while and I'm getting worried and like, I hope you and Leia are safe, but if you're not, like, just in case I'm going to go to Tatooine because then Owen will need help with the boy. Um, and that obviously becomes important later. He gives that, like, when he goes back to face Reva, he gives that hollow communicator to uh, Haja. And uh, Haja drops it as they're they're escaping. 
Um, but Vader storms into the base. Magnets there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) Um, so, you know, Vader gets in, he sees their ship taking off and, I, I think this is what you were talking about earlier, Tim, in a, a scene that's an awesome power of Vader's, an awesome display of Vader's power and not as awesome a display of visual effects. Um, yeah. <laughs> but Vader, you know, uses the force to stop this ship from taking off. Yeah, the first time I watched it, I was like, it was kind of hard to tell the perspective. I was like, how close is he to the ship? Because this is making the ship look really small, but like... I don't know. It was cool to see regardless. It was like a force unleashed kind of moment where, you know, he's, he's stopping this big transport from taking off just with his own power of the force. He pulls it back down, slams it into the ground and then just starts ripping chunks out of it. Um, (laughs) And we see, you know, like, again, that was not the most well executed visual, but a cool visual nonetheless of Vader just using the force to rip the ship apart and realizes it's empty. And then there's another ship behind it that takes off. Um, and again, like, this is another example of, like, where I said, like, just the the way they show the ships in this series visually, it's all just so quick. It's like, we have ships here because we need to have ships because it's Star Wars, but they don't take their time, like, really showing them. Um, and I felt like, because the first time I watched it, I like, I almost laughed. Like, I was just, it, I just kind of thought it was goofy. I was like, oh, now you see through the window and there's a second ship that takes off. And I was like, where the heck did that come from? But I will give them credit. Like, going back and watching the episode again, you can clearly see there's a second ship in that hangar the whole time. It's just yep. kind of tucked away in the back and they never really focus on it. Um, it's like the Rise, in Rise of Skywalker and the transport that Chewie takes off. And I didn't really notice yeah. the second transport when I first watched it, but it's there when you see him load Chewie on there. It's the same thing with this one. Yeah. yeah. So it was, I mean, going back and watching it again, it was like, okay, that was a good, you know, bait and switch. But the first time I watched it, I was just kind of like, I just kind of laughed. I was like, what? Oh, okay. Um, but, you know, was, of course Vader wasn't going to get them. So like, it was, it was cool to see him rip the ship down. It's cool that they got away and Obi-Wan obviously is being crafty and kind of outsmarted him. And then, of course, you go to <clears throat> the final scene of the flashback where even though Obi-Wan is weaponless, he still dodges around Anakin, gets behind him, and then just kind of like elbows him in the back. And then while he's off balance, he uses the force to grab Anakin's lightsaber. And then, um, you know, he says to him, he's like, "Your Anakin, your need for victory blinds you. And even though you're a great warrior... Uh, you'll never be a Jedi Knight until you, you overcome this desire to be the, you know, this this need to be the best and to be everybody. That. It was so great. And again, because it's such a great encapsulation of Anakin's character, um, but the fact that it also still applies so well to, um, you know, to Obi-Wan and Vader in the present day and that these are still who these people are. Like, the, you know, they still have these same aspects of their characters that they've had since you know, before the Clone Wars, that Vader still has this, you know, he could have stayed up in his Star Destroyer and just, you know, blockaded the planet or kept that ship from getting away. Or he could have just let Reva, you know, continue the hunt. But the fact that Obi-Wan's stall tactic worked and that Vader going there to deal with Obi-Wan in person because he's got to have the final say and he's got to, you know, deal with him himself. That was what gave them the time to uh, to get away and escape. And Obi-Wan being like, look, you know, you're still the same Anakin, you know, you need to, uh, you know, you have this drive and desire to to be the best and to prove yourself. And that's your weakness. And, you know, he's able to su- successfully exploit that. Um, and yeah, so just the way 
the the that the whole story arc and the lesson that obi-wan teaches anakin in, the, in in that flashback scene the way it's weaved in throughout the episode and perfectly parallels the story that's going on between the two of them as jedi and sith is just it's so incredibly well done and i, I want to say that this is why I, I said earlier about i thought that the the whole idea of the of the flashback really did a great job and you show it again you're using the, the television medium i think to its fullest potential by doing that um by having this kind of depiction of the characters and and kind of showing you what how anakin is and how he's able to trick him it's, it is really well done and smart i will say too that i do think that uh obi-wan called him you know you're a great warrior i did want him you know that's also that's one callback to uh, obviously to Yoda's great warrior, huh? you know. And also, I did think I kind of excuse me, I, I did wish that he, uh, he would have been like Anakin, you're a cunning warrior. I would I wish he would have said that. Like, I feel like I, that, <laughs> that was a, nice. a semi, yeah. <laughs> that, that was a no missing opportunity. But that's just again, that's the writers not being as probably in, into the weeds as I am, obviously. So that's fine i just i have my reasons for thinking that um but uh but anyway no i i thought it was uh i, I love this i thought it was great 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 stuff um loved it yeah all about uh all about flashbacks kind of you know they're informing the present in, in a really creative way and i thought this was a really again credit to the writers man I, th- I thought they this this story i think overall is pretty airtight um for the most part and I think this is a great example of them being really in like really nailing everything to like what they need to do to, to tell a great story. Yeah. And just visually too, I think what was so cool about this episode is just, we're getting a star Wars story right here with both Anakin and Vader in the same story episode, whatever you want to call it, where before it's, you kind of had to look at fan edit videos of taking shots from Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, and then later on you slice in shots from Return of the Jedi, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back to get moments with Anakin and Vader. But in this one self-contained story, we're getting moments with Anakin, and then the very next shot, we see Vader. And just how cool that is to actually have that in this Star Wars story that we're getting. And maybe you can say the same thing. We got in episode three, we actually see Anakin become Darth Vader, but he's all burned up. Uh, when he gets the suit on, he's mainly Darth Vader there. But to see a self-contained story where we're seeing Anakin as a Padawan, and then the very next shot, we're seeing Darth Vader. We haven't gotten that yet in the a Star Wars story yet. And I thought that was just so great to finally have that, where you're just seeing the same character at different moments in his life. And as you guys mentioned, just how beautifully that narrative was done in this episode of showing that Anakin... And to quote Obi-Wan in episode two, you haven't learned anything, Anakin, (laughs) where in that same moment, he hasn't learned his lesson that Obi-Wan tried to teach him right there. That led to them trying to escape, too. So just great all the way around from the story standpoint and just how cool it is as a fan to see Anakin and Vader in the same episode. This played out beautifully. But and just going back real quick to the moment of Vader trying to, or taking down the transport. Yeah, this is that big moment where out of anything else in the series, this is where I really felt, yeah, this is a TV budget we're looking at. This is Star Wars on TV. But at the same time, 
I'm not going to deny how awesome it was still to see Vader <laughs> use the dark side and the force that way to bring down that transport. And just seeing it up in the air, that's the part where it didn't look great to me. But once he brought it down, he's just ripping through the ship. It was That was just awesome. I just love how immediately he just wastes no time. He brings the ship down, immediately he's tearing it apart, tearing away the rubble, trying to open it up. And it just it was just great to see Vader unleashed like that. Um not the best visual effects, like we said, but still a, a great moment for Vader seeing him just that that moment of not having patience that Obi-Wan was mentioning in those flashbacks, just, just rushing through head on, uh, trying to get what he wants. And it cost him there. But so, yeah, it was just a great moment. But more great stuff comes with Vader very closely after this. But yeah, so just a great way to kind of put an end to the flashback sequence we got with Obi-Wan and Anakin leading to that moment with Vader uh, just rushing in, trying to capture him, but yet um, he couldn't just because of the same reason he couldn't defeat Obi-Wan in those flashbacks. Yeah, definitely. And you know, Paul, you made a good point too, because I like, obviously I enjoyed this, the series overall and I'm not one of those people that's like oh it was too long it should have been a tv show but I definitely think like I I've had that thought before where it's like there are moments where like like in some areas I think this could have been a movie like I think if you had trimmed certain things um you easily could you know condense this story down into a two-hour movie and I think it would still be a good movie but this episode in particular I think is one where I'm glad that we got this as a tv series because like you couldn't do that in a like I mean you could show flashbacks in a in a movie too um but just the way that in this particular episode that it paralleled just the story arc that was going on in this episode like I don't know that you could carry that on for a full two-hour movie especially because you couldn't start the flashbacks off right at the beginning because you need to like establish where Obi-Wan's at first like they do in the first couple episodes before bringing Vader in um and so yeah for this tv format for them to do just one episode with with this where you know this was the the storytelling structure that they chose to go with i thought that was just a brilliant choice um so yeah i was like this is one of my favorite probably my second favorite episode of the series behind the finale um and one of my favorite pieces of of you know storytelling in star wars involving just anakin and obi-wan and obi-wan and vader um, was just such a great moment for all of those characters. But like you said, Tim, we've got one great vo- one great Vader moment left, and that's where he's standing there watching the ship fly away, and Reva comes up behind him, ignites her lightsaber, decides to finally take her revenge, and of course, Vader just doesn't even ignite his lightsaber, just uses the force to stop <laughs> her in her tracks, does a slow turn, and is like, did you really think I didn't see this coming? Um and they have this, I hesitate to call it a duel because then, you know, Reva goes into, uh, you know, just, just flies into a rage. She's screaming at him. She's swinging her lightsaber, you know, like lunging at him and everything. Like she's trying to have a lightsaber fight and Vader's just dodging her. Like he's dodging. He's using the force to block her saber. Not even, you know, he's just toying with her. Like doesn't even bother to ignite his own saber to fight her with until she ignites the second blade of her Inquisitor saber. Um, And again, still keeps, you know, spinning, attacking him with both blades. And he's just dodging kind of, it's almost like a, like a, um, um, like a dark mirror image of Luke's fight with Kylo in The Last Jedi, where like he's, he's refusing to engage. He's just kind of using her own aggression against her. But eventually he takes her, her inquisitor saber separates it into the two halves and just tosses one to her. And it's like, all right, let's go. Um, 
And they have a brief duel where, you know, again, she's outmatched. She's not going to beat this guy. Vader throws his saber at her. She blocks it away, but then he, you know, manages to take her saber from her, uses the force to call the other one back to him. And he's standing over her with two lightsabers. And as brief as that <laughs> moment was, just visual. that, yeah, just that image of Vader standing over somebody with two lightsabers, you know, aimed at them was, I mean, part of me wishes we had gotten to see him fight for longer with those two, but obviously that's not what this confrontation was about. Reva never stood a chance. You know, when it comes to the the lightsaber duels in the showdown, like it was always going to be Obi-Wan and Vader. And unfortunately for her, like as much as on a personal level, I would like to see her get her revenge. We know this is not her story. Um, you know, Vader is not hers to deal with. And so just seeing the way he dispatched her so easily was just toying with her the whole time. And then ending with that great visual of him with the two sabers was just an awesome display of, you know, of Vader's power. Um and then, of course, you know, he he walks up to her. We see kind of the the image of, uh, you know, from Reva's point of view, seeing Vader walk up to her intercut with the flashbacks of Anakin walking up to her as a kid and stabbing her. And, uh, you know, Vader stabs her through with... I initially thought he stabbed her with both lightsabers because I would have just assumed that that's he would, what he would do because he had two of them. Um, but I, watching it again, I think he maybe only stabs her with one. It's kind of hard to tell. Um and then as she's, as she's, you know, sitting there and, you know, keeling over, suffering from this wound, the Grand Inquisitor walks back in with a bunch of stormtroopers and is like, you know, just hello, third sister. And, you know, that's where he says that line about the, the will for or revenge does wonders for the will to live, don't you think? Um, which I thought was great. And I actually, I really love the, the portrayal of the Grand Inquisitor in this series more than I thought I would. Um, even though there's a, there's still a part of me that wishes they had used Jason Isaacs, um, cause I do kind of miss his performance from Rebels. It's kind of two different takes on the character. Cause I, I feel like in Rebels, he's a lot more sort of direct and straightforward and, and sort of menacing. Whereas in this one, he's more, um, I don't know, menacing in a more like quiet, sinister kind of way. Um, you know, in the more like manipulative, like toying with people kind of sense, um, but I think it's a cool interpretation of it. And and just the, you know, you can see just the the smirk on his face and kind of the gotcha moment as he gets to come in and stand over Reva as she's, you know, presumably dying and, and just be like, surprise, I lived. Um, and just kind of gloat over her was just, uh, you know, a, a great re-entrance for that character. And we always wondered, like, we knew he can't be dead. He's got to show up again in Rebels. But it was a great sort of reintroduction moment. Yeah, I absolutely loved everything about <laughs> these final moments of the episode with between Vader and Reva. Just as you mentioned, just the full display of power that Vader showed off here, not really showing off because I just love how this episode really <laughs> brought to the point now. These Inquisitors, uh, maybe the, the, I would expect the Grand Inquisitor would be able to put up a little bit more of a fight, but not by much. But just so how far in advance Vader is above all these Inquisitors to to the fact he doesn't even think they're worthy enough to ignite his own lightsaber. Just the seeing him dodge all her attacks and use the Force to flip her lightsaber to slow down when she tries to do that cheat that all the Inquisitors have with their lightsabers to make it spin real fast. I mean, that's nothing to him. He just slows it down with the Force. So, as you were saying, Kyle, you don't really want to call it a duel because he wasn't using his lightsaber, but it was just such a great fight sequence here that we haven't seen too much of Star Wars before, especially in live action. 
a lightsaber duel where one of the main characters isn't using a lightsaber, but yet it's still an awesome fight because you're just seeing just how much more powerful Vader is here. It was just such a great display to see how far the gap between is a Sith Lord and a dark side inquisitor. It was just great seeing that in this moment here. And just in when Vader takes her lightsaber and splits it apart again, he does the things that, she's worthy enough for him to use his own lightsaber. He's just going to use the broken half of her double-bladed lightsaber and just have a quick fight with that. But it was still a cool fight. I just love that quick little kick move Darth Vader does to her and just to get before he pulls out her other lightsaber and to have two. Just seeing Darth Vader use a kick move, I don't think we've seen before in live action or in his, any of his fights in Rebels, but it was just a cool move for Vader to use to get the upper hand and to get two of her, the two lightsabers. And it, again, just made such a great, cool visual look of seeing Vader with two red lightsabers in both hands. I was just, oh man, this ending sequence is just so great. And what I loved about it too, we're getting some great Vader moments just in this episode, but then I'm thinking, oh man, I can't even imagine what's going to come in the finale with Vader and him and Obi-Wan. So this was just kind Seriously. of like a good appetizer for what's to come into the next episode. But it was just really, really cool to see Vader in this way and fight this way against someone who's so far below his skill level. But I think it's important to, to establish the fact that why these Inquisitors aren't all ganging up on Vader. It's like they all try, but he, he already knows what to, what, he, what to do and he handles them pretty effortlessly effortlessly yeah. you know i mean it's i mean like like you i don't know like to me the inquisitors i i, I love your idea kyle about going and having a show about the inquisitors because i feel that is a great there's lots of great storytelling there especially with, especially yeah. with the grand inquisitor well and who, I, I, I didn't even i didn't even say necessarily a, i didn't even say necessarily that i wanted a show about the inquisitors just that i want to explore more of their backstory i mean i would be fine having a, another show where one is a villain or just again even a, like a comic series or something but really especially with the grand inquisitor because he's the most prominent one like i want to see his journey from being a jedi temple guard to being an inquisitor and just fill in those gaps yeah well, I was going to bring that up. The whole idea of a Jedi Temple Guard, you could tell a great story of flashbacks. I mean, think about a miniseries. Again, we don't have to have eight episodes. Give me four episodes. Give me a movie. Give me an animated movie, even. Let's do more of these uh, like animated films like like DC has done. And now, granted, they, they're, I think the quality of those are very – they're not always consistent. Let's be real. And, and Tim, I think you can agree with no, that in some not, ways. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what? And, 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 I'm again, just going gonna... to throw this out there. We don't even need a full animated movie. The Grand Inquisitor's transition from Temple Guard to Inquisitor would be a perfect episode for Tales of the Jedi Season 2. Yeah, no, no, but but see, that's what I'm saying. I think Tales of the Jedi fits that model, that idea, too. Instead of being a short, it could just be a movie, like Tales of the Jedi, you know. You know, it could be like, you know, Tales, you know, and then, you know, Jedi Falls or something like that, right? And, like, it's about Inquisitor... You know who you know falls and everything and how he or you know how he became you know Jedi Temple Guard, which which is a pretty prominent you know thing, then turns into an Inquisitor. It's a really interesting nice story dynamic. Um, but yeah, seeing the Inquisitor, you know, Reva take on Vader and Vader just destroy her was very very fascinating and interesting and um amazing. I, I thought it was great. It was handled beautifully. I I, I thought it was shot well. It, again. I'm assuming Hayden's the one in in the suit for the most of the stuff. I'm assuming maybe he's not. Um, no, they do have a stunt guy in the Vader suit. I know there's like three people who portray Vader in the costume. Yeah, and Hayden's one of them. 
it's it's one three yeah. it's three different guys. I don't remember if we talked about this on the last episode too, but um it's kind of like a Mandalorian situation where you have kind of like the the main actor and then two different stunt guys. Um cuz I know they have one guy that does like some of the lightsaber fighting and then one guy who does um one guy who's just like a bodybuilder who's like 6 foot 7 or something and he does all the full body shots of Vader. And then um when it's more close-ups and more like personal stuff, I think it's Hayden in there. And then they have again the yeah, other well, guy that does more of the action stuff. Yeah, so I, I, I just I don't know. It feels like just the mannerisms of of everything just feels like it feels like the very consistent with 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 Vader. And if it, whether it's Hayden or not, it just feels very consistent. And I just like the 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 choices of physical acting that they're doing that I've been really impressed with. So um, yeah, I thought it was great. I thought it showed just how powerful that. Vader is in a sense to where to other force users because you have to you, you already know that right we know that's established but it's good to get a, an idea of why the inquisitors aren't just been like why aren't they just taking over for Vader and for, for you know over Vader and then and, and and then whatever it's like having uh the emperor have a bunch of just minions like inquisitors right no it makes more sense because these inquisitor inquisitors are sure they're fine against normal people but they probably can hold up. They probably hold it up against normal Jedi. They're hunting. They probably aren't as powerful as they need to be. And I think I think this is a great example of why. Someone like Obi Wan Kenobi, who's still established, or even a Quinlan Boss, they probably can take the Inquisitors pretty not easily, but fairly. Oh, yeah, I think so, so too. Yeah. 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 yeah I, well, I think and that's obviously, why... I mean, that, that's their whole purpose for being created in the story in the first place well, is to have dark side users during this time period who the Jedi can defeat because they can't beat Vader. But right, but but that's my point though. I think it, 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 you establish why Vader is who he is and where he's at, and is and and why he's never toppled by anyone else. Because no matter how powerful they are, they don't they are they're nowhere near Vader, nowhere near him. And you establish that pretty beautifully, I think, with the fight with Reva, because Reva is a Grand Inquisitor, and she can't take him on, like she gets destroyed by him. So yeah. imagine. You know, the pecking order is probably Grand Inquisitor himself is probably still a fairly because he was a te- Jedi Temple guard, probably would fare the best against them, but probably would still be made pretty mincemeat pretty quickly. Yeah. 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 Vader could take any of these guys, but also Reva being the Grand Inquisitor. I mean, obviously, Vader bestows that title on her knowing that this is coming. Like, so her being the Grand Inquisitor, I don't think is necessarily a mark of her skill or being better than the other Inquisitors. Vader is just playing along. Like at this point, he already knows that the actual Grand Inquisitor survived. Like he's got him waiting in the wings. He knows what Reva's trying to do and he's just playing along and letting her get to this point so he can, you know, just kind of thwart her plans. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was just this is a, a great sequence to end the episode on again with the the duel Vader just toying with her, the Grand Inquisitor coming back in, um, and then uh, you know, and again, I can also see people being like, well, why would they not just kill her? Um, but I also thought, especially for the Grand Inquisitor, maybe not so much for Vader because we know how much Vader, you know, you cross him once, he's gonna choke you out, he's gonna cut you down, like he's got no patience for this. But the Grand Inquisitor liking to you know gloat and maybe be a bit more theatrical and a bit more petty and him being like we're gonna leave you where we found you in the gutter um and they just leave her for dead essentially the one thing i do maybe have a slight issue with and this is again just a a nitpick that you know doesn't 
impact my enjoyment of the story at all. I can understand them leaving her alive. Why would you leave her alive with a lightsaber? You know, like, as they're walking away, Vader <laughs> tosses true. her lightsaber back on the ground. I'm like, if anything, you would want to, like, you know, somebody who is bent on destroying you, who you've just wounded and injured and left for dead, like, don't leave them with a deadly weapon and give them the chance to come after you again. Um, but, again, that's, you know, beside the point. Um because then obviously we know, like, she's not coming after Vader again. This is just so she can have something to be intimidating with in the next episode. But, um, you know, obviously I thought that was a, an interesting decision to just, you know, leave her alive and leave her suffering and and just kind of leave her with her, her shame and her failure. Um, but then, uh, you know, it ends with Obi-Wan and Roken and everybody. They're taken off in their ship and Roken is like, hey, uh, you know, our hyperdrive is down and they're behind us. Um, you know, we're going to have to do something about this. And in the middle of all this, Obi-Wan just senses a disturbance in the force. And, uh, you know, Reva, you know, again, barely clinging to life, you know, is crawling along the ground in the base, finds that communicator that Haja dropped and uh, sees the message from Bale saying like, you know, we got to go to protect the, the boy on Tatooine because Owen's going to need help. And she realizes, oh, so that Owen guy who I met in the first episode was protecting somebody. Um, and you know, Obi-Wan just has the sense that Luke is in danger and Rogan's like, oh, what is it? And he's like, oh, you know, it's nothing. He kind of brushes it off. But, you know, the episode ends on Luke. And before we get into like the plot of the next episode and what actually happens, I want to ask you guys, uh, your take on Reva's intentions for going after Luke, because I almost think like, I think there's kind of two explanations for it. You could say that because she you know, she, she already knew the connection between Obi-Wan and Bale and seeing this, you know, this communication from Bale talking about the boy that Owen is protecting and realizing that whoever this boy is, he's also important to Obi-Wan. And so she wants to go after Luke kind of as revenge for Obi-Wan using her. Cause I think she probably realizes at this point, like, Oh, Obi-Wan just used me as a pawn to get himself and everybody safe and away from Vader. And so maybe she's feeling betrayed and wants to lash out at somebody close to Obi-Wan to hurt him. But when, like in the next episode, when she's going after Luke and Owen says, you know, what do you want with him? And she says, I want justice. Like, I don't know how this would work, but I almost feel like it makes the most sense that she would have somehow connected the dots and figured out that this kid is Anakin's son. And she's like, you know, she's she's wounded, she's on her last legs, and she's like, if I can't kill Anakin Skywalker, I'm gonna at least kill his kid. Like, as my last-ditch effort to do something to correct the injustice that was done to me. You know, kill somebody who's somehow related to Anakin. Um, I don't know how she would have figured that out, but to me, like, as, again, like, her thinking that killing Luke is justice somehow makes me think, like, somehow she's figured that out. Um... But I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I think she definitely knows and figured out that she's going after Luke because of Anakin, not because of Obi-Wan. And I'm trying to think of the exact wording that Bale said in the recording, but I think from how I took it and from what I'm remembering is how she kind of figured it out. Did Bale kind of mention or at least implied that if he finds out about the boy, we have to go to Tatooine or something to that effect? Meaning the fact that somehow she connects that he's referring to Vader finding out about the boy on Tatooine. So maybe she doesn't, I mean, I think she figured out, she probably realizes it's a son, but if not, maybe just 
Bale referenced, not by name, but referring to Vader finding out the boy. She knows in some way he's important to Vader or has some connection to him. And that's good enough a reason for me to kind of go after and try to get that revenge another way and to seek her version of justice and knowing that this boy in some connection has some strong connection with Vader. And that's why she's going after him. But I kind of think she probably figured out that it is Anakin's son. But I think that's the reason because of how Bale referred to him finding about finding out about the boy on Tatooine. I'm pretty sure he mentioned something to that effect on the message. If, if not, yeah, well, maybe you have to think of a different reason. He says, he says, like, if I don't hear from you, I'm going to go to Tatooine because Owen will need help with the boy. Like, that's all he says in regards yeah, to Luke. Because, he said something about him finding out. Uh, maybe I remember uh, it wrong, but... Maybe. I'd have to go watch it again. But he, he definitely doesn't say anything directly about, like, the kids being Vader's or, or anything no, like that. No, definitely not that. Yeah. And so that's why I'm like, I feel like it's a bit of a stretch to assume that she knows that Luke is Anakin's son. But at the same time, just the way that she's now so bent on... Like, th this is not just about her being an Inquisitor and, like, oh, I have to use my my last chance to, like, prove myself and go kill a Force-sensitive kid. Like, no, clearly this is about Anakin and about the the injustice that she feels like has been done to her and that somehow killing Luke will be justice for what Anakin did to her. And, again, I, you know, maybe it's just because she's been hurt so much she just wants to, like, perpetuate that trauma on somebody else. But I have to, like... Again, even though like the the dots quite don't quite line up for her to it's like I don't know how she would have figured that out, but just the the idea that she did figure that out just makes the most sense to me as far as like her motivations in the next episode. Yeah, yeah. for me. Okay. I, uh, real oh, quick, sorry. I just I'm watching that scene right now, <laughs> and with the closed captions on, so I can actually read what Bale says. So I believe the exact line he says is kind of what I was referring to is how he says, if he's found you, if he's learned of the children. So just that there kind of, hmm. I think Reva could figure out that he means Vader as far as if he found out. So I think that's probably where she's gleaning from of knowing that they have a connected to Anakin. Yeah, yeah, that could make sense. Well, I, I looked at that scene as, and everything kind of alluding to, you can kind of, you can kind of read into it either no matter what. I think... I look into it as she knows that they're Bale. If Bale and, and, and Obi-Wan are connected on something with children, these children are special, and she just wants to get back at someone. And she can't get back at Vader. And if you can make an argument she knows, she assumes that they're Vader's kids. I don't assume that. I'm just going to assume that she wants revenge in some way and that murdering these kids, like this, get, getting this kid like murdered, is important and important to the cause to the Jedi cause is more important to her than anything. So I, I kind of read into it. It could be read, read either way, because I think she just wants to hurt someone and wants a reason to. And when she heard the name Owen, it made her go, Oh, okay. So like, there's something like these are Jedi children that are, are, are being hidden that are important. So I'm going to murder these people. Cause that's what they were doing already. Right. So it's, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, but didn't, I don't know. I, I, didn't, I, think... I didn't read into it. Vader. To me, given what we already know about her motivations and her backstory and everything, like, obviously she gets to the point, and I know we're, we're jumping way ahead into the next episode, but I know she gets to the point where she's standing over Luke and is, like, thinking about killing him and then sees herself in that moment and realizes, like, oh, I can't do this to somebody else. I would, like, I would think that she would have come to that realization a lot sooner if she was just thinking about killing a random kid. Like, if it's just like, oh, Owen's protecting a Force-sensitive kid, so I'll just go kill him. Like... I don't believe she would do that. I think she would have to see 
somehow that this is getting justice for what Anakin has done to her. She has to have some justification for wanting to do this and thinking that this is right. Um, up until the point of, you know, getting where she's about to do it and realizes, oh, no, I can't do this. So, like, her her reason for wanting to go that far in the first place, I think, has to do something with Anakin and Vader. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm reading towards and kind of confirm just <laughs> rehearing what Bale actually said in the message. I think that kind of cements that she does know that they're referring to Anakin slash Vader there. And that's why she makes it so important for her to go after Luke in the finale. Yeah, that's how I'm going to do it. I don't think he never says he never said he never says his name by name. No, he doesn't. Well, right. And but, and that's why but, I was saying, like, you kind of have to fill in the gaps yourself because there's no nothing directly in the story that would point you to say, like, oh, she definitely figured that out. It's just her motivation and, and like, the fact that she thinks killing Luke is justice makes me think she's got to have connected this to Anakin somehow. But I don't know. That's just me. That's my, my headcanon version of it because I just think that makes... Uh, her plot line in the next episode that much stronger and kind of more believable. Um, but getting into that next episode, the the much anticipated finale, and looking at where we are now, I would not be surprised if we end up at four hours after we talk about the finale of this. Um, <laughs> gosh, what an episode. Um, but we'll, we'll just start. And, and like I said here, this this finale for me tied the whole thing together, made this whole show worth it. Like, you know, overall, I would say this show is probably, I would give it like an eight out of 10, maybe seven and a half out of 10, but the finale, 10 out of 10, easy. Like this was perfect. This is, this delivered everything I was wanting from an Obi-Wan Kenobi standalone series. Um, and like I said, even down to just the, the ships and the, the models and stuff. I mean, we start off with Obi-Wan and Roken and everybody in their transport and they're being chased by a Star Destroyer, which was easily the best looking ship just from you know a visual effects standpoint that they've done in in the show so far, um, and there's a great wide shot where you see the the uh, the whole ship from a profile as it's chasing their little transport and just firing all the the lasers at them, and it was just like just you know great classic Star Wars ship, just you know straight out of like a New Hope or Rogue One or something like that. Um, just a you know cool space action scene to start off the episode. Um, I guess actually that doesn't actually start off the episode. The episode starts with Reva on Tatooine, but we already started, we already talked about that, but you know, she's in a market and just starts kind of like bullying. You got something to say. Like, um, yeah. She's like, I'm looking for a farmer <laughs> that, named that character Owen. Came back. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So she starts off telling people on Tatooine, you know, I'm, I'm looking for, for Owen. And then, uh, we go to, oh, we wanted everybody being chased, um, you know, in, in space and Obi-Wan, you know, kind of says his goodbyes to Leia and Roken and says, you know, I'm going to go off on my own. Vader's after me. He'll let the rest of you go again, showing just how well he knows Anakin and just the connection between the two and that Vader is not going to let this go. Um, which he's absolutely right about. And even, you know, Obi-Wan takes off in his shuttle and the Grand Inquisitor is watching him and, you know, tells Vader, like, let him go. We need to go after all these other guys. Like we can't, you know, we've been after these guys, you know, the path, we've been after them for a while. And, you know, there's tons of force sensitive people on that ship and we can't let them all get away just for the sake of one lone Jedi. And Vader's like, Obi-Wan is not one lone Jedi, you know, follow him. Um, and the look uh, on the Grand Inquisitor's face after that was like, <laughs> it's like, he knows he can't say anything, but he's yeah. so disappointed. It's, it's almost, like, well, it's kind of this smug, like, okay, like, don't yeah. say I didn't tell you so, you know, like. He's like, all right, is, you know, if we if we get in trouble for this with Palpatine, it's not my neck that's on the line. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
Well, and can I and can I add really quick too that I thought that was a really cool scene because it kind of shows you the standing of the Grand Inquisitor. That yeah, he's actually semi-respected by Vader. Like that he yeah. can kind of talk to him like that. I know people. I saw some people saying, uh, "I can't believe Vader let him talk to him like that." Vader is, you know, I mean, yeah, he doesn't he doesn't tolerate failure. But let's be real, the Grand Inquisitor at this point has only shown that he's been pretty, like, you know, he's been he's been successful, you know. And I think that he you establish the fact that he respects him. And with that one scene and how he's been treated the whole season. I mean, Grand Inquisitor is very much like in charge and he seems like he's kind of had success. So yeah, especially with all the Jedi that you see down in, in the basement of the fortress, you know, it's like, he's, he's getting yeah, the job yeah, done. Yeah. 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 So I think, so I think that kind of shows you that where he stands as a, as a person, the ranking and with Darth Vader is interesting. So he could actually say that to Vader and not get like a lightsaber a stomach again. <laughs> right or is yeah. maybe chopped off so i mean but maybe but you know let's be real if they're they, if they ever do like an actual inquisitor disney plus series or which i think would be rad by the way you could have a, a you know a hayden christian come back and think about what if like they had a sparring where he's like grand inquisitor you think you could take me and he's like you know they actually have a full-on like fight like think about how rad that could be oh and like just vader just mopped off the floor with them how rad that'd be kind of look oh i'm so rad yeah Anyway, I, I, I like. I, like, I thought it was really. It was a really cool scene to see establish again the, the hierarchy of Vader and like the Grand Inquisitor. You know, the fact that he's able to come back and have and talk to Vader, kind of man to man, if you will. Yeah, and it was almost. You know, I didn't even think of it so much as him like talking back to Vader or being disrespectful. It was almost. Uh, you know, and he does say it with a certain degree of respect, like he knows Vader's above him. But it's similar to maybe how Tarkin would talk to him. You know, like where they're almost on the same level of, of equals, where, like, the Grand Inquisitor has enough say and enough respect within the Empire that, you know, he he could give his input on a, a tactical decision like this um, and it not be, like, out of line. Um, I also love the, you know, the scenes on the ship, or like, on the, the transport where Obi-Wan's talking to Roken and, and Leia and he's got some nice moments with them. Yeah. Um, first of all, where he talks to Roken and says like, Hey, you know, the galaxy needs leaders and people follow you. So like, don't stop. And Rogan says, oh, I'm only getting started. Um, so we very well could see more of him again. See, this is where, like, I think he would be a perfect character to show up in Andor. And I don't know if he will, especially because Andor has been in production for so long. Like I could be wrong, but I think Andor started filming before Obi-Wan did. Um, yeah, so I, I right. so I don't think we're going to see him in show up in Andor, but he would be a perfect character to show up in that series. And see, this is one maybe slight problem I have with like, like, I love that we're getting all these shows. I love that they're continuing to just, you know, expand on the mythology and the timeline and stuff. But if you're going to keep telling stories within some of these time periods that we've seen before, so again, if you're going to keep doing more stuff in between episodes three and four, like some of these are going to start kind of bumping into each other and you get to things like Rebels and Rogue One. And it's like, oh, well, if Roken was this important rebel guy, like, why isn't he in this? Um, so I don't know. Like, I, I would I definitely think they should continue to do more of this as they're expanding outwards, like whatever movies and series and stuff they have, you know, whenever they start doing stuff like after episode nine. Um definitely do more of this stuff where you're planting seeds of characters and storylines and things that can be picked up on later and included in other media and stuff like that. I do worry about it getting a little crowded in some of these spaces of the timeline that we've explored before. 
Um, because again, like you know, Roken would be a perfect character to to, to have appeared in in Rebels or Rogue One or something like that. And uh, now hold now on, it's... now hold on, now hold on. Now, listen, Roken Roken's only helping people with the way. It's not like he's a full on Rebel Alliance leader. It, that'd be no, different. absolutely, yeah, and... absolutely. And you could do more more stories just about the path. And and I love that exactly. as its own. Yeah. And I love that as its own thing. But I also get the like you can tell this is. It's all kind of that uh, under that umbrella of like groups that are kind of going to eventually become the Rebel Alliance, like you know, and especially after seeing like, them fight the Empire and and you know him, you know, leading his uh, his I little militia so. there. Um, I, I don't know. To, so. I kind of read I, that I, I as just so. kind of the intent of it, and especially him telling Obi Wan, "Oh, I'm just getting started." To me, I have no doubt. I'm like, he's eventually going to join the Rebel Alliance, whether it's in something that we see uh, or I, not. I, I, um. Like I, I, I could yeah. definitely see him going that way, but I also could see them doing more stories just with the path, and I would be totally okay with that too. Yeah, see, I, I think the path to me seems like a more, a, a better idea because I think as he says, I'm just getting started because he could be like the one person helping orchestrate the Jedi coming back in a different way, you know, and then like maybe he helps, maybe he gets up, he hooks up with Luke later on and helping find established Jedi. He says, listen, I already know Jedi you can find. Like that's yeah. a great, great point right there. You can you, you, you can use. Um, there's there's lots of great stuff there. I think that like he doesn't have to. This is not necessarily a specific Rebel Alliance thing. Because again, Rebel Alliance is you know there's different Rebel cells that maybe are that don't have to be connected to the Rebel Alliance specifically. Um, yeah. You know, random you know upstarted things. I mean, I'll be honest. Part of the reason I'm kind of reading into that too is because I think I saw a tweet from O'Shea Jackson Jr. where he was like talking about how much he loved Star Wars and being a part of the show and everything. And it was basically saying like, I'm, I'm proud that I get to play this character who basically started all this rebel stuff. Like it was kind of a trailblazer um, for people like rebelling against the empire, um, which like technically, you know, in Canon of all the people that we've seen, Saw Gerrera has been doing it longer than he has, but still be getting to be, you know, one of the, the earliest people that again was leading a group that you could see eventually forming into something like the rebel Alliance. Um, so that made me wonder, you know, again, seeing that that was like his interpretation of it, I wondered if that was maybe something they talked about on set or that that was kind of the intent that he would eventually go on to become a rebel leader. Um, which, again, I think there's room for that, too, because like, obviously, we're not done telling stories about the rebels in the Empire. We're going to see that with Andor and, and other stuff. So we could see him eventually with the rebellion at some point, but also like I would love to see more with the path as well. Um, I even think heck Roken and the path is something you could bring in in like uh Jedi survivor and other um you know games going off of that storyline um and so yeah I think that like I hope we see a lot more of that throughout like if we're going to keep doing stories in between episodes three and four I think that's a great new kind of element that they've introduced for it yeah well one thing for sure we're definitely not seeing the last of his character in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series yeah for sure um, so you get that nice moment between him and Obi-Wan and then Obi-Wan goes to Leia and, uh, gives her Tala's blaster holster. And, um, you know, she says, uh, she's like, it's empty. And he's like, well, I wasn't going to give you a blaster, Leia. You're 10 years old. <laughs> uh, and, but then says, you know, but you won't always be. And, you know, he recognizes that potential in her to be, uh, you know, just fierce and brave and courageous and kind of sees the potential of the kind of leader that she could be. Um, and of course we all know how that goes and he's absolutely right. And then, you know, they just have this nice tender moment where she hugs him and says, you know, makes him promise to come back. Um, 
and uh, just the the first of a couple of fantastic emotional moments between Obi-Wan and Leia in this uh, in this final episode. But um, this was a nice just, you know, kind of touching goodbye between them before he goes off to fight Vader. Um, and then uh, I don't remember how often this intercuts back and forth between, you know, Reva and Tatooine. But if you guys want, we could talk about just the whole Reva storyline first and then, you know, get to the, the good stuff, which is the Obi-Wan and Vader. Yeah, that might not be a bad idea because <laughs> I know we'll, it's going to be hard to talk away from all the stuff between that goes down between Obi Wan and Vader. Um, yeah, once we get there, but I will say too, just I love the stuff with Obi Wan on the transport. Like you said, more great stuff with him and Leia, which is why I love those early episodes so much. Just the dynamic between those two, and it's great to get more of that in the finale, and especially towards the end. But it also uses that speech Obi Wan gave to everyone, talking about how this is kind of his way of repaying them for helping protect the Jedi. Now he's going to do his part to protect the future. He refers to the children there as the future. And then specifically Leia saying, you are the future. I love that. And then there was that moment too, where he's just doing that one last time to try to commune with Qui-Gon holding his lightsaber there mm -hmm. and just saying, I have to face him, master. Uh, like, I don't know if I'm going to die or he will, but it'll probably end tonight. And I thought that was going to be the moment where he finally communes to Qui-Gon. And that's what really is going to help him in his fight with Vader. But that wasn't the case. And, Probably made better that it wasn't, but just a lot of great stuff just between Obi-Wan and the different characters on that transport that I thought were just really well done and just set the stage really great as far as what he's leaving behind uh, to face Vader this one final time at this moment anyways. I just thought tons of great stuff for Obi-Wan and his interactions in these moments on the transport. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, you know, even the fact that he's talking to Qui-Gon and resigned that like he might die. And so, yeah, these, you know, these final moments with, uh, with him, with Roken and Leia and everybody on the transport, you know, he's, he's kind of saying his goodbyes. Like, obviously we know that he's not going to die here, but he's sort of preparing himself for this. He's like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to, you know, this, this final showdown with Vader where we kind of, kind of, uh, you know, settle this once and for all. Um, so yeah, just a, a great emotional build up to, to lead up to that. And then, um, yeah, like I said, he goes off on his own on the the little shuttle. Vader takes the bait and follows him. And then I'm assuming they never really confirm what planet it is. I'm assuming it's Jabim that yeah. they go back to because they didn't get very far from Jabim in the first place. Um, I don't know. It looked pretty different, though. I mean, it could be another area. The terrain was different on there. But yeah, I think it was just that it was nighttime and That's it was Jabim. maybe a, a different area of the planet. Wait, what did you say, Paul? Think, That's not Jabim. I don't think it's Jabim. I don't think it is either. Yeah, I don't know. I Dude, think it is. That landscape, it's not. I it's it's unless Jabim. I think I've heard it's like a it's like a moon of Mustafar. I want to say that's what. No, no, Nur is a moon of Mustafar. The planet with the fortress Inquisitorius. That was all in the same system. Know, well, either, either way, I don't think. Sorry, my daughter's singing in the background. Uh, I don't think that it's uh, it's the same Jabim because they, they they like they're 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 flying away from Jabim at that point. So well, yeah, but then Obi Wan pulls like a back. complete Obi Wan like pulls a complete one eighty, and it could be a different yeah, planet. But, it could be a different planet in the system. I'm just saying to me, it looks like way, it, it could easily be just a, a slightly different you know a different area of the same planet because it's still you know just kind I, of like rocky terrain and I, everything. Listen, it might, I think it's the same system, obviously. Uh, that's obvious. I think it's a different planet. But either way, I think it looks phenomenal. Oh, the, yeah. The landscape <laughs> yeah. of this it was, was incredible. just perfect. I mean, this 
this to me felt Star Wars. That was one thousand percent what I needed to see. That it that I loved that that the, the aesthetic. This is where the green I felt really really uh, was a great touch. Was the green really added the atmosphere of this whole planet? I thought it was great, great, great look that um, they, they had for this little showdown. Yeah, I did. I love yeah. the. I liked the environment of the planet. Still didn't like the grain as much. The one thing that I noticed that to me still made it feel like, and obviously we'll get to talking about the duel and everything. And I thought it was you know fantastic, but just visually, the one thing that still kind of made it feel like Star Wars on a TV budget, and maybe something that they maybe could have done a little bit better, is if you think about like the the lightsaber duels from the movies, the environments are are a lot more dynamic. First of all, they go to a lot of different areas that have a lot of different sort of visual backgrounds. I mean, if you think about the, like with Duel of the Fates, they're moving from like the hangar into the, the generator room. And so there's, there's multiple different sort of phases of that fight that have very different backdrops. But then you have environments like, you know, Mustafar and Revenge of the Sith, or um, even like the... Uh, you know, like Bespin on Cloud City where you've got like the carbon freezing chamber and then the, the stuff out, like when Vader's throwing the stuff at Luke and like there's like different locales and then also like very sort of dynamic locales where things are changing around you and there's like things in the environment that you have to dodge around or, you know, it's like stuff going on in the background. And with this, it was very, like it was still just kind of still, like there, you know, there's no movement in the background. There's no sort of action happening around them. It's just the two of them in this, you know, this very rocky landscape, which still made for an interesting visual. Um, but to me, it was like, that's one thing that still kind of separates this from like some of the, the best lightsaber duels in the movies. But at the same time, it almost was like, you know, maybe they did that for budget reasons, but they also could have done that intentionally for the story to make it feel very kind of like dark and isolating so that you're just focused on the two of them. Um, and I think it worked to that degree that like there's nothing else going on. There's no other people there. Like it's just, you know, it's Obi-Wan and Vader. It's like, it's just you and me. Um, but man, what a great shot. Like we're just, you know, when Vader lands on the planet and he, he walks out of his shuttle and he's, he's walking across that sort of flat plane to the more rocky area where Obi-Wan is. And there's just like a great wide shot of, of the two of them walking towards each other um, and getting ready for this, you know, this epic confrontation. And um, I think, you know, Vader says like, have you come here to kill me, Obi-Wan? And Obi-Wan says, I will do what I must. Like ignites his lightsaber <laughs> and takes up that classic Obi-Wan pose yes. with the fingers <laughs> out and the lightsaber pointed over his head. And like, that was one of those things that like, I was not even necessarily expecting, like I wouldn't be, have been disappointed if they didn't do it. And the fact that they did do it was not, like it wasn't too on the nose. It wasn't like, oh, here's some fan service. It was just like, yeah, we've seen this before. But you know, again, for, for us Obi-Wan fans, like it was just a cool nod to see that again, um, you know, leading into this, this big climactic duel. So it was one of many great uh, Easter eggs in this episode. Yeah, I actually, I... I'm with Paul. I just really love the aesthetic and the location of for this duel, whatever this planet or moon is, even with the rocky terrain, even though it is kind of simple. I thought it just made for a great backdrop for this duel to take place, especially what we see happened. And, you know, that's kind of saying something because forever since we saw that concept art from that video they put out of where it looked like, oh, so the duel is going to be on Mustafar. They're going to go back yeah. and continue do their duel there. So, it could have been something where, like, I would have been disappointed. I was like, oh, I was, had my hopes up for Mustafar, and we're on, 
get a different location. But the fact it looked as great as it did, I didn't mind one bit that it was an entirely new location. And I really thought it made for a great setting with having it be at night amongst the rocky terrain where we haven't seen a lightsaber fight take place before. I just thought it was a great setting for their next duel to take place here. And yeah, just the build up towards it, the, the great wide shots, them coming face to face for each other again. And we know it's a different circumstance now than what we saw in chapter three, where Obi-Wan is ready for it this time. And I loved hearing him say that the same line from Revenge of the Sith, I will do it as I must. But he says it in a different way, where in Revenge of the Sith, you could just kind of hear the sadness in his voice where like, I have to do this, but I don't want to. But in this one, it's more of a determination where like, I will do mm -hmm. as I must. And just like, he's ready for this fight and he's going to, stop vader once and for all if he has to here it is just a great showing the difference between the duels from what they had in revenge of the sith in chapter three and now here in chapter six it was just such a great way to build up this duel we've been anticipating ever since the series was announced and how it was being built up as the rematch of the century and it was just a great way to kind of kick things off with their dialogue the visual of the location and just um yeah, set the stage perfectly and beautifully for what was to come in the next few moments of this episode, which I, again I can't wait for us to dive into. I'm going to I'm going to echo everything you guys are saying. Um, this is where I think Deborah Chow really I thought came to life, in my opinion. Um, I thought she did a great job with the obviously throughout the entire season. Um, some of her artistic choices weren't always the best. I think she went a little overboard with shaking cam um, at times, even though I, I appreciated the shaking cam in, in different elements in different times of the series, she went overboard on it. What I will say though, is this scene and her fight choreography, whoever she had to, to kind of get that all set up was beautiful. The shot when he says, I'll do what I must. And he does that, that pose and it's that wide shot of it. It's so awesome i'm like dang dude like she gets it she get she got what it what it meant to have a really dynamic and emotional battle and i felt like all the shots that she chose and decided to have with her choreographer and with the um, cinematographer was perfect and i thought just they have they set it up and shot it perfectly i don't think you could shoot it better to be honest i, I thought it was unique to itself but it was so, so good. Um, I just love that opening shot with him doing that symbol. It was great. Yeah. Actually, you know what's funny? We said we were going to talk about the Rila stuff first, and then I don't know how we got sidetracked and then ended up back on Obi-Wan and Vader. But let's just talk <laughs> about the duel while we're here, and then we can get into um, the Rila stuff, because then obviously that connects with Obi-Wan going back to Tatooine anyways. And I think story-wise, like, even though with the episode it's intercutting back and forth between the two, I think just with the amount of time it would take Obi-Wan to travel to Tatooine, I think logically it makes more sense that all the Reva stuff takes place after the duel anyways. And that that's kind of all yeah, happening. Yeah, I was that that's, that that's kind of all happening as he's traveling back to Tatooine. Um, but yeah, so while we're here on the subject of the duel... Um, you know, Obi-Wan takes up the classic pose. Vader ignites his lightsaber. They go at it. They're having this great duel. Here we go. <laughs> um, again, like I said, the the lightsaber choreography and the the just the visual effects and the sound effects of the lightsabers are so on point. Um, you know, this is some of my favorite lightsaber stuff that we've seen in any Disney Star Wars content so far. Um I don't know if it's my favorite lightsaber duel of the Disney era, only because Ahsoka versus Maul in Siege of Mandalore also technically is Disney Star Wars. But 
Um, it's got to be the best one in live action. I mean, you get, you yeah, know, like it, it was great the way they're using the environment too. I mean, you see them, you know, they're they're going at it with their lightsabers. Obi Wan is back to top form. Like it's just you know, it's it's great choreography. They're force pushing force pushing each other. They're using you know they're they're using the force to pull rocks from the environment around them, and they're chucking rocks at each other. At one point, you know, Obi-Wan grabs this tall spire and tries to topple it on top of Vader and Vader is able to hold it back. And he's like, oh, I see your strength is returned, but you still have the same weakness. Um, one thing that I loved about this too, I mean, Tim, you were talking about how in the previous episode when we're seeing the flashback to the duel between Anakin and Obi-Wan that uh, you're seeing like some of the moves mirrored from Revenge of the Sith, but also there were some moves in this fight scene that I could tell were yep. deliberately taken out of that duel, especially there's a moment where they kind of end up like back to back and they're like kind of swinging at each other from the sides and then they kind of have to spin to get out of it. And it was like exactly like a moment from the previous episode with their flashback duel. So just visually is fantastic. The music was fantastic. The, the just, uh, man, it was everything I wanted from a showdown between Vader and Obi-Wan in this time period. Yeah, it did not disappoint right now. I was just talking about the actual duel and the choreography of it and just how it was, um, laid out and just what a great job Ewan McGregor, Hayden Christensen, if he was in the suit for some of it or in their stunt coordinators, the stunt people in the Vader suit, Ewan McGregor stunt person, regardless of who was doing what in this duel, they all did a fantastic job and just making it one of the best lightsaber duels that we were all hoping it would be. And I was curious because just how much of it would invoke the lightsaber duel as far as like, speed when you have vader and obi-wan going against each other and obviously vader's in his suit now and just how much it would capture that feel of the fighting style in revenge of the sith and i thought it was pretty darn close i was really impressed kind of at the speed and the moves they were doing was whoever was in the vader suit at that moment filming this fight sequence they did some really awesome moves and like you said kyle this sequence too harkened back to some moves from revenge of the sith and just like some of the back, the lightsaber backspins that Anakin usually does, but Obi-Wan does it a few times here and just how he got out of certain situations, pushing each other or pushing Vader out of the way and force pushing each other too. It was just really cool seeing their abilities on display here, both with the lightsaber and with the force. And just, I love too how with Vader, you know, it's kind of a more of a fight and a tough fight for Vader if he's using both hands for his lightsaber because in chapter three, he just used one hand to fight Obi-Wan and we see him use one hand to fight Luke and Empire Strikes Back. So anyone who's kind of inexperienced or Vader knows like there's no chance to beat him, he's just going to use one hand with his lightsaber. And he starts out that way, I believe in this duel, but then he quickly goes to have two hand combat with his lightsaber to fight Obi-Wan. Just because knowing this is not the same Obi-Wan he fought in chapter three. And he, like you said, he mentions that where Obi-Wan tries to throw that uh, rock pillar on him and Vader catches it. And that's where his cool scene to force on display here. Obi-Wan uses it, Vader's using it to uh, block or outdo Obi-Wan's attack with it, and then Vader just unleashes when he just, this was really cool to see in live action too, and just Vader just go down on the ground and just use a, a force to crumble the rock in the ground that Obi-Wan is standing on to topple him down, and which leads to him burying with the rubble, but it was just cool to see that kind of power come for Vader in live action. It was just awesome. So, yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the music too, Kyle, because I know the composer, she's been kind of getting a lot of flack for not making memorable themes and not using the classic Star Wars themes. And I was 
I kind of agreed where most of the music hasn't been memorable. I don't think it was necessarily bad. It's just not memorable. But I really like the score here that was played during this fight. And it just really captured the mood. It, yeah, you could have gone to use Duel of the Fates or Battle of the Heroes. But the music she used here, I thought, really captured almost like a somber but yet action-filled moment that <laughs> like ha- captured both of those feelings that this duel need to have because yeah you're seeing some cool action but it's also a big powerful emotional moment for both of these characters and i thought the music was done really well in this sequence so this this duel is it's kind of made up of three parts and this first part was just so awesome seeing the display of the choreography and both characters using the force um, to kind of do this first act of of a three-act duel um, in this episode. It just got off to a fantastic start. Just right away, it was living up to what I was hoping it would be as far as delivering on a rematch of Obi-Wan and Darth Vader. It was just, I was losing my mind already and I was going to lose it even more so later on. But right out the bat, the first part of this duel was just, it met all my expectations already. Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, you mentioned like the music themes and there's I don't remember if she used it in the duel specifically, but obviously in in sort of the more personal character moment that we'll get to at the end. Um, I know she uses the theme in there. There's a, a theme that she uses for Vader um, and, and she uses it in episode three, too, that it's kind of like a, a more dark, somber theme. Like, it's not the Imperial March, but mm-hmm. to me, it's almost like a a theme for, like, Anakin as Vader or, like, Anakin's fall. And, like, I actually love that piece a lot. There's, you know, there aren't a ton of memorable themes in the show. Um, and, yes, one thing that I've been saying, you know, ever since The Force Awakens came out is I've been hoping that we would get, you know, an epic lightsaber duel in some Disney Star Wars content that has a score on the level of, like, Duel of the Fates, Battle of the Heroes, like, an iconic epic track like that. And we still haven't gotten that. But there are some good memorable memorable themes from the Obi-Wan series. Um, but, yeah, just, the again, the music, the visuals, the way all of that was incorporated, I thought was great. And like you said, just even the way they did the fighting styles, too, because like Vader still fights like Vader should like he's not as fast or you know agile or acrobatic as as Anakin was in episode three but also this clearly is not you know Anakin and or like Obi-Wan and Vader on the Death Star in A New Hope like they're still you know they've got the moves obviously Ewan McGregor is is sort of back in prime Obi-Wan form and Vader is like this is like Rogue One Vader having a lightsaber duel um, it was fast, it was intense and it, you know, the fighting styles fit perfectly for both characters. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, you get this awesome moment where Vader reaches down and uses the force to just crack the ground and send Obi-Wan falling into this like sinkhole. And then he's using the force to pull a bunch of rocks and pillars from all around him and just hurl them down into this pit and just bury him. And I was kind of surprised that Vader would just turn and leave after that. You would think that like with someone like Obi-Wan Kenobi, he'd want to make sure he was dead, but maybe he just thought yeah. there was no way. Maybe he just thought there was no way he could survive that. Cause he just threw so much rubble on top of them. Um, and I love it. Cause this is like the turning point of the fight, right? Cause even Vader says like mm-hmm. your strength has returned, but there's still weakness there. And um, you see, like, I love the, just, the way that you don't even see visuals here, but just hearing like the voices that Obi-Wan is hearing in his head. I guess actually, no, he does see, there are some some sort of visual flashes with this. Where you see him under this rubble, he's using the force to hold it back. And 
but he's like he's hearing Anakin's voice and he's hearing uh, Vader's voice and and you know all the things associated with sort of his failure and saying like Anakin talking about uh, you, I don't know you're hearing lines from this show you're hearing lines from Episode three of just him talking about like seeing through the lies of the Jedi and and turning to the dark side and all this kind of stuff all these things that we know are like weighing heavily on Obi Wan's conscience and as you're hearing this, like the rocks are slowly pushing in and it's like he's failing to hold them back. And then he thinks about Leia and Luke and his duty to protect them and how much he cares about them. And it, to me, it almost makes me think, I mean, obviously it's not him him rejecting the Jedi way or anything, but like maybe opening himself up to love and compassion in a way that uh, Jedi, you know, of the, the Republic era were not typically encouraged to do. And he gets, he draws strength from that. And that's what allows him to, uh, kind of recenter himself and, and, you know, draw enough strength from the force to push those rocks, you know, to blast him out and, and to be able to climb out of that hole and, uh, get back and go toe to toe with Vader again. And so you kind of get him, see him get this second wind, um, from uh just remembering you know his the way i see it is not just his his devotion and his responsibility to protect luke and leia but also just his compassion for them and how much he cares about them and uh, he's not going to let vader knock him down because he's got to get back to them yeah uh, such a great moment too and i did like to talk about how great the dialogue was at the beginning of this fight but even at the moment where vader has Obi-Wan buried and kind of like, did you really think you could destroy me? And this, the fact, the last thing he refers to him as is master kind of like a little jab right there. But I like how it kind of harkens back to his line in the new hope where he goes, when I left you, I was about the learner. Now I am the master because mm-hmm. here he's still referring to Obi-Wan as the master and how he defeated or right now he thinks he defeated him. So just more great dialogue in this moment. But yeah, the bubble with Obi-Wan kind of letting those bad, memories and those thoughts of and that guilt he felt responsibility for Anakin coming back as we saw in the first episode those lines of dialogue those moments that we saw in Revenge of the Sith are coming back to in this moment and plus the moment he just experienced with his first encounter with Vader in chapter three all that stuff is coming back and might be his downfall right there but it was such a beautiful moment when he realizes what he's doing this for and what's at stake with Luke and Leia and just the re- relationship we knew he had with Luke in A New Hope. But now, again, it's what I love about the series so much. Now with that special relationship he has with Leia over the course of the series, it just made for a great moment. And I'm glad they did show visually those moments of seeing Luke and Leia over the course of the series and Obi-Wan's connection to them. I kind of wish it would have been cool if you could, you know, sometimes the Force can show you a vision of the future if we got maybe a glimpse of Luke and Leia from A New Hope. But <laughs> maybe that's just kind of thinking a little too far ahead, but it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. And I thought would have made that moment even more, even more special, but it was just special enough. And just for that being the reason to kind of that final thing he needed to do to fully connect back with the force. It was just great. And it just made total sense. And another thing too, I got, I was watching a video from star Wars explained, and he made a great point of calling back to a moment in uh, the light of the Jedi from the high Republic, how the Jedi, and the connection to the force they're at their best when they're helping people and when they're using the force to help others and that's kind of what obi-wan was using kind of that forefront of knowing he has to do this to help luke to help leia and to kind of really his purpose as a jedi in this moment now is for those two for luke and leia the, as he said it early on the future of the jedi 
are right there in those two. And to him to kind of realize that, and that's what really connected him to the force where he lost. And we saw him that he didn't have a strong connection in the beginning of this episode. And for them to, for Luke and Leia anyway, to be the reason to be that final step to get that connection back to help them. I just thought it was such a beautiful moment. And just for him to use the force to come out of that rubble and to face down Vader again, uh, such a great moment. I think such a beautiful way for Luke and Leia to be that one final step for Obi-Wan to fully come back as the Jedi we all know and love for him to be and to set the stage for the most powerful moment of the entire series and one of the most powerful moments in Star Wars. But it's just such a great w way to see him come back to be the Obi-Wan that um, we know him to be as, and in my opinion, the greatest Jedi ever. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, seeing that renewed strength that he gets from that, he comes out, he goes after Vader, they're clashing blades again. He pushes, you know, he, he does a pretty strong force push, knocks Vader back against the pillar. And then in a uh, a lifting rocks moment straight out of, you know, The Last Jedi right. or something, he just, <laughs> he, he walks towards Vader with his arms raised and has just like a wall of floating oh, rocks behind him. And then he's just pummeling him with it. I love that... <laughs> Um, because when, when Vader cracks the ground under him and he falls into the pit, it's like, you know, Vader's standing above him and they don't say it, but like, you can kind of see the parallel there that like Vader has the high ground now. Right. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, part I, of I, me was wondering, is he going to say it? Uh, I'm yeah. kind of glad they did it, but it was like, like I was wondering it. <laughs> it would have been cheesy and on the nose. And at the same time, I kind of wish they had just because it would have fit so perfectly. Um, yeah. And to be honest, too, it wouldn't be out of Vader's character to say something like that. He said exactly. some snarky things like that before. It was Krennic, and I think the apology accepted Captain Nita. So yes. that type of remark and line from Vader is, isn't out of the realm of his character. Yeah, and it wouldn't just have to be a corny, like, oh, now I have the high ground. Like, you could, you know, Vader could still deliver that line in, like, an intimidating way. Um so, you know, part of me was hoping that we would see that. But then, uh, you know, I saw like a meme floating around on the internet where he's, you know, there's that moment with Vader and he says, Obi-Wan, I, you know, it's over Obi-Wan, I have the high ground. And then Obi-Wan's lifting all the rocks and he goes, but Vader, I have the ground. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that one, but that's great. <laughs> yeah, that was like, oh, just so perfect. But man, it was such a cool moment. Um, just seeing, again, like when, when he's fully committed and and tapped back into the force and and we're seeing obi-wan kenobi at full power like seeing what he can do and uh you know and i get seeing the lengths that he'll go to to protect luke and leia and and these kids that he cares about um but man that was just oh, such a cool visual such a cool moment of him just you know pelting vader with these rocks and at this point you know like this fight's over like obi-wan's gonna win um and somehow you know i have to believe like Headcanon-wise, Vader was probably using the Force to shield himself and kind of, like, cushion the blow of some of these rocks. Because mm. you would think that, like, these would have done more damage than they did. Like, at least, like, shredded his cloak, messed up some of his, his mechanics and stuff like that. But um, he escapes from that relatively unscathed, but, you know obviously beaten down and then you know obi-wan's going after him he uh 
Like they get up close and Obi-Wan just uses the hilt of his lightsaber to start bashing that control panel on Vader's chest. And we see him start, you know, kind of wheezing and, and struggling with his breathing. And then Obi-Wan gets behind him and just hits him across the back with a lightsaber slash. And you see it leaves a big, you know, kind of glowing gash in his back and his cape. And then, um, you know, just the the final moment he... Uh, he kind of steps back, you know, prepares himself to to charge back in and he just leaps at him, reaches for him and slashes him across the helmet. And I was like, oh boy, we're doing this again. Um, (laughs) But first of all, it was cool because, uh, you know, the place that he slashes him, it's right, you know, he hits, like he slashes all the way down the helmet, but I think they did it intentionally where he hits him in the top of the head. And so it's like where you see when Luke takes his helmet off in Return of the Jedi, there's a gash like on the top of his head. And now Mm -hmm. we know like he got that from Obi-Wan. That was not just the the fire and the lava on Mustafar. It's like, no, that was from the duel with Obi-Wan. Um, I think that was intentionally like right in that same spot. Um, but then, uh, yeah, I was just like, oh man, you know, here here we go again with the the emotional moment of seeing Anakin behind the mask. But I'll let you talk if you got any more thoughts about just that last part of the duel before we get into um, the, the emotional gut punch there at the end of the scene. Yeah, it was just one of those things where I can't believe I'm seeing such awesome stuff in this lightsaber duel between obi-wan and vader like i said that first part of it was awesome in itself but seeing obi-wan like we said fully come back in his connection with the force that image of just him calling upon all lifting all the rocks behind him it's that's going to be used as a gift i imagine for (laughs) years to come for whatever the reason it's just such a great look visually and just have him pulverize vader with that it was just man i actually thought that was going to be kind of how Vader's suits really gets damaged and how his helmet will get damaged. Because um, I was wondering over the course of the duel and it's even leading up, are we going to get that moment of Vader's helmet um, either being cracked, slashed again, or just fully removed? Um, and I thought maybe this is how it's going to happen, something different where these rocks are just going to damage it to where it fully removes it or he has to take it off, something to that effect. But um kind of glad it wasn't because what we got was definitely better. But just seeing Vader kind of use his last bit of anger and aggression to plow through, get through those rocks and attack Obi-Wan one more time. And he just kind of bulldozed him across like another rock pillar in his pretty much his final attack. He was able to get in on Obi-Wan before Obi-Wan takes him down and just, yeah, just seeing Obi-Wan little by little kind of put Vader out of commission attacking his chest pallet there with all the controls on there, just kind of knowing where to go to take Vader down to make him, um, incapable of fighting anymore. Just how Obi-Wan really knew what to do to take Vader out of commission, like I said, and then deliver that final blow. He, Vader was already pretty much down for the count. We were hearing the same uh, breathing sounds where you know his suit's not working right as we saw, as we heard in Return of the Jedi when after he took down Palpatine and threw him in the shaft. It was that same type of breathing where it's, it's there's something up with his suit. And you knew it was coming too, but that final blow Obi-Wan did for the gash on his helmet to where we're going to get that moment again. It was like, oh man, (laughs) I'm so glad we're getting this. Even though for those of us who have seen Rebels and we know what an amazing moment it was in Twilight of the Apprentice to see that half crack of Vader's helmet and Anakin's face there. But it's something 
that I'm not going to complain about one bit seeing it in live action too. And I like how they made a point, at least I think it's intentional too. They made a point to have it be on the opposite side of where Ahsoka slashed um, Vader to where Obi-Wan slashed it. And I see this going around on social media too. I can't remember where it originated from, but it's a good kind of thing to look at too, where Vader Ahsoka slashed one side of Anakin's helmet revealing, or Vader's helmet revealing Anakin, Obi-Wan did the other, but it was only Luke who was able to re- take off and remove Vader's full helmet, bringing back Anakin. So mm. it's just like, kind of a cool metaphor to look at, that Luke is still the only one who was able to reach Vader when it was all said and done. But still, knowing that, um, or at least hoping we would get another moment like we got in Twilight of the Apprentice, um, yeah, I couldn't be <laughs> more excited and happy as I saw Obi-Wan deliver that final blow on Vader's helmet. And even though they took their time to reveal uh, Anakin's face within the helmet, I was just waiting with anticipation to see how it was going to play out in live action. And boy, did we get a moment for the ages for what comes next after Obi-Wan uh, delivered that final blow to uh, Vader right there. But man, it was just a great way because uh, I know, it's, obviously, you have to make the comparison to Twilight of the Apprentice, but it was done in a way that was different enough and to have it be just as impactful for Obi-Wan as it was for Ahsoka. And we'll get into the reasons why amongst the dialogue they have. But it's almost a thing, too, where I haven't necessarily seen it as a knock to the episode, but I'm sure there's some people out there saying, oh, they're just retreading the same thing for Rebels. But it's something that has to be done in live action, in my opinion, because just for the general audiences who are watching the Disney Plus series, um, and who mainly only focus on the live-action Star Wars content, this is going to be a huge deal for those people who've never seen anything like this before. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. huge deal for us to see it in live-action, even though we saw it in animation, but this is such a big thing to see Vader like this. Never before, still Vader with his helmet dashed and cracked and getting that little glimpse of Anakin. I mean, it was powerful, like I said, for us seeing in live action, but for those who've never seen Rebels and kind of this being the first time experiencing Vader this way, um, it had to be mind-blowing for them. And I applaud Lucasfilm and Deborah Chow and everyone involved with developing the Obi-Wan series to making sure they're giving this moment again for us hardcore fans who'd seen it before, but giving it a giving it for the first time for those who are just the casual viewers and just what an impactful moment it's going to be and one that they'll definitely won't forget. Yeah. So kind of, I have to kind of head out here, everyone. And I I really appreciate everyone's patience, kind of life, crazy life stuff's happening that I'm trying to navigate all through doing an amazing podcast that I love doing with my, my, my close friends here. And, Appreciate everyone's patience, especially Kyle and Tim's. If you're putting up with this a lot, so life is nuts. As I'll say that life's nuts. Um, but I wanted to kind of add before I left here, um, just kind of overall, like the duel, um, and it's a little bit about the season. I don't know this this, this first season ever overall, real quick, and, and I'll, I'll head out. Um, first of all, I want to say that I thought the duels is perfect. I don't think you could I don't think you could do a duel any better than what they were able to pull off. I think that. Uh, Everything, I think the aesthetic of the of the planet worked perfectly. It looked like Star Wars. It it really did feel like this was the the something we always wanted from the original trilogy. Like we're, we finally got this the between this episode three, this and um I, I kind of feel like this is the Star Wars prequels we always wanted. I felt like people thought we were gonna get episode three initially, and then you know, I feel like Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan is an episode two and then Rogue One's basically episode three, you know, maybe, you know, in some ways. And that's that's what it feels like they wanted the prequel trilogy to be. 
Uh, I don't necessarily agree with that in retrospect, especially at the time, maybe I thought that, but in retrospect, I'm glad we didn't get this because I feel that this is just more rich storytelling and the prequels enhanced the mythology, but more than, and it honestly informed everything better than we ever could imagine. I think that's something that we definitely took for granted back in the day, as far as for people who are really hard on the prequels. And I was definitely hard on them initially, barred until Revenge of the Sith brought it all home for me. And now I, I love the prequel trilogy because of Revenge of the Sith specifically, to be honest. Um, anyway, I, I thought it was beautifully done. Um, I thought it was great. I thought it was a great uh, showing of both actors. I thought Hayden really showed that he was, he's again, a good actor. And there's so many great moments in that scene, you know, uh, it gives more credence to the new hope. It's just, everything about it is fantastic. Um, you know, I love the, I just thought it was such an amazing touch to have the audio of James Earl Jones and Hayden Christensen going in and out. Amazing. Oh, that was, that was incredible. Uh, that was such a brilliant thing. And it, it definitely kind of lends to the idea that it's definitely AI for James Earl Jones doing the whole voice. I mean, it has to be right. But, I, but, but and it feels like maybe that this really is Hayden Christensen talking, being put through the AI of the James Earl Jones voice. Mm. And that's what it kind of comes across to me, which I hope that's what it is. Cause it feels like a perfect, it just feels perfect. Right. It almost seems too good to be true. Yeah, <laughs> but but that's what it seems like to me. Um, but I could be wrong. Who knows? But that's what I, I'm going to I'm going to put uh, money's on that. Um, I just thought that was beautifully done. It was just it just it brought out the ideas of why of why Obi-Wan, uh, you know, calls him Darth, why he says he says these things to, you know, to Anakin. And it gives and it gives more reason to like Anakin to kind of make me feel better about himself, like or not Anakin, but but Obi-Wan about himself saying, you know, I did everything right, you know, and I think a lot of people are going to fairly I think it's not a fair. It's a fair criticism. I think most things are fair criticism for the most part, but I'd, I'd say it's a fair criticism why. Obi-Wan didn't just end Vader there. And this is where I, I just want to put my two cents in this uh, before I give my thoughts to the season. Um, I'm going to say, I think he didn't do it because I think in his heart, look back to Revenge of the Sith. What is Vader or what does Yoda tell Obi-Wan? He's like, send me, some, you know, send me to kill the emperor. I can't take anything. He's like my brother. And, and mm. Yoda, what does Yoda say? You're not powerful enough to take on the emperor, dude. <laughs> You're like, you get your A rung. And, and I'll, you know, and that's why he sends, you know, he sends him to take on Anakin for that reason. I think it's a combination of he can't, he knows he, he loves Anakin. He's like his brother. Even though it's Darth Vader, he just like, he defeated him, you know, he humbled him. And he probably, I think also Obi Wan knows that no matter if, if let's say he hypothetically, you know, he does kill him there, right? I think Ewan McGregor, or McGregor, God. Obi-Wan Kenobi, I think he knows if I kill Darth, the Emperor's going to find somebody else. You know what I mean? Like, so I, it, it feels like Anakin knows, like Obi-Wan Kenobi knows if he lets, if he lets, if he lets Anakin live, there might be a chance not to redeem him, but maybe that, that, that having his children fight him might keep the advantage going. Whereas if he destroys the Emperor there, or destroys Darth Vader right there, he has the opportunity. Then all of a sudden, they get somebody else 
to take his place and that, that you kind of lose the advantage of having that emotional because he knows him better than anyone. So you could say like, well, why would you leave him, leave him to survive if he knows he's going to kill all these people? That's what, that's what I, the way I take it as it's like, you know what, no matter what I do, there's going to be other people to kill. You know what I mean? There's going to be, they're going to kill regardless if Vader's alive or not. There's nothing, but at least if I, if I leave him alive, one, I'm showing mercy and that's, a, that's what I've always been taught as a Jedi. Right. But also, the fact that I think there's that advantage advantage with his children coming back to defeat him and keeping that into play. I mean, that's the way I ever always read into it. And I think just, you know, all those things enrolled into one is why he left, leaves him there. And I think because he's been defeated by Obi-Wan, he also probably knows if I can, you know, if I can defeat the emperor and Vader, if I f- defeat Vader at once with, with, with me and I can train the kids or, or Luke or whatever, then that means the emperor doesn't have time to gather another disciple. It's like it kills Vader. And then he's going to, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's right. It all makes sense to my head. Does that make any sense to you guys? What I'm saying? No. Yeah. It does for me. I didn't necessarily think of it that way. I took it more as finally like Obi-Wan's still seeing his friend there to realize that his friend is dead at that moment. And can't about the same time. It's not like you mentioned, not the way of the Jedi to kill someone like in cold blood like that after they've been defeated Mm -hmm. in that way. And that's why Obi-Wan's still, again, showing why he's the best Jedi and not falling into that. But I think it's a combination of both that and just seeing his friend that way and viewing that Anakin is dead at this moment and only Vader is left, but at the same time. um, Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's almost like, it's like he came to settle his business with Anakin and now like Anakin's not even here. So I'm just going to leave. And yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah. Sorry, but yeah, I'll well, I'll let you finish your thoughts, Paul, because I know you got to go. I'll, I've got a lot more to say about that when yeah. we when we kind of get to more in depth. About okay, okay. I, I I'm really I'm super bummed that I'm gonna be like, I'll have to go listen to this, this last part because I really want to hear what you guys have to say. But really quickly about the whole the whole season, um, I just think this is really well done for the most part. Um, I I think that our expectations were pretty high because for rightfully so, because I think Mandalorian's uh, season two really put things in perspective of how good this can look. And I think, I just think that they utilize the budgets really differently. Um, Cause I, I don't know how, if one had a lesser or more, I have no idea. It just seems like there just seemed to be a more, a well-oiled machine on Mandalorian season two, even season one. I I would say Obi-Wan Kenobi is more on season one of, of Mando, maybe a little notch below it. But I think mainly because you're dealing with people who probably haven't done Star Wars as much as, let's say, John Favreau, and or not Favreau, but Dave Filoni, and and I think from a, a directing standpoint, uh, I respect the hell out of Deborah Chow. But let's be real, John Favreau is a is a director. He's, he's had a lot of experience in a lot of different movies, man, and especially big budgets. And he knows how to shoot CGI. So I think you have as, a, as him as an executive producer directing the Mandalorian in season one and two, they just know how to be efficient with what they have. <clears throat> I don't know if Deborah Chow is necessarily as efficient as that, but either way, it didn't always look as good as I think as those seasons at times. At times it looked incredible on par, but not it just wasn't as consistent as I think that I like it to be. But that's my biggest criticism of the show is that sometimes that TV budget showed. And I think that um, – but at the same time, I think Deborah Chow did a did a great job of of, of directing. I thought she did some really clever things. Um, I thought maybe we were overdone at points with the with the with the shaky cam. But overall, I thought she did a great job. And I think, to be honest, 
whether she does another season two of Obi-Wan, I think whatever she does next if for Star Wars, if she is going to, that I th- and I hope she does. I, I want to make that very clear. I hope she comes back and does more, whether it be Obi-Wan or something else. I think whatever she does next time will be twice as good directing-wise because I think she'll have a better idea of the feel for like what to do in Star Wars besides what she's already done in Mando. But after doing all, all of Obi-Wan, I think she's going to be even more phenomenal. I, th- I think there's a lot of stuff going on in Obi-Wan that I think that wasn't always working, but part of that's because you're stretching out or, you know, all the stuff over, you know, six episodes, you know, it was hard, but overall, I think the writing was pretty damn good. I think the story was pretty damn good. Uh, I, what's the writer's name? The main, or the main showrunner is it Jacoby. Is that his name? What is no, it? Jo- uh, Joby Harold. Uh, the, the lead writer. Jo- yeah. Jo- Joby Harold. Yeah. I really impressed with Joby, man. Um, I thought it was, I thought he did a phenomenal job in, in, in encompassing everything. I know this is, I think as is public knowledge, I'm maybe not right. I've heard this or something like that, but I think this is still loosely based off of what was previously done as a, as a movie. And they just kind of added more to it. So it's definitely, they're borrowing things from it from what I understand. Um, but they did a great job, I think of making it a TV series and adding a lot of weight to it. And I got to tell you, I, I I'll talk really quickly about this and I'll, and then, uh, I'll be almost done. Um, the last scene of the, where Obi-Wan is talking to Leia, and, you know, and she says, you know, he's telling her all about his par- her birth parents. Um, and, but then, you know, he says, I wish I could tell you more. And she looks over at her family and says, don't worry, you know, don't, it's okay. You don't have to, you know, being Bale and, and, and Clea, or not Clea, what's her name? I said Clea from Bria. that's Marvel character. Bria, excuse me, Bria. Yeah, it's close enough. It, it, alphabet wise, anyway. Um, so uh, Bria, Clea. Um, but when she says that I'm being okay right now, cause I'm in a different emotional state, but if I were in a different, if I was more normal emotional state right now, I'd be probably blowing my eyes out just talking about it. Um, right now it's that just wrecked me and I started crying uncontrollably for literally a half hour. And I, I put I've sent you guys a picture of my eyes just be all puffy and looking mega old. And cause I just, I just was just, just destroyed after that. And it was a real special moment for me. I I remember being like, I mean, I'm like, oh, do this to me because I was just crying. You know, I could not, I couldn't. My wife, my wife's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, oh, Star Wars. I was just, I, I don't uncontrollably cry at this stuff, man. I get teary eyed here or there and get emotional, but man, I was full on lost it at that part, and it was just such a special moment, and it meant a lot to me as as a as a as an adopted you know adoptee. Or adopted, you know, parent should say, excuse me. And, you know, it was a really special moment. And I thought, you know, Star Wars has definitely been so huge for, for, I think for orphan, you know, uh, not orphans, excuse me, adopted families, um, you know, like myself and in general to everywhere, George Lucas himself being, you know, an adopted father, uh, everything, you know, I, I just think that it, it, Star Wars has done so, has been so huge for, for kids who are adopted and, and are raised in that environment and are such a great, um, ro- such a great role models or just story for kids to connect to that they can relate to. And I, I so appreciate that. And I, I think this did it in such a very calm, easy, natural way that was so beautiful. I just, I just got to come again, the writings besides that, the writing's been so good. I think for the most part. And I, I just, I, I want to make that very clear. Like 
though it wasn't always perfect as far as like getting from point A to point B, the overall story and the dialogue have all been pretty consistently good. And I want, and I don't, I can't say that for every episode of Mando, every episode of Book of Boba Fett, or anything like that. This was a pretty solid dang story, man. And I, and I, granted, I, I think that the actors, they, they chose some great actors to come in, and obviously you and everybody. But I want to say I, I do think this, this story overall has been pretty, pretty airtight. And I think pretty impressive that how they're able to pull off. And the last thing I'll add is with the Proigo is I just think this is important because the one thing that I was watched these duels over and over guys, episode three, episode six and everything in episode five to an extent too with Reeve versus Vader is how much, and I've said this before in other podcasts is how much we need more lightsabers clashing on these Disney plus series. I love Mando and I love dark saber, dark saber versus, you know, the, the best, the best car, you know, uh, staff, which was, that was phenomenal. I love that. But to see Jedi versus Jedi or Jedi versus Sith, just in that very simplistic form was so powerful and so awesome to see on screen. It just kind of reminded me of like, you know, Mandalorian is great. Book of Boba Fett is great. I love all that stuff, you know, seeing Rancors and Sarlaccs and uh, give it to me all every day. But to me, I think the bread and butter of Star Wars is always going to be the mythology and the lightsabers and what that encompasses. And that's timeless. All that is timeless. And I just feel that they need to they really need to go back to that aesthetic of lightsabers clashing again, because that that to me is what is so symbolic of Star Wars. When I think of Star Wars, first thing I think of is lightsabers. It's the first thing I think of. And I just seen that on screen and how rad it looked in that last battle it just reminded me that how we need that. And I think that this also shows us what potentially what we can do for, you know, and we all wanted the MCU or that we, but they all wanted the MCU when they bought star Wars, right? Disney did. They all thought we'll have all these movies connect. We had the last shot. I kept the solo with the whole dice thing. And they try to have it be this connecting universe. And we already know Star Wars is a connected universe. The difference is, is I feel like now we're, they're trying to figure out their, how they can make it more profitable and, and having these things connect. Well, I think they have it is obviously the TV series. The TV series are, they, it should be their, their three films a year. It should be this. Don't do films a year, do one film a year, but have it be such a grand spectacle, but tell all the, everything else with the TV series. And I think that Kenobi is a great example of what they could do. And I think about even post, you know, Rise of Skywalker with episode, you know, I think, I think at 10, 11, 12 are, are, are given, but you know, how do you, how do you get there? Well, you know what? I was against it before, but after seeing Kenobi, I'm like, you know what? Why don't we, why don't they give us a Finn series where Ray maybe is only a supporting character and not as, not as prevalent, but Finn is there and you explain him and he has an adventure, a side adventure, like a Kenobi, you know, where he's doing things, but you establish that he's a Jedi or something like that, but you're not it's a it's a small contained story, but it's not bigger to like the, the Skywalker saga until, you know, it's about the Skywalkers, right? So this will be about Ray. So I think there's a lot of room here to kind of show Disney of where they need to go. Again, we talked about Mando leading up to a, a film eventually, you know, a, a grand finale film. I think that's a, almost a given at this point, I, or not a given, but that's I think I think it's what you you need to, you need to do because the scope needs to match. And Star Wars is all about scope, and it has to be big and huge. And I feel that to get there, you definitely need to kind of maybe 
have these TV series. So I think Kenobi is a great example of what you could do in six episodes. Tell a great story. You know, don't have to do a, a thin film, but why don't you set up your post Rise of Skywalker role by having, you know, giving, you know, uh, John Boyega the film he always, you know, the series he needs to kind of reestablish his character. Then I think Rise of Skywalker honestly did a good job of saving from Last Jedi. I'm just going to say it right now. So I think Kenobi shows you what you can do with that. And it can, you don't have to do films. But you can use these series to lead up to a film and people are going to eat it up. And I just think Kenobi is a great example of what what you could do with Star Wars leading into that stuff. So, yeah, I love the series. I thought it was great. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't I've, I can't wait to keep rewatching Kenobi over and over and over and over and over again. So give it to me all the time. So, well, guys, I can't wait to hear your last thoughts on the on the on the battle. And uh, as always, uh Godspeed, Rebel! <laughs> that was Boss Nass in a blender. Right. <laughs> yeah, that was the last one that he did. I guess. Yeah, I was like, hey, we're getting Boss Nass two times in a row. That I'll, I'm not mad about that. And then it was Boss Nass went to turbo speed. Um <laughs> But yeah, so I, I want to go back to uh, where we were at talking about the duel. And you had mentioned, you know, the parallels to Twilight of the Apprentice, um, which obviously are accurate. And, you know, you can't you can't have another moment with uh, Vader getting his helmet cut open and having to talk to somebody who was close to as a Jedi without thinking of that. But I love first of all, I love the fact that there was an interview with Hayden Christensen where he said, like, he watched that episode multiple times to prepare for this. Um, which is just, oh, really? I didn't see that one. Yeah, yeah. So I think it was with Collider. It was just, you know, like a quick little snippet um, where, yeah, he said, you know, he wanted to do his research for this. And he watched that at least a couple of times to uh, to kind of prepare himself for that moment because he knew it was similar. Um, so that was cool to hear. But also I loved how even though on the surface it seems very similar, I think sort of the the heart of the moment and the character interaction is very different because with yeah. Ahsoka... For Like, for Ahsoka, she didn't even see Anakin, like, turn to the dark side. So, for her, this is all about reconciling the fact that that is Anakin Skywalker and that her master is gone and that he's turned to the dark side. Um, whereas, Obi-Wan already knows that this is Anakin. He knows Anakin is Vader. He knows Anakin turned to the dark side. And it's kind of more about reconciling, like, his feelings of guilt and failure and, and feeling like he failed Anakin, Um and failed the galaxy and the Jedi by by letting him go down this path and almost getting that sort of release from that guilt and also getting a great connecting moment where, um, you know, it connects to something we see in A New Hope with what he tells uh, Luke about about Vader and his father and everything. Um, or, you know, he sees Anakin's face and he, he says, you know, I'm sorry, Anakin. Um, or he, he sees his face and he just, he calls out to him. He says, Anakin and, and Vader says, Anakin's gone. I am what remains. And uh, I could probably quote this scene line for line already. He says, uh, he, he just <laughs> says, I'm sorry, Anakin. I'm sorry for, for all of it. And, um, you know, Vader again, you know, he's, he's limping and taking these like slow labored breaths. And I love Hayden Christensen's performance here. Cause he's, I mean, both weakened from the duel and just from the weakened state that he's in. I mean, it's almost kind of zombie-like, like the way that he's looking and the way that he's talking yeah. and, and, you know, taking like his, it, just his speech is very kind of like slow and labored and, um, you know, it's, it's just so haunting. And even just the, the, yep. the lighting on his face and the, the job that they do with the makeup and everything, it's, 
just the sort of the most eerie haunting version of Vader that we've ever seen, but it was just so good and so effective. Um, but he, he looked at Obi-Wan and almost there's like almost this tender moment, or at least like the closest thing you're ever going to get to a tender moment between Obi-Wan and, and Darth Vader, where he says, you know, you didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. And, um, and I love that. Like I was, I was reading another separate interview with Hayden Christensen where he said, or maybe it was the same interview. I don't remember, but he said that like, he almost was playing that as like, that's Anakin, kind of giving Obi-Wan permission to like get over his guilt. Like it's almost that first part where he says you didn't kill Anakin Skywalker is almost like the little bit of Anakin still in him kind of like doing one last favor for Obi-Wan. But then the, the red glow from the saber casts on his face and he says, I did. And it's just, oh, it's so sinister. Like the way that he says that and then the way that he like smiles afterwards. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And it's so so tragic too. Just thinking about you know the death of of Anakin Skywalker, this character that we we know and love, and it's interesting too because you know the the more I think about it, and it's like obviously this is all just kind of like metaphorical, and and two different characters, you know, sort of interpretations of of these events because we know that Anakin Skywalker is not completely dead because he comes back in Return of the Jedi, and really like on some level it is like it's the same person, whether you want to call him Anakin or Vader, it's just like, he's, he's different from how he was. Obviously he's changed. He's done a lot of bad. He's done things that the Anakin Skywalker that Obi-Wan knew never would have done, but it's the same person who's done all these things. And, um, you know, it's funny him saying like, you didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did. It, it, it almost has the vibes of like a Gollum and Smeagol kind of thing. Um, but also if you're thinking like, you know, like, like Anakin Skywalker is truly dead. It's like, at what moment did that happen that Vader killed Anakin? Because like, at least to me, like that's, that's more of like a slow death because when, like in Revenge of the Sith, when Anakin cuts Mace Windu's hand off and then, you know, pledges his loyalty to Palpatine and then goes into the Jedi temple and, and slaughters the kids, like he's still doing all of that, thinking that he's doing it to gain the power to save Padme. Um, and even though he takes on the name Darth Vader, I don't think at that point he would say Anakin Skywalker is dead, you know? And so I think this has almost been like a slow transformation. Um, and obviously we've seen some things from like the Vader comics and stuff where like Palpatine is trying to beat that out of him. Like there's still conflict there and, and still him kind of trying to reconcile with this new life and this new role that he's in. And so I think sort of the the death of Anakin Skywalker, if you will, is this slow process that takes place over the course of him being a Sith Lord and trying to be more and more in line with that identity. Like I'm Darth Vader now, I'm not Anakin Skywalker anymore. Anakin Skywalker's gone. And again, Palpatine reinforcing that and, and trying to get him to leave the past behind. Um, so it's just, you know, it's, it's an interesting perspective, but also like, I love how it adds so much context to what he tells Luke in the original trilogy. When he says Vader betrayed and murdered your father, it's like, well now, you can look at this and say he, you know, he heard those words straight out of Vader's own mouth that he told him, I killed Anakin Skywalker as Obi-Wan is trying to plead and and connect with the part of Anakin that he thinks is still in there. And Vader's telling him, no, Anakin's gone. Um, and then Obi-Wan just says, you know, then my friend is truly dead and, and just turns and leaves. And uh, again, like, you know, like Paul was talking about, you could definitely make the argument, well, why, if, if, 
Vader is badly injured and you know how bad this guy is and you know that he killed Anakin Skywalker, why would you not just finish him off? But to me, like I said, it's almost like a thing where Obi-Wan came there to try to, you know, reconcile his business with Anakin Skywalker. And now he's just like, Anakin's not even here. Anakin didn't show up. So like, I have no reason for still being here. And also it's like, um, kind of like his duel with Maul too, where like when, when Maul shows up on Tatooine and Rebels, Obi-Wan doesn't want to fight him. You know, Maul's been holding this grudge for decades and Obi-Wan's like, I don't even care about this anymore. I have no desire to fight you. I have no desire to kill you. I hold no hatred towards you. Um, and it's only when Maul threatens Luke that Obi-Wan is like, okay, well now I have to do my duty as a Jedi and, and protect this kid who's so important to the future of the galaxy and I'm going to strike you down. Um, and there's no Luke or anybody there for Obi-Wan to protect from Vader in that moment. But it's like, even knowing that he killed Anakin Skywalker, it's like, well, I'm not going to kill you out of anger or kill you because of a grudge or kill you to, to avenge Anakin's death. It's like, I just, I was here for Anakin. And, and if Anakin's dead, then I'm just going to move on and put this behind me, I think is kind of his mentality to it. So that's the way I took it. But um, I don't know. How'd you feel about this whole, this whole scene with Anakin under the mask and everything? Wow, just so many words you could use to describe it. Powerful, striking, haunting was a great word that you use for it. Visually seeing Anakin, uh, his face with Invaders crackdown, but it was just all great. But it ultimately comes down to just being one of the most powerful Star Wars moments that we've ever gotten from two of its uh, main characters. And I was just completely blown away by everything in this scene especially the performances between Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen. They just, I mean, he, as we talked about earlier, Ewan has been great as Obi-Wan from the pre, from the beginning since episode one. Hayden gets a bad rap for uh, the criticisms he's got for episodes two and three. I thought he was great, especially in episode three and bringing out the dark side of Anakin. But I think he can make a big argument. And right now I'm feeling this way that this scene right here might be their greatest performances as these characters ever they just nailed the emotional core of what this scene is all about and <laughs> i will say too watching it for the first time was very frustrating because when obi-wan first says anakin my internet went out <laughs> it, like it's the wheel started spinning on the screen saying there was no connector i was like oh you got to be kidding me not here oh, not that now is rough <laughs> So I had to reset my router, plug this, that took like five minutes, and then I had to rewind it to like the very beginning of this this part of the duel before he sliced his helmet. So that was annoying at first, but seeing it all again, all in one, when I went back, boy, it was just incredible. And it actually got me choked up. I wasn't expecting to get overly emotional or choked up in, in this finale, but Ewan McGregor's performance, it's what did it. His facial reaction to seeing fighting back the tears and the tears eventually coming out and just the way he says i'm sorry for all of it i mean he was obviously emotional there and it got me choked up hearing that just knowing the history with these two characters everything from the prequels everything we've got from clone wars and even thinking about to the recent novel brotherhood that really added some great new layers to their relationship um it just and all culminated into this moment here where obi-wan just how tragic this is to see his best friend, his brother this way. And it's different than how it was in revenge of the Sith, because 
obviously he took down Anakin. He saw him go up in flames and he thought he was dead. And obviously we got this, we saw his reaction when he realized he was still alive, but to actually see what Anakin is and under that mask and to see his friend that way, kind of like burnt up, but at the same time, like tortured and just seeing him like he's never seen before, like this tortured soul under that helmet and Obi-Wan's reaction just said it all. It was just so fantastic. And the way he apologized for it, that's why it was just so emotionally powerful. And it just goes back to one other thing to how we're looking forward to how it would tie into certain things in a new hope and how it would line up to some of the dialogue we got in a new hope. And the one thing I was anxious to see how it would tie into, it wasn't from a new hope, but that line in return of the Jedi where he's talking to Luke before as Luke gives himself up to Vader and the emperor where Vader says to him, Obi-Wan once thought as you did. That was the line in particular. I was anxious to see if they would connect and have it relate to in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. I think this moment here is definitely that because Luke says, come with me. And that's when Vader says, Obi-Wan once thought as you did. And obviously Obi-Wan doesn't say that, but Vader, I think, realizes in Return of the Jedi that Obi-Wan and Luke have the same mentality there as far as trying to reach Anakin Skywalker in both of those moments. Luke refers to him as Anakin there. Obi-Wan calls him Anakin here, Anakin there, and that's why Anakin responds saying, Obi-Wan is gone. I am what remains. And to me, that's where Vader's referring to as like Obi-Wan once thought as you did. Just that both of them trying to reach to Anakin Skywalker at that moment right then and there. And it was just so beautifully done. And then Hayden Christensen, man, he just, this is why you brought him back here <laughs> for this yeah. scene in particular, really bringing in, bridging the two characters of Anakin and Darth Vader in this one moment right and here. Hearing, and hearing his voice overlapped with James Earl Jones's voice. Yes. Uh, like, oh, that was brilliant. so good. And it, it, I mean, yeah. they did the same thing in Rebels with Matt Lanter's voice combined with James Earl Jones's voice, but it just, it hit different. I mean, because for one thing, like Paul was talking about, you know, them using the AI. So like, as much as like I loved hearing James Earl Jones come back to do Vader in Rebels, like, you know, the Vader voice in this series has been spot on. Like this sounds like yeah. they got James Earl Jones stepped out of a time machine from the 80s. And I don't know if the voice is completely synthesized or if they just did some enhancement, you know, if they still had him actually record the lines and then just, you know, enhance some stuff or whatever. I don't know. I don't know how they did it. Um like I know with Luke and the Mandalorian, like it's completely AI, but I don't know if they if they do yeah. it differently with you know adding the filter to Vader's voice and all that. So I'd be interested to see if we get like a Disney gallery for this show and and they go into that. Probably but, better. <laughs> um, still, just you know, hearing that combined with Hayden Christensen's voice, and again, this very haunting, like raspy, like wounded version of Anakin is just oh, it was so so perfect, so effective, so well done. Yeah. And what was great about it, too, because the dialogue in Twilight of the Apprentice was very minimal, where he just says, Ahsoka, and then, then you will die. That was pretty much it. And this, he had more substantial lines to say. And I just love how you just hear Anakin, and then for a brief second, you'd hear Vader as James Earl Jones and the back and forth of that. And then the distorted version of kind of the mix between the two was just so well done and just really brought it all really brought it all home just really hitting you in the emotional gut <laughs> right there as these two characters we know and love for so long to have this co confrontation in a different way different way not just within a lightsaber duel but just 
trying to reconcile everything that went down in Revenge of the Sith and how they're dealing with it, being face-to-face with each other again. It was just so well done. And then, again, you kind of see just a glimmer of Anakin still in there, even just like in Twilight of the Apprentice where he called out Ahsoka by name, just that little hint of Anakin, but you know it's not going to last. Vader takes over. And just as you brilliantly said, just how great it was executed between Hayden and the directing is delighting of how when he says, I'm not your failure, like, you didn't kill Anakin. I did. And that's when <laughs> you start to see the red of his lightsaber start glowing on his face. And that smirk he gives, it's like just giving it like another jab to Obi-Wan. It's like <laughs> just knowing that he couldn't even defeat Anakin Skywalker when he set out to do that. No, I did that. Like it wasn't you. And then just Obi-Wan's reaction to that again, just like right when he heard him say, then my friend is truly dead. I just, blurted out loud oh that's awesome <laughs> just tying into that line that luke said in return of the jedi then my father is truly dead the reaction of hearing anakin denying that anakin or hearing darth vader i to say denying that anakin is still a part of him and just how evil he was in that moment that like you said that look and that smirk he has as he's saying it and just that joy he's getting out of it saying that that pleasure he's taking out of knowing that Vader killed Anakin Skywalker. It was just, man, so well done. And Ewan, or Obi-Wan's reactions to that, Ewan did such a great job of just showing the horror on his, on his face as far as realizing and accepting, yeah, Anakin Skywalker is truly dead. And just, again, going back to how he tells Luke in A New Hope and that hesitation he has when Luke asks about how did my father truly die? And Obi-Wan takes a few seconds to think about it. It's like when you watch A New Hope now, you just know that Obi-Wan's thinking about that moment right here in the series where Anakin said that to him of saying that Vader betrayed and murdered your father. Like he's thinking about that moment right there as he's uh, talking to Luke in A New Hope. It just puts things in a whole different light. As I, I watched A New Hope right after watching the finale again for like the fifth time or whatever. And it's just great seeing a new hope now and just looking at it in a different light and just only enhances a new hope. It makes it that much more emotionally impactful to you, especially that moment. And then in the duel there too. And I went to thinking how this series is going to be something that's just going to add uh, to what we already know and love about Obi-Wan invader and stuff in a new hope. But now after seeing how great the scene was done, it's almost like, this moment had to be made. It had to be shown and that these characters had to meet again before a new hope. Because when you look at their confrontation in a new hope, it just kind of seems like almost like too casual to where that would be the first time seeing each other again, 20 years later. Whereas like Obi-Wan's like, Oh, you know, only a master of evil. Darth, he has no reaction of seeing, of, of seeing Anakin again there. Could, but mm-hmm. it makes more sense now because he knows Anakin isn't there anymore. It's just Darth. And as Paul mentioned, I love how he just says goodbye, Darth. Not Darth Vader, but just Darth because he only calls mm-hmm. him as Darth in the Duel of New Hope. Just a great way to tie into that. So it's almost essential to see this moment between these two characters when you go into a new hole because it just makes it feel that much more natural and how they're interaction in a new hope would be the way it is now because of the duel and the moment they had here in this episode of obi-wan kenobi so it was just all the way around so brilliantly done and executed and just a moment obviously we're looking forward to seeing but now it's like it's something that 
we need to have in Star Wars now. I'm so glad that we have this moment between two of the greatest characters in the entire saga to just have this emotional moment between them two to kind of say goodbye to each other kind of for the last time. Obi-Wan and Anakin saying goodbye, obviously in very drastic and different ways, but mainly on Obi-Wan's side, saying goodbye and to Anakin once and for all and realizing that his friend is truly dead in this moment. So yeah, this was everything I could have hoped for and more. It delivered it over delivered really because we knew we we're gonna great get a great duel, but and I knew we we're gonna get some emotional stuff and interaction between these two characters again, but uh, not in this level, but I should maybe expect to be blown away <laughs> on these big Vader moments because we haven't been disappointed yet with anything with Vader that we've gotten in these recent years. We've got tons of great moments, and I think this one was definitely the best one yet, mainly because of the performances we got with Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen as Obi-Wan and Darth Vader. Just couldn't be happier. Yeah, definitely. And obviously the first couple of times we saw Vader in the show, like in episodes two and three, it made you wonder, like, how much are we really going to see Hayden Christensen in this? And then episodes five and six, you realize, like, oh, that's why they brought him back. Like, it wasn't because they could have done like they didn't bring him back for Rogue One. And if you were just going to see Vader in the suit the whole time, like you could have just done that with a, a six foot eight stunt guy. Um mm -hmm. But yeah, seeing him in the flashback as Anakin Skywalker and then seeing him as this moment, you know, under the helmet. um, those two things alone, it was like, yeah, it was absolutely not only worth bringing him back, but like essential to have him come back and do that stuff. Um, yep. And and you're and it's right. A, it's, it's a visual image that sticks with you, too, because I know yes. the day after I was at work, I was thinking about the episode a lot. But just that image of Anakin's face and seeing Hayden's face between the cracked helmet, it's just such a striking visual image that just stays with you. Like you said, yeah. haunting is such a great word to describe it because let's uh, when i kept thinking about that episode i just kept going back to the images of anakin's face through vader's cracked helmet yeah definitely and i mean you're you're so right like i think this has become almost essential viewing for the saga in a way like it's it's weird because to me like i like an obi-wan series was not even high on my list of stuff that i wanted for you know star wars series and things like that and then once they announced this like I was excited to have Ewan and Hayden come back and everything, but it didn't feel like it was a, an essential story that needed to be told. And they've definitely made it that by the end of the show. I mean, it adds so much context to things from the original trilogy that before were easily explained away by just, you know, sort of the 30-year the time gap between A New Hope and Revenge of the Sith. And it's like, oh yeah, of course they wouldn't have written that back then. And, you know, you're right, like the the fact that um there's not a lot of big like emotional drama and build up behind obi-wan invaders confrontation in a new hope um and you don't get the feeling that this is obi-wan's first time reconnecting with someone that you know he used to be so close with but again it's like yeah because george hadn't fully fleshed out all that backstory yet or we didn't know what revenge of the sith you know that, that all that stuff was going to happen or anything like that and so you kind of just fill in those gaps mentally in your mind and know like, okay, well, if they were to remake A New Hope nowadays, they probably would do some things differently with different context or whatever. But it's like now that we have this, it's like, again, it's like, it, you know, beforehand, it maybe didn't feel like we needed it. But now that we have it, it's like you almost can't imagine things without it. Not only yeah, with exactly. this, not only with this confrontation between Obi-Wan and Vader, but even some of the stuff with Luke and Leia at the end of the episode um, that we'll get to, you know, shortly. Um, but yeah, it just, it, it does a great job of bridging the gap between, 
you know, this really is like I've seen people describe this as like episode 3.5. And I, you know, it almost is in a sense, like especially just for Anakin's or for, for Obi-Wan's character arc and for his, uh, you know, just reconciling with the fallout of episode three and his grief and, and guilt and everything from the end of that and then transitioning things into where they're at in A New Hope. And even seeing him go from, you know, his, his character arc in this show, going from a man, you know, who's broken and beaten down and dealing with that grief and sorrow and everything to a more hopeful, optimistic Jedi that we see in, um, you know, in, in the original trilogy. Like he's, and you know, he's, he's an old guy who's been living out in the desert for all these years and he's certainly not the Jedi master in his prime, but you know, we don't see him still dealing with his guilt over Vader. Um, I mean, he kind of talks to the, talks to Luke about that a little bit. Uh, in Return of the Jedi, where he's like, you know, I thought I could train him just as well as Yoda, and I was wrong. Um, you see, he maybe still kind of feels that a little bit, but it's not its not causing him to be um, as, you know, just sort of broken down and, and reclusive as he is in the beginning of this series. And so, um, yeah, I just feel like this this scene in particular, but this show in general and, and his whole character arc has really sort of informed the character and enhanced the character across the whole saga in ways that I didn't even really think we needed and now can't imagine, you know, the character of Obi-Wan without that. So, um, yeah, they, they definitely did a good job in that. And like I said, that's why I was like this, this final episode, not that I felt like the show needed to be justified. You know, people talk about that with like solo where they'll say like, Oh, the movie doesn't like justify its own existence. Like we didn't need this story. Um, this this episode justifies the need for this whole series of Obi-Wan. Like it's, and again, I, I was enjoying it along the way. I wasn't going, oh, who needs this? You know, we, we don't need this show. But like this final episode is like, oh, that's why we needed this. Um, heck, even, yeah, that context of just hit Vader saying, you know, I killed Anakin Skywalker. And you go, oh, you know, again, his explanation to Luke of, you know, Vader betrayed and murdered your father makes all the more sense now. Like, and to me, it made sense before that Obi-Wan would rationalize things that way. But there's still people out there that go, oh, Obi-Wan's a bad mentor, you know, because he lied to Luke and whatever. It's like, no, he didn't lie to Luke. He told he told Luke what Vader told him. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's just it was it's it's a, just a perfect bridging of the gap. And just a, like you said, just a perfect emotional uh, moment and culmination for these two characters getting to uh, give us, you know, the the emotional um reconnection um between obi-wan and anakin obi-wan and vader that we didn't get to see in uh in a new hope um it was just it was excellent and like you said especially ewan mcgregor's performance the way he he gets choked up seeing anakin and, and apologizing to him and um anakin being both almost slightly forgiving and yet also completely sinister in the way that he says you know i'm not your failure you know you didn't kill anakin skywalker i did and uh yeah, it was just, it was fantastic. It was so well done. Um, it was everything you could have asked for. For You know, when they hyped this up as the rematch of the century and um, brought Hayden Christensen back to play Darth Vader opposite, you know, Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan, this is everything we could have hoped for from, from that scenario. So uh, certainly, you know, kudos to everybody involved on just this moment in this showdown. Um before we get to the end, so let's go back to the other kind of the thread that's going on at the same time with Reva. Um, 
on the farm with, you know, with Owen and Baru. Uh, they find out that she's coming after him because the guy comes and tells uh, Owen that, you know, Reva's been asking around town about them. So they they hole up in the farmstead. And uh, I like that Baru actually, you know, like she was in the first episode for like half a second. And I was wondering, like, are we going to get to see her you know, do more in this show. And she goes full on like Sarah Connor. Like I'm pulling out my shotguns to defend my kid. I was like, okay, Aunt Baru, let's go. Um, and so you see, you know, the lengths that even just the two of them are willing to go to, to protect Luke was, was great. And even, um, you know, so Reva comes after them. They're, they're shooting at her. She's trying to get inside to get to Luke. And to touch on what Paul was talking about with just the, uh, the connection with, you know, adoptive families, um, of course, you get the moment with Leia at the end with with Bale and everything. But even here where uh, Reva's facing down Owen and she's like, you really care about him, don't you? As if he's your own. And Owen's like, he is my own. Um, I love that line. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was great. Especially because, you know, obviously we over the course of this show, we and in A New Hope as well, you see Uncle Owen's kind of a, a grumpy guy, you know, definitely doesn't seem like the, the soft emotional type. And yet you see how much he really does care about Luke and he will protect him fiercely. Um, so yeah, that was a really nice moment. Um, and just getting to see, you know, I never thought we'd get uncle Owen and aunt Baru getting an action sequence, but, um, seeing them defend Luke was great, but of course they're not able to hold Reva back. They get, you know, Baru helps Luke escape. And uh, I thought it was funny that, you know, he's up a ladder, like escaping through a hatch in the ceiling and, He's like got his head out the hatch with his back turned to the door as Reva comes in with her lightsaber. And I was like, how are they going to work this? Because like he can't see a lightsaber until A New Hope because he's got no yeah. idea what it is when he lights one up for the first time. So they almost pulled like a Clone Wars where, Dave, you know, the, the hoops that Dave Filoni had to jump through to keep Anakin and Grievous separate through that <laughs> yeah. entire series because they couldn't meet till Revenge of the Sith. It reminded me of that where it's like. Okay, we've got somebody with a lightsaber coming after Luke. How close can we get without Luke actually seeing a lightsaber? Um, and then, of course, he gets out. Reva goes out, goes after him, and she, you know, just doesn't have her lightsaber activated as she's chasing him through the desert. She does use the force on him as he once they're like in the canyon and he's up on a ledge running above her. And she uses the force just to kind of trip him up. And I've seen some people be like, oh, you know, they're messing with the continuity. Or whatever. I'm like, he's 10 years old. He could right. easily just believe that he slipped and fell on some rocks, especially because he gets knocked out right afterwards. No, exactly. <laughs> He's not going to wake up and be like, man, some mystical power just pulled my feet out from under me. He's probably going to think, no, I slipped on a loose rock, you know, so. <laughs> exactly. Uh, no. And, things and people again, look to nitpick. <laughs> yeah. And, and they definitely were kind of like towing the line with the cannon there, but they stayed on the right side of it. They're not going to, you know, they, they know what they got to do. Um with you know with luke's introduction to the force and everything so um yeah i thought that was yeah, played when, off when he fine. comes to he's gonna remember very little about this whole encounter <laughs> really yeah, so at least that exactly. end part of it was in folly yeah exactly um but then you know reva stands over him she's about to kill him you know and and then she kind of has the not even a flashback but like she's she's standing over him with her lightsaber she sees luke there and then it just flashes to her seeing an image of herself in that same situation and uh, she just, you know, she realizes she can't do it. And this is when, you know, this is at the end of the duel with Vader. So Obi-Wan has now flew back to Tatooine because he senses that Luke is in danger. Um, and so Reva's holding Luke's body and she brings him back to Luke and Owen and Beru. And uh, of course, you know, Luke is like moving and breathing and they're like, oh, okay, he's safe. 
So they take the kid and go back inside and Obi-Wan's standing there with Reva and she's like, you know, I, I couldn't do it. Um, you know, and, and again, she feels, I think she's telling Obi-Wan, like, I couldn't do it. Like I couldn't kill Luke, but also I couldn't do it. Like I failed to kill Vader. Um, cause she says like, you know, he killed them all and I couldn't do it. And, uh, then she asks, you know, have I become him? And Obi-Wan says, no, you've chosen not to. And so it's this great moment of him kind of forgiving her, realizing that again, you know, everything that she was doing was just kind of lashing out in anger for the way that she was hurt as a child. Um, and you know, was just <laughs> processing that and dealing with that in a, a very destructive way that she now has been able to pull herself out of and him kind of giving her permission to put that past behind her and go on and, and be her own person now. And he says, you know, who you are now is up to you when I, and I hope we get more stories with Reva in the future as well. Cause I think this is a really interesting chance for her to become sort of like an Asajj Ventress type character in this part of the timeline. Yeah. Um, that was what it immediately made me think of where like she was, you know, she was part of the dark side. She was a, a disciple to Dooku. Um, but you know, she had been part of the dark side since, you know, well, I guess I, I was going to say since childhood, I was kind of getting her backstory confused with Maul where the Night Sisters, you know, gave Maul over to Palpatine. But even still, you know, she's been like, she had a, a rough childhood and upbringing and everything and, and has seen a lot of death and trauma. And that all led to her joining the dark side and then, you know, gets to a point, you know, a crossroads in her life where she gets the opportunity to just leave that behind her and go off and be her own person. And she doesn't necessarily go back to the light side and become a Jedi. Um, but she's kind of, you know, just making her own way, trying to find her own purpose and is not necessarily a good guy, but like does try to do some good. Um, and so I, I would like to see Reva kind of do the same thing, not necessarily become a Jedi or a, a good guy necessarily, but become this, you know, this morally gray kind of character that's out there trying to find themselves, um, and I think, you know, there's a, a lot of interesting story potentially you could do with that. So I think there's, uh, you know, again, we talk about planting seeds. Like, I don't think we're going to get a, a Reva series anytime soon. And I don't even know that necessarily if the best thing to do would be to give her her own story or to just have her maybe be a recurring character in some other stories that we're going to get. Or if we're going to see her on screen again or, or you know, get a, a book about her or a comic series or whatever. But I'm glad that the the path is open now for them to do more stuff with that character. Yeah, this whole sequence, I thought it was kind of a fitting conclusion to wrap up her story arc uh, that we've seen play out over the course of the ser series. Uh, was just they also do a great performance from Moses Ingram at the very end, just where she starts releasing all her emotions that she's probably held back for a good while with just letting out those tears and saying Obi-Wan how she couldn't do it and just worrying about if she fully became Vader and this Obi-Wan kind of reassuring her that uh, she didn't become Vader and how she was worried about how more important that she failed her fellow Padawans and not avenging their deaths and how Obi-Wan tells her no you did kind of the opposite you honored them but not choosing to kill Luke there so all that stuff was just a great wrap up to the arc that she went on but I gotta be honest though it was kind of hard to get fully invested into those moments when it was intercutting between the duel between vader and obi-wan and yeah it's something where it's, you can't say because every lightsaber duel in the movies that we've gone always intercuts into something else it's like we haven't gone just a full straight lightsaber duel where it doesn't cut to another sequence and 
this moment was no different. I mean, it would have been nice if it was because <laughs> this type of moment in duel between Obi-Wan and Vader, if there was ever, ever a duel that deserved it, it would have been this one. But they decided to do the same thing and intercut between the moments with Owen Baru and Riva. And it just, you couldn't help but feel once it cuts to that, I was like, uh, let's kind of hurry up and get back to <laughs> the Vader and Obi-Wan stuff. But if it was just a stone sequence that took place in another episode or later on or something that way, it would, like I said, be, it was a great way to wrap up Reva's story and just cool to see Owen and Baru in action, man. I mean, mm -hmm. that's what made it to where it's like, not something that you immediately just want to get through to get back to Obi-Wan and Anakin because you're actually seeing an important moment between Obi-Wan, Baru and Luke. If it was something where Reva's a, kind of going after just any old random family on Tatooine or in the Star Wars universe, it would definitely feel like a tough thing to get through amongst, amidst being it, uh, going along with the Vader and Obi-Wan fight. But the fact that it was having to deal with Baru, Owen, and Luke, it made it something that you still wanted to see what happened between them. And some great moments between Uncle Owen and Aunt Baru, as you mentioned, that line where he says, he is mine own. So great. It's just really showing, you know, he, he does really care and love Luke, despite what he may show and act like in A New Hope. Everything he's doing is to protect Luke and for the best interests of Luke. Both him and Baru feel that way. So all of that stuff was great. And it was just like I said, the only thing that knocks it is just you have it going up against one of the greatest moments in Star Wars ever now <laughs> already. So um, that's what just kind of makes it a little jarring when you're saying the Obi-Wan and Anakin fight or Obi-Wan and Vader fight and then you cut to this moment with Owen, Baru and Reva. So that's the only knock I could put on it is really just the kind of the it's placement, I guess, in the story. And it's kind of hard to do, like I said, when it's just a six episode and you're trying to wrap all these storylines up in the finale. It it does flow. I was gonna. It doesn't it doesn't feel rushed, but at the same time, you're just so engrossed into that fight. You just want to watch nothing else except Obi Wan and Anakin. And it just does make me wonder. Maybe if it should have been placed different. I don't know. I'm not sure how much more you could do without having it feel having to make edits to the to the fight. But you just can't help but feel that way while you're watching it. And the only other um, thing that made me question was you brought it up earlier where just the time frame of how quickly Obi-Wan got off that planet into Tatooine so fast. And I do kind of take it now where you can't actually literally think that both of these are happening at the exact same time periods. You kind of have to feel that the stuff taking place on Tatooine happens a bit after, after the duel, but they just kind of decided to edit them together. So, cause it did make me feel like, Oh man, things are moving pretty quickly. Obi-Wan got to Tatooine pretty quick. It made me think of that that episode in game of thrones season seven where everyone talked about how gendry got to the weather beyond that episode beyond the wall where gendry ran back yeah. to the wall so quickly there was like man like what does he take to run that quick <laughs> it almost felt that way where just obi-wan got there so fast but you just they don't say it but you just kind of have to take like you mentioned they're just happening at two different times but they were edited together um over the course of the episode so if, if i was having any criticism of what's otherwise an almost perfect episode it would be that just how it was edited going back in force between the battle with obi-wan and anakin and then the stuff going on in tatooine and just how quickly obi-wan got there but it's stuff i could kind of easily look over when you're watching it just for all the amazing stuff we got with obi-wan and anakin and still some cool stuff on tatooine was baru and owen so altogether, just a satisfying satisfying conclusion for all the characters and how their story is wrapped up in this episode yeah definitely um, and yeah, like I said, I was 
really pleased with the uh, the way that they wrapped up Reva's arc. I mean, I think we had kind of predicted from the beginning, like she might have some kind of redemption arc, but the way that they went about it was not sort of what I would have expected. And it, to me, it didn't feel predictable um, because it wasn't just this person who was fully bad and fully committed to the dark side and then realizing, oh, this is bad, I should change. It was like, you know, there were underlying reasons for why she was doing what she was doing that kind of came as a surprise. And it was like, oh, she she didn't really want to be an inquisitor and a bad guy in the first place. It was all about just, you know, dealing with um, the pain inflicted on her by Vader. So, um, yeah, I, I ended up really liking where they, you know, the direction that they took her character in. And I wouldn't mind seeing more of that. Um, but yeah, let's get to the end of the episode here, which as much as... Oh, man, like as much as I loved the duel and the the moments between Obi-Wan and Anakin, like the last five, ten minutes of the episode might have been my favorite stuff and is also, you know, just some of my favorite Star Wars moments in recent memory. First, you have Vader on Mustafar in his castle, uh, you know, back to full strength. He either fixed his helmet or got a new helmet or whatever, but uh, he's sitting there talking to Palpatine um, you know, via hologram and says, you know, he's, he's ready to fly into a rage. He's like, we've got probes searching every system. Like, I'm not going to let Obi-Wan get away. Like we're going to get him. And, um, you know, Palpatine basically says, uh, you know, your, your thoughts on this matter aren't clear and, you know, you need to put this behind you. And the way that like, it almost seems unbelievable, but at the same time, you see how much Palpatine has Vader on a leash that he yeah. <laughs> he basically just tells him forget about this and Vader's like yes master like you know he says i forget exactly what he says but you know he basically Palpatine he says kenobi means nothing to me yeah yeah and now that could partially be him trying to like hide his weakness from palpatine oh, 100% um, yeah, that's how I yeah but but also you know it's like okay palpatine says forget obi-wan i'm forgetting obi-wan um, cause I do think, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think he still is, is conflicted, would still like to go after him and is kind of trying to, to hide that weakness from Palpatine. But also like, I don't think we're going to get any more stories with them together again. And I kind of like, I hope yeah. we don't, I, I know, yeah. yeah, I know that like, uh, Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen have both said that they would, you know, they had a great time making the show and they would love to come back and do more. And I would love to see more of them individually. I would be down for an Obi-Wan season two, and I would be down to see more of Hayden Christensen as Vader in any stories that they want to have Vader involved in. But I don't want to see the two of them meet again until A New Hope. I think, you know, the the unresolved issues, especially in Obi-Wan's mind, you know, everything that he had to process from episode three, like he sort of got his, he got what he, he, he got his closure, um, in this episode. And I don't really think bringing them together again would really add anything else to it. And so that's why part of me is thinking that like, even though, uh, you know, Vader might be trying to hide something from Palpatine. At the same time, Palpatine says, forget Vader. He's saying, okay, yes, I'm forgetting Vader. I'm moving on with whatever business of the Empire. Um, and as, you know, you're pulling out from that shot of him sitting in his castle, we hear the Imperial March for the first time in the show, which I thought was great. Um, so, yeah, that was awesome. Um, and of course, you know, just great to see, uh, Ian McDermott as Palpatine again. I had a feeling we might see him cause he had kind of been 
playing coy in some interviews lately yeah. saying like, oh, you never know when I might pop up again. Um, but that was, uh, you know, a, a nice touch to end on for Vader's character in all of this. Yeah, I'm glad we got this final moment. And I totally think that just hearing Palpatine say that, he's like, okay, I know just to please my master, I'm going to have to say that Obi-Wan means nothing to me. But in the back of Vader's mind, he's always Obi-Wan's always going to be there. Like, he'll look for an opportunity if it like presents itself to go after him, but he's not going to obsess over it as he did here. And another thing, because I watched this moment too, because it made me think about at the end of the Siege of Lothal part two in Rebels, where he has that a conversation with Palpatine about uh, sensing Ahsoka. And he even mentions there where oh, getting Ahsoka yeah, could lead them. He could lead them to other Jedi, even Kenobi, like throwing his name in there, like just in case to, you know, this could be the opportunity where Palpatine would be like, yes, this would be a good opportunity now to try to find Kenobi. So he's always in there in the back of his mind. He's just not going to obsess over it. But if, if it comes up, he's going to chase after. And I think finding Ahsoka again was one of those moments that he could take as an opportunity to try to find Obi-Wan. But yeah, just again, a great closure for Vader's story in this episode too. Just him, for right now, leaving that obsession with Obi-Wan behind and just focusing on serving Palpatine. So, and like you said, everyone was saying, where's the Imperial March? Where's the Imperial March? And we got it in this moment here, and I thought it was put to good use to kind of showing where Vader is at now, just kind of leaving Obi-Wan in the past, as Palpatine said, and just kind of focusing on the Empire and his duty as the Sith Apprentice here. So, yeah, just a great way to end Vader's story in the series as well. Yeah, definitely. And then we we get to um, Obi-Wan going back to Alderaan. Um, and I love how even before this, before his ship shows up, we see kind of a, a parallel scene from the beginning of the series where we see Leia getting ready to go out and she's... Mm -hmm you know, got her, her dress and her royal garb and everything, but like she's got her leather boots on. She's got her gloves that Obi-Wan bought her like back at the marketplace on Dayu. And she's got, uh, she buckles um, Tala's holster around her waist. And uh, Bria comes in and looks at her and just goes like, she's like, is that a holster? And then she's like, you know, I love it. And just kind of lets her go with it, which I thought was, you know, a nice touch. Um, and then, you know, we see her, you know, back with Bail and uh, they're watching the ship come down and she's like, okay, who is it today? You know, diplomats or whatever, but it's Obi-Wan who comes out. And of course, in true 10-year-old fashion, Leia runs right past Obi-Wan to go get her droid. <laughs> uh, and she's, you know, more excited to see Lola than she is to see Obi-Wan. Um, but then, you know, Obi-Wan has a, a nice reunion with Bail and Bria and they thank him for bringing her back safely. And then um, Obi-Wan has just that really sweet touching moment with Leia where we hear Princess Leia's theme yeah. playing. Oh, and, uh, you know, and he, he says goodbye to her. Well, at first there's a, a really just, you know, fun, sweet moment where she's like, you know, what are you going to do now? And he's like, I don't know. What do you think she, what do you think I should do? And she's like, I think you should sleep. And he just, <laughs> you know, he, he just laughs and it's like, you know, again, such a stark contrast from where we saw him at the beginning of the series. It's like, when was the last time Obi-Wan laughed, you know? Right. Um, so that was just, you know, it was just, you know, it was nice to see um, just the change in his outlook and demeanor from from the beginning of the series and um, just seeing him happy again. Um, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of that has to do with being able to put Anakin behind him now and kind of put that out of his mind and, and just focus on moving forward and living his life. Um, 
but then before he goes, you know, he, he gets down on a knee and he looks Leia in the eye and he says, you know, you asked me um, if I knew, or he's like what I said before about not knowing your, your parents. And he tells her, I forget exactly all the qualities that he lists, but he says, you know, Princess Leia Organa, you are, you know, brave and and loyal and whatever he said. I, I, I don't remember the exact line, but he's telling her all these things. And he says, you know, these are uh, gifts from your mother. And then he says, but you're also, uh, you know, fierce and passionate and forthright. And these are gifts from your father. And he says, and both were exceptional people and they bore an exceptional daughter. And it was, man, just... Ah, so sweet. Such a nice touching tribute to Anakin and Padme and how much Obi-Wan cared about both of those characters and how you really, you know, see their personality in Leia. And it was a nice, I mean, this whole series has been a nice bit of character development, sort of a nice tribute to Padme. I think I mentioned that on the last episode, just like seeing there's because there were a couple scenes in the earlier episodes, too, where you can see Obi-Wan like seeing Padme's personality in Leia and he even kind of says as much without directly saying who he's talking about um and then with this scene here as well it's kind of like a nice fitting tribute for Padme that we never really got and then also just mm -hmm. some great character development for Leia like um and as much as you know we all love Carrie Fisher and love Leia as a character and she's great in the original trilogy but like she kind of takes a back seat to Luke. Like, you know, Luke's the hero of the story in the original trilogy. But like, you know, it was nice to have this story where we kind of get to flesh out Leia's character a little bit more as well. Um, and see that she's just as much the the child of, of Anakin and Padme as Luke is. And um, gosh, just, you know, getting to and getting to have Obi-Wan finally open up to her about that. Because, you know, also earlier in the show, she was like, oh, I can tell you're hiding something. And, you know, she asks if he knew her parents and, you know, he's kind of deflecting the questions and whatever. And so, um, yeah, to finally have her be able to tell the truth, to have him be able to tell her the truth about that and, uh, just, you know, say such nice kind words about her and about these people that were so close to him. It was just, it was beautiful. Yeah. Bringing in a young lay in the series was one of the, probably the biggest unexpected surprise of the entire series and it was so well done i mean we talked about in the first few episodes she was in but then to have a culminate into this moment between her and obi-wan like you said it was just such a beautiful moment between the two characters and again honoring padme and anakin as obi-wan remembered them before <laughs> everything went bad in revenge of the sith and just what great friends they were to him as we seen not in the movies but in clone wars too it just as he calls them exceptional people as he viewed them and the fact that he gets to tell one of the children that it was just great a great moment for obi-wan just for him to again kind of adding more to the closure on certain things and for stuff he went through in revenge of the sith and just have him to be able to have this moment with one of the children of anakin and padme which is so great to see and it he doesn't necessarily get to have one of those moments with Luke because, I mean, unless something similar happens or on Tatooine where he gets to have a conversation like that where he doesn't reveal everything but um, tells him a little bit more about his parents. I don't think he does, though, because Luke is just really in the dark <laughs> when it comes to his father um, or the truth about his father when he talks to Obi-Wan in that moment. So it doesn't seem like Obi-Wan really told him as much as he told Leia there in that sequence. But still, the fact that he was able to tell that to one of Anakin and Padme children is just great for the character of Obi-Wan. So, yeah, just such a beautiful moment. And just overall, just bringing Leia into the series was just such a brilliant move. And just one of those 
things that went into the series not, totally not expecting to get, but um, it, it's one of the best part of the series, if you ask me, the way it established that relationship that Obi-Wan and Leia had that we never knew existed, but so glad it's there now when we watched the original trilogy. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even we've seen, like I've seen this before where, um, you know, even just the way that Revenge of the Sith obviously added context to A New Hope when Obi-Wan is on the Death Star, he's fighting Vader and then like Luke and Leia run into the hangar and he looks over and sees the two of them together right before he lets Vader strike him down. And it's like, it was emotional then when it was like, you know, oh, I'm, these two kids that I, I swore to protect, you know, I'm, I'm finally seeing them together as adults now. Um, but it just adds so much more now knowing like, cause again, in a new hope, like it's mostly about Luke, right? And, and you could see that scene with Luke and Leia together. And you're really thinking he's thinking about Luke and the impact that he's going to leave on this kid who he sees as like the future of the Jedi and the one that's going to take down Vader and everything. But now after watching this show and especially, you know, this, this tender moment between him and Leia here at the end, it's like, oh, he, he really is seeing the two of them together and thinking about his relationship with each one of them and kind of the hope that he has for both of them um, going forward. And so it's just like, it's like doubled the emotional impact of that scene and his sacrifice. Now, like he's not just sacrificing himself for Luke, he's sacrificing himself for Luke and Leia. Yeah. That smile means so much more now (laughs) that he gives right before he sacrifices himself. You just, again, just adding more context to what's going through his mind at that moment, seeing Luke, and Leia for the first time together just had to be such a special moment for Obi-Wan to see after what he went through with Leia in this series. And of course, I'm sure certain other things he's been through with Luke over the next 10 years that um, we'll find out if we see. But if not, it just again, just such a special moment for Obi-Wan to see everything he's went through and set out to do like mission accomplished almost in that moment. And now knowing that Leia plays a bigger role in that in his past when he sees her and Luke together again, it just makes it that much more special, like you said. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, we, we go from there. You know, he he says goodbye to them. He leaves Alderaan, goes back to Tatooine, and uh, you know we see him packing up his hut and uh, or his not even his hut, his his little cave that he was in. Um, and he's got you know he's he's kind of cleaned up a little bit. He's back in his his Jedi robes. Um, and again, you know, I talked about how every episode of the show, you kind of see a progression of him sort of coming back to form as a Jedi and uh, sort of finding himself a little bit. But I also liked how that's visually reflected in his outfits too. Um, where like in the first episode, like he's got a cloak on, but it's kind of just like a, a shirt and pants that he's got on under it. And like his, his outfit gets progressively more Jedi-like throughout the series. Um, until you finally get to this last episode and he's got kind of his, his cleaned up. Like he's actually, it's like the, the Jedi robes that he wore in episode three. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously not the exact same ones. Cause they don't have all the like scorches on the shoulder from him fighting on Mustafar. But um, you know, it's kind of that, that traditional episode three Obi-Wan look, but then he's got the sleeveless robe over it that he, that he got from uh, Dayu or not Dayu, the uh, Jabim, where he was, you know, in the camp with the path and they had all those extra kind of like lightsabers and Jedi robes and stuff. And we didn't talk about that. I had heard some people speculate like, oh, those must be things that they collected from like fallen Jedi or whatever. Um, I kind of assumed those were like extra things that they had collected along the way 
maybe they, I mean, maybe they were from, from Jedi that they tried to rescue who died, or maybe they were from Jedi who happened to have some spare stuff or whatever, or like a, a Padawan who got their master's lightsaber or something like that. But I, I saw it as, you know, they had like spare supplies available so that like any a former Jedi or a, even a force sensitive person who came through who like didn't have a weapon or had lost their lightsaber or needed a robe or something like they had stuff there available for them to use. Um, and so, you know, Obi-Wan had his stuff along with that, that sleeveless robe that he got there and, uh, gets his backpack on and everything. And it's like, he kind of completing that look of like the classic, like old Ben in the desert kind of thing that we've seen. Like, I know there's like a, a famous, um, like sideshow statue of that version of Obi-Wan. And I think that's also maybe the same version that's kind of like on the cover of the Legends Obi-Wan novel. Um, so it was actually, cool even on some of the more recent comics, uh, or at least the early issues of the Star Wars comics. Oh, okay. They started up again with Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. I got the exact same outfit. Yeah. So it was, it was cool to see that in live action again now. And, you know, kind of the classic uh, in between episode three and four, Obi-Wan in the desert look. Um, but again, like his version of, of Jedi robes now, like he's, it's almost like an adventurer kind of look. He's got his sand goggles and everything. And like, he's, he's good to go. He's not just moping around in a cave all day. Um, and before he sets out, he, you know, he goes back to, uh, the Lars homestead. He brings the toy, you know, T-16 Skyhopper with him again to, you know, maybe give to Luke. And he goes and talks with Owen and Owen's like, Hey, what are you doing here, Ben? Uh, I thought you said you were going to stay away. And he's like, you know, he, he says, I am. And, you know, first he kind of wanted to just come and check in one more time. And I really like, you know, Obi-Wan's perspective here where he basically admits to Owen, he's like, hey, you were right. Like what Luke needs right now is to just be a boy. And, you know, he needs like the only protection he needs is yours and Baru's and, you know, the future will take care of itself. Um, which I like for for two reasons. One, because it shows progression on, on Obi-Wan's part. I mean, obviously we know that he stays on Tatooine and still is looking over, is watching over Luke, but he's not so hyper fixated on him. Like he was at the beginning of the series where like his only purpose was to watch Luke and he was, you know, he's spying on him with binoculars and he's kind of, you know, running into Owen in town and, and wanting to know how Luke is doing and, and kind of doing everything he can to keep tabs on him and wondering when he's going to start showing force abilities so he can train him as a Jedi. Whereas now he's willing to let go a little bit and say, you know, the future will take care of itself. Like that time will come when it comes. Um, so again, I, I like that progression of Obi-Wan's character, showing him being willing to let go, willing to leave things to the will of the force. But I also like it because it frees us up for an Obi-Wan season two. Because if you had asked me the day before this finale, if I wanted more Obi-Wan, I would have said, no, I love the series. But uh, at the end of it, he needs to go back to Tatooine, go back to watching over Luke and not leave Tatooine again. And seeing just this one scene, seeing his shift in perspective, I was like, you know what? Obviously, I mean, we know canonically he still stays on Tatooine. Um, but, you know, now I would be okay with every once in a while, you know, maybe him leaving the planet again to go off on an adventure here or there. Um, and I actually would really like to see that. I'd like to see him team up with Roken in the path again and maybe save some more Force-sensitive kids. I would love to see him team up with Quinlan Voss now that they've, you know, name-dropped him. Um, heck, even in a future season of Obi-Wan, he could go to Florham and see Hondo again. Like, you know, right. there's, <laughs> lots of, there's lots of fun stuff they could do. Um... And now you have 
you know, you kind of have him in this headspace where like his primary mission is still protecting Luke, but he doesn't need to be there 24 seven and he doesn't need to watch him like a hawk and, and make sure that nothing happens to him. He, he needs to, you know, just let him grow up and be a boy and kind of let things take care of themselves. And so, um, yeah, I thought that was a, a nice, nice bit of character development for his arc and, and his, you know, learning to kind of let go of things. Um, and also I, I like what that potentially opens up for the future. No, definitely. I felt exactly the same way as far as before the scene, even when we knew Obi-Wan was going to go off Tatooine in the series, all it better be a good reason. And it definitely was <laughs> to go rescue Leia. But now it's like, yeah, it makes sense if he does over the course of the next 10 years here and there leave for a, another important mission. And it, it would make sense now over the course of the journey we saw Obi-Wan take in this series and how he comes to view things, especially with Luke and just leaving it to the will of the force. And like I said, the future will take care of itself. But I also thought it was such a great moment too, where he's just going to leave, but it was Owen being the one to initiate the meeting between Luke and Obi-Wan. I thought that was great for his character too, knowing that, you know, realizing he's important to Obi-Wan too. And just, seeing how Obi-Wan came to this conclusion made him realize that, yeah, it's okay if they can kind of meet and kind of form a little bit of relationship here that we know they do have uh, a, a friendly relationship in A New Hope because Luke knows who Ben is and we know that they've interacted before their meeting in A New Hope. So it's good to see that this was the moment where they met for the first time and we got another hello there. And it was used. yes so perfectly it was just great uh, i know it was like a small thing that i know fans were hoping would get in the series and i'm glad they put it in there as a as something that's become obi-wan's catchphrase and it was used to good effect here as far as introducing himself to luke we don't see what the conversation was but just hearing the words hello there from ewan mcgregor again and having it being said to luke was just awesome and a great way to end that scene and, that to, and to begin me, the relationship. That made me so ridiculously happy in a way I was yeah. not expecting. Like, because you're right. Like, it was. it's just one of those, like, fan service kind of things where I was like, you know, we would jokingly say, like, oh, it's an Obi-Wan series. He better say hello there. But, like, I wasn't really expecting it. Um, and it's, it, there were even, like, a couple of moments he could have said it earlier in the series. Um, and by the time we get here, like, I... You know, even just that nice moment where, you know, he says his piece to Owen, then he goes on his way and Owen, you know, stops him to say, Ben, you know, you want to meet him, um, which again was it was a nice kind of resolution between Owen and, uh, you know, Owen and Ben, like because where we see them at the beginning of the series, they're obviously very at odds over what is the best way to raise Luke and sort of what's best for his future and everything. And we even know, like, still in A New Hope. Owen still doesn't think very highly of Obi-Wan. He says, like, oh, that wizard's just a crazy old man. Um, and I think, yeah, you know, we know, obviously... So they're going to have more conflicts along the way in the next 10 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and but it's like, this is not... Even if they don't have more conflicts between now and then, it's just like, you know, there, there's kind of a begrudging respect there. Like, they're not going to become best friends, but Owen at least has enough respect for Ben, you know, because of, you know, what he's just said and also, you know, him coming to, to help them defend Luke and everything. Um, he's at least earned enough respect that he's like, hey, you want to meet the kid? 
And so Obi-Wan walks up to him. And I'm more focused on the fact that like, this is the first meeting between Obi-Wan and Luke. He's bringing him the T-16 Skyhopper. They're all, you know, they're ending all the threads of this series with a, a nice bow. And I'm just kind of caught up in the emotion of the moment. And then I was expecting him to say, you know, hello, Luke, or, or introduce himself as Ben or something like that. And but I didn't know what he was going to say. And then he said, hello there. And I was like, yes, he's finally said it. So, I, oh man, that made me so happy. The show could have yeah, ended I, right. The, the show could have ended right there and cut to credits and I would have been happy. But there was one more thing right. that they had been building up to that we had to get before the end. And so he rides off with his EOP um, off across the dunes and towards, I don't know if it's Beggar's Canyon or whatever, but he's, you know, heading off towards a canyon and uh, we start seeing the the shimmering outline of a force ghost. And uh, we finally get Qui-Gon appearing just in a brief little scene at the end. But it was still such a, a nice moment, you know. To, I was surprised that we actually saw a force ghost of Liam Neeson as Qui-Gon Jinn. I thought we Same would just hear here. his voice. I was not expecting that. The yeah. fact that we saw him actually show up was cool. And, you know, he, he turns to Obi-Wan and he goes, oh, it took you long enough. And, uh, you know, of course, Obi-Wan's like, oh, Master Qui-Gon, you know, I, I was starting to wonder if you'd ever show up. And Qui-Gon just says, you know, I was always here, Obi-Wan. You just were not ready to see. And um, again, you're right. Like, there were a couple of moments throughout the series, like when he's getting ready for the duel with Vader, or even when he's like, <clears throat> when he's buried under the rocks during the duel and is, is trying to find the strength to get out where you thought maybe Qui-Gon would come to him to kind of give him comfort or give him strength. But I, I do like... And kind of my prediction all along, if I had had to put money on it, I was like the final scene of the of the series is going to be him finally reconnecting with Qui-Gon. And that's pretty much exactly what we got. Um, because I like the fact that Obi-Wan had to go on that journey on his own and rediscover his connection to the Force, rediscover his, his faith and his purpose and his hope. And once he was back in that, space and and once kind of his mind was clear and and he let go of the things that were weighing him down then he was able to connect with Qui-Gon um and then he's you know Qui-Gon just says you know come on we got a long ways to go and they head off into the desert together and it was just a perfect way to end it so um yeah like I said just a, a perfect way to end uh really the the best finale I could have hoped for for this series um you know, and as awesome as the the duel with Vader and the Anakin stuff was in the middle of the episode, all this stuff here at the end with Leia and with Luke and with Qui-Gon, I loved just as much, if not more, to be honest. I mean, that was, like my immediate reaction upon, you know, like as, as soon as the episode ended, like the, the thing that I that I felt just sort of resonated the most with me was just those nice finishing touches. I love a happy ending and something that just wraps up a bunch of plot threads in in satisfying ways but also in ways that you know connect to the star wars trilogy that we know and love and seeing um again just you know the the moments with leia and luke and the the context that that adds to those relationships in a new hope and then finally getting to see qui-gon again after you know that kind of being a, a through line of the show of him trying to connect with qui-gon and him finally rediscovering that that part of his connection to the force was just it's a beautiful, beautiful way to end it. And I just, I couldn't have loved it anymore. Yeah, seeing Qui-Gon was awesome. I mean, I was not expecting to see a Force Ghost Qui-Gon. And part of me is thinking, okay, we might have to, in future stories, get some explanation of that. Because I was surprised. I was just expecting to hear his voice because he said it in the Yoda arc in Clone Wars how 
he wasn't able to complete the training to fully manifest himself within the force as as a ghost um like obi-wan and yoda and later on luke and leia are able to do but um the fact that he's able to now um it just makes me think how that happened i mean it's not like we haven't seen him before as a force ghost because he we saw him as a force ghost on mortis and mainly because that planet or whatever mortis was it just pretty much was the force in itself that it was strong enough where Qui-Gon was able to appear there without having to complete the training. So that was always the explanation for that. So now for him to do it outside of Mortis and amongst um, kind of just those who are able to connect with him through the force to see him as a force ghost. I wonder if we're ever going to get that story or even if it fully needs explaining because it could just talk it up to, oh, he completed the training it could be something where yoda was first communing with him and having yoda having to gone through everything he did in his arc was able to somehow help qui-gon complete his training by going through what he went through in the yoda arc and that experience and maybe <laughs> within the cosmic force he was able to have qui-gon go through that same trials there so there's definitely ways to to explain it to why he's now to be seen as a force ghost and it's great because um, as he says that line to Obi-Wan House, there's a great deal to do. That To me, that's just, there's season two right there. <laughs> I mean, if mm -hmm. it's just Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon uh, training within the Force and Qui-Gon being Obi-Wan's mentor again, I'd be all down for a second season just focusing on that, <laughs> to be honest. I know it'd probably have to be a little more than that, but I would eat all that stuff up. And I'm so glad that that door has officially been open now. And I really hope that is something they dive into um, if we get a season two, which I'm kind of thinking more than ever now that we are going to get an Obi-Wan's Kenobi season two. And I, it's going to be great having Qui-Gon, which I hope anyway, he's a big part of that. Mm -hmm. Because it was a or great at way least, to close off. At least a, a more recurring character and not just exactly. like a one-off cameo. Yeah. But then it does make me think too, as far as then you start thinking about those things that were made before all this stuff. So like, why isn't Qui-Gon there at the end of Return of the Jedi with Obi-Wan, Yoda, yeah, and Anakin? Because Luke didn't, Luke didn't know Qui-Gon. I mean, that's true. You could say that right there. But at the same time, too, it makes me wonder, because I've said this before, how I think in the EU they established where um, characters can't manifest themselves as Force ghosts forever. There is a limit to that. So maybe by the time we get to Return of the Jedi, Qui-Gon reached his limit um, to do that. I don't know. There, there's ways to work around it. So let's not worry about that right now. I just can't help being the fan that I am wondering certain things. You just can't help thinking about that stuff sometimes. But it's best not to get too hung up on those particulars when um, you just got to actually think of the line Qui-Gon said to Obi-Wan. Focus, concentrate on the here and now. <laughs> where yeah. Just enjoy the moment of Qui-Gon coming back. Liam Neeson back as Qui-Gon as a force goes. And just, it was so brief, but just hearing him interact with Hugh McGregor as Obi-Wan again, which is so great. And it was a lot more playful than it was in The Phantom Menace. Just as his first words were, took you long enough. And just mm -hmm. getting more of that aspect, of that side of Qui-Gon, and to have more of that interact with Obi-Wan in future stories down the line has me very excited. So yeah, it was just great to have Liam Neeson back and definitely a surprise to see him as a force of ghost, but I'm glad that is now officially established where Qui-Gon Jinn is there <laughs> amongst Yoda, Obi-Wan as force ghost now. Yeah. Same here. That was again, just a perfect way to end it. Um, and yeah, I would love to see more of Qui-Gon in a season two as well. And I'm with you. Like, I think, at this point, I think we probably are going to get a season two. And I've completely done a 180 from going, oh, no, I don't want that to be like, yeah, I definitely would be okay with that. Um, 
but just you know with the i mean the show has been obviously the most kind of buzzed and talked about um or at least one of the most you know talked about shows in in just sort of pop culture in the last month or so um they keep saying, you know, I keep seeing like quotes from Kathleen Kennedy and stuff saying like, oh, we'd be open to doing more like if the fans want it. But it's like and I know you again, you and McGregor and Hayden Christensen have repeatedly repeatedly said that they want to come back and do more now. And uh, even despite, you know, some of the gripes about the show and some of the negativity around it, I feel like there definitely has been a lot more positive reaction than there has been negative. And so, um, you know, and heck, even from the people that don't like it. Again, kind of same thing with the prequels. Nobody has a problem with Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan. Like, it, there's nobody that doesn't want to see Obi-Wan come back. I feel like, if anything, people would maybe want to have them improve certain aspects of it or give them a, big, a bigger budget or, you know, more time to, to work on it or whatever the case may be. Um, but I don't think there's any, really any fans out there that are, you would ask them, hey, would you like to see more of Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan? And then be like, no, nah, I don't want any more of that. Um so, yeah, who knows if and when that might happen, but I think there's a pretty good chance. Yeah, I mean, uh, this might be too soon, but I'm kind of hoping that because the next big event's going to be D23, if they could make an official announcement there of <laughs> Obi-Wan season two, I would be ecstatic. But yeah, it'll probably I'd be, be further down, down the line until we hear about it. But yeah, it probably I think it's definitely coming. It probably wouldn't be out until 2024. I would think because they've already got a full a full slate of Star Wars shows for next year. Um, and as far as we know, they're not working on anything yet for a season two. But um, yeah, I'd be down with that. I even saw something recently, too, where Hayden Christian or uh, Ewan McGregor was like, you know, I would love it if just every once in a while I could just pop back in and do another one of these, whether it be a, a you know, a movie or a, you know, short mini series or just like a one off kind of thing. So um if anything, like, I'm just glad that this show has brought him and Hayden Christensen sort of back into the fold of Star Wars and that they're excited to be yeah. part of it again. Um, that, if anything, is, is you know, one of the best parts about this show. But also, like I said, just the the character dynamics, the stuff we got to see on screen and the ways that it enhances the saga in ways that we didn't know we needed, but adds so much more depth and context to the characters of Obi-Wan and Vader and Luke and Leia even. Um, I'm certainly glad that we got it. And, uh, you know, if they want to give us more, I'll be glad to get that too. Yeah, it, it, it really delivered for me and even surpassed my expectations. I just go back to an episode we recorded about all the announcement of the upcoming Disney plush show and where they officially confirmed that Obi-Wan was going to be here and that Hayden Christian was going to be back. And we just kept talking about the potential of how great this series could be and, like I said, it delivered for me. It exceeded expectations. Everything I was hoping it would be and then delivered on stuff I was not expecting. I said that about the first three episodes when we recorded an episode for those first three chapters. But now seeing the whole series, I can definitively, without question, <laughs> say that it would it delivered on all fronts. And I had a feeling the last few episodes would be some of the best. And in particular, the case of the finale, it definitely was. And just from all the stuff we were hoping we'd get was a great lightsaber duel between obi-wan and anakin but then from the really great emotional moments we got between those two characters it just really delivered on that and just throwing in the stuff we got at the end too with uh where obi-wan's characters at um seeing his relationship begin with luke how it ended with leia here and then setting the table up for some 
hopefully special stuff with Qui-Gon later down the line. So just a lot, a lot to love about this series. But at its core, it's the stuff between Obi-Wan and Anakin that got resolved here that makes it truly special and just um, one of the great pieces of Star Wars content we've gotten. And with Obi-Wan being my favorite Star Wars character, this series just kind of reaffirms that even more so. And I'm just so thankful we got another story uh, with Obi-Wan and it was as good as it was as a, in this series. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, I think we've talked the show to death just about as much as we can. Um, <laughs> I'm sure we could talk about more, but <laughs> uh, if I had to, you know, um, but before we wrap up, I know uh, you also had asked our listeners on Twitter if they had any, you know, reactions to the second half of the season. So uh, what did they have to say about this? Yeah. So first up, uh, Derek says episodes four and five were great, rather excellent. Or he says episodes four and five were great and rather than excellent, but the finale was perfection. A great duel, a great moment between them, two big cameos, and a proper sobbing when and oh, oh, or proper sobbing when Obi Wan says goodbye to Leia forever. This is my favorite Star Wars TV series, and it felt more like a movie. And then Chris McGuffin says Kenobi is basically episode three point five to me. Do you think it should be essential to a full saga rewatch, just like the movies are? Yeah, as we were talking about that moment between Anakin and Obi-Wan, I think it definitely is something that has to be watched by um, those who are doing a saga rewatch. Even if not the whole series, just that finale episode, that moment between Vader and Obi-Wan, it's like we talked about. It almost has to be watched now in context and just how it enhances A New Hope when you watch that movie again. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I would would almost say... Like, it's it's not quite up there as essential as the movies. Like, you could still do a, a marathon of just the saga and, and not really be missing anything. But then if you're going to add anything additional, like Obi-Wan, Clone Wars, like any additional stuff to kind of fill in the gaps. Like, Obi-Wan is definitely, like, top of the list of things that you need to watch. Almost Like, right up there with Clone Wars, but I would almost put it above Clone Wars just because, like, if you're doing a full saga rewatch... It'd be easier to fit in the six episodes of Obi-Wan than the full, you know, hundred and whatever episodes of Clone Wars that there are. Yeah, because sometimes when I do full rewatches or full rewatches, I do pick a arc here and there for Clone Wars to put in. Yeah. And even in my preparation for watching uh, before Obi-Wan started, I did a rewatch of the prequels and some Clone Wars arcs. And like I felt like Siege of Mandalore is an essential one, too, that has to be seen kind of when you're doing a rewatch uh, for Star Wars. But like, there's so much stuff now, it's hard to rewatch everything, but that's kind of a good problem to have. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, if you have to pick and choose, there's definitely great moments here that you could throw in your full saga rewatch. That would be impactful to your experience of rewatching the entire Star Wars saga. Yeah, for sure. And then Star Wars Junkie says, hard to put into words. Obviously, I loved it. The fight was epic. The exchange was epic. It did a fantastic job of bridging the prequels with the OT. Some complain about production value, but meh, don't see a problem there. Star Wars is getting better and better. And then Eric says, the series earns being episode 3.5 in the Skywalker saga. The final Obi-Wan Vader duel is the best since Sith and delivered a mythical, emotional finale. Ben and Leia's final scene crushed me every time. Thankful for the Williams music placed perfectly in the last few scenes. And Michael Clorian says, so great. The only thing, I wish it was trimmed down into a movie. Other than that, incredible. And then Kid Kenobi says, my favorite Disney Plus show yet, and one of the best pieces of Star Wars canon to come from the Disney era. 
While not flawless, it delivered on everything it needed to, and that finale had me misty-eyed. Can't believe there are people who didn't like this. Haters gonna hate, I guess. And then finally, Steve Kirk says, I can't believe what a gift the series was. Wow. So good. And yeah, I think that's a great way to say it. What a gift the series was. Because <laughs> it truly feels that way with some of the incredible moments we've got over the course of these six episodes. And in particular for these three, glad to see pretty much everyone who interacted on Twitter and our listeners felt the same way we did talking about <laughs> these last three episodes for pretty much five hours. So <laughs> that's great to see. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I'm debating whether I should even bring this up because this could spin off into a whole nother hour long tangent and I want to go to bed. But <laughs> yeah, I was going <laughs> to I was going to give a shout out to Derek, too, because uh, he and I, you know, got into a discussion in you know the comments of one of my posts about the show and uh, we're talking about a potential season two. And he was throwing out the idea of um maul being the antagonist in season two which i initially was like no i don't want that like i don't want to see obi-wan and maul together again until uh season three or you know in, until twin sons and rebels and like obviously you know they're not gonna like retcon that and have obi-wan kill maul in a, a live action series or anything like that but he was bringing up the idea that like obi-wan could potentially be the one to you know go deal with like Maul and Crimson Dawn and, and be the reason that that whole thing falls apart and that, oh, that Maul ends up stranded on Malachor. And there's a whole lot with Maul's storyline that we don't know about yet. And could Obi-Wan maybe be brought back into that somehow? And again, at first I was like, nah, I don't, I don't want them to, to mess with it. And then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, well, they could maybe like i'd have to go back and and rewatch rebels and reference things to be like you know is there any dialogue that clearly states that they haven't seen each other since the clone wars um but i don't know they maybe could add more context to that dynamic just like they did with obi-wan and vader in this series um so i don't know that that got me thinking and i'd be interested to see what you and paul think about that and uh like i said that that's potentially a topic we could do a whole nother episode on but um, you know, maybe something they could toy with for season two. I mean, again, that would be another thing where you'd, you'd kind of be playing with fire and towing the line as far as continuity goes, but something that if done right could actually be kind of cool. Yeah. Like at the same time, I'm not going to put it past them to do, to do it right. Like you said, to do a great job with it because they did an amazing job with what we got with Obi-Wan and Vader here, which I know a few people were skeptical on and maybe they weren't happy with it, but I know for the majority of the fans I've seen and interacted with online, they just did an amazing job with having another confrontation with Obi-Wan and Vader. And who's to say they can't do the same with Maul if they wanted to. Yeah. So food for thought, but yeah, thanks Derek for uh, getting my wheels spinning on that. Um, but thank you to all you guys for, for your comments and for interacting with us and, you know, sharing your love of the series. Glad to hear so many of you enjoyed it just as much as we did. And yeah, like we said, you know, despite any minor flaws or nitpicks or whatever, like it wasn't perfect, but you know, nothing is. Um, but I think the, the show absolutely nailed the, the core emotional, you know, character moments and themes and stuff that we were hoping for delivered one heck of a showdown between Obi-Wan and Vader and, uh, lots of other cool stuff along the way. So I certainly enjoy, enjoyed it and uh, am glad that we got to see this and uh, glad that so many of you guys feel the same way. 
Um, of course, as always, if you want to follow us on on Twitter and social media, and you know, interact with us, we're on Twitter at Star Wars TSC. Uh, we also have a Facebook page at Star Wars The Saga Continues. You can uh, send us email at starwarstsc at gmail.com, and you can also check out our website at starwarstsc.com to find all of our episodes and news stories and stuff that we're posting over there. Um, that's going to do it for now. We're finally through our, you know, all our big Star Wars stuff that we had for, you know, the months of yeah. May and June. We got to talk about all of Obi-Wan. We got to talk about, you know, all the news from Celebration. Um yeah, it's it's been a wild ride after not having a whole lot to talk about for, you know, the the first part of the year, aside from like Book of Boba Fett. But between, you know, earlier this year and sort of towards the end of last year, it felt like the news was a little bit slower. And then these past couple months, it's been, you know, a nonstop barrage. Um, so I don't know when the next time is that we'll have a lot of big stuff to talk about. But, you know, of course, we've got Andor coming up in a couple months. We've got Disney or D23 coming up where we'll have, I'm sure, some more Star Wars news out of there as well. Um, and you know, we'll be back, uh, before then with, you know, any little stuff here or there that pops up, or maybe we'll do another fun commentary episode or something like that. So, uh, we'll be back soon with more great Star Wars stuff to talk about. Uh, but until then, uh, thank you for listening to this really long Obi-Wan Kenobi episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll see you next time and may the force be with you. See you next time, everybody. Bye.